That's Mike and Mechanics, the silent running from 1986. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus, and hopefully I sound okay right now. If I don't, we will adjust it. I'm going to have to ask the chat room because I am on different equipment this time. Uh, my computer is gone. It's in the shop. The keyboard's broken. So I'm using an alternate computer right now, but I am back in my regular location, so I do have... The power to turn myself up and turn myself down. Just got to make sure I'm not distorted, and then we will get going. So welcome to the show. We're on a Wednesday night, finally, again, and uh, we should be here on Wednesday night next week and the following week, so we should have some regularity and schedule, which I know a lot of you have been complaining and, you know, honestly, honestly, uh, you're right to complain that we're going to have some regularity again that we didn't have before. Someone's saying it sounds like I have a cold. Um, I don't. To me, it sounds kind of like a little bit of distortion. So I'm trying to... Um, people are saying sound is good. Okay, we'll do it. I'm very big on the sound. If the sound isn't perfect, then it bothers me. So... 
I'm actually using the little Sound Blaster external sound card with this alternate computer, along with my usual good equipment. Yeah, some people are saying it's distorted. See, I don't like that. It's a tiny bit distorted. That's kind of what I'm hearing, a tiny bit distorted. See, I don't like that. I don't like a tiny bit distorted. Because you guys are going to hear me for a long time tonight, for like, you know, how many hours is that going to be? So, um, yeah, I should have tested this beforehand. Let's see, is this any better? Am I less distorted now? Let's try this here. Is this better, guys? Because I, I, I want this to sound good, because this is going to be hours listening to me. And I know when I listen back to the show myself, and the sound quality is not good, it pisses me off. It actually gets me angry at myself to have bad sound quality. See, I'm trying to mess with the sound a little bit here, and uh, the best way I can do it, unfortunately, is to have you guys listen and tell me. So, okay, you guys are giving me the thumbs up in the chat room that it has improved, so we will go on from here. I know this makes great radio to start the show and to, <laughs> to do sound checks. And that might be the reason why Poker Fraud Alert did not make it past the first round of nominations for the American Poker Awards. Yes, see, the Global Poker Index, which, to be fair, we have criticized a lot on this show, and we've mocked a lot on this show, so it wouldn't surprise me if they rigged it it against us a bit. But I'll assume it's fair. I'm not going to be a Donald Trump here and say something was rigged without proof. But uh, people were telling me I was snubbed for the American Poker Award, which is put on again by the same people who put on the uh, Global Poker Index. But I was sent a screenshot of the initial nominees. And at the very top of the nominees was Poker Fraud Alert with Todd Wittellis. They even put my name there, which is nice of them. Then they also had Poker in the Ears with uh, Bruffton, Hardigan, and Stapleton, Poker Life Podcast with Joey Ingram, Poker News Podcast, the PTP Podcast, which I've never even heard of before, the Mark Hoke Show, the Thinking Poker Podcast, the Top Pair Home Game Poker Podcast. I've never heard of that one either. The 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast, the Under the Gun Podcast, and Other. So we, we aren't even in Other. We actually made the list, which is, let's see, like looks like 10 different shows. From there, they whittled it down. And I'm, I'm not making a, a play on my own name, Wittellis. They really whittled it down to four and we're not one of the four. Now, supposedly this was not voted on, so there's nothing you could have done about it. Supposedly they did this like through some sort of uh, media types to vote on, which which right there means we're dead. If media types have to vote on us, we're dead because we're we're not real popular with the media types. This this show is not a favorite of the media, so. It was willed down to the Joey Ingram Poker Life podcast, the Full Contact Poker with Daniel Negranu, which I don't even think is a real podcast. Uh, the Poker News Podcast and the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast. So, uh, to be honest, uh, other than the one with Negranu, which is more just him ranting on video, it's not quite the same thing. Um, other than that, I the other three are fine. I mean, obviously, Joey Ingram's gotten a huge response to what he's been doing. The Poker News Podcast, I know, gets... Uh, a good audience, and of course, the two plus two poker cast has been around forever, and they do a good job. So, I'm not even saying that the ones that are the official nominees now, which it says awarded 
by nomination, vote, and jury. This is weird. There's like nomination, vote, and jury. So I guess I guess you could vote on us, and then it goes from there to the quote jury. This this is too difficult. Why don't they just let the people vote on the ten that they selected and and go from there? I, I don't get this jury crap. This this is unnecessarily complicated. It, it kind of I mean I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but this this kind of seems like a way for them to rig it if they want. Not saying that it got rigged against me. I'm just saying that the purest way to do it is put up the nominees of which we were one of the ten. And then have people vote on it, and whoever is the winner wins. That's that's the way you should do it. What's this jury crap? Anyway, here's someone who I bet does not support a jury in this process. Calwatt, hello. How you doing, Druff? So, how do I sound to you? Do I sound normal or do I sound a bit distorted? Um, I mean, there's a little bit of scratchiness, but it sounds yeah. good otherwise. That scratchiness pisses me off. I thought I got this. I'm going to be like playing with this the whole show. Let's try it now. Let's let's try this. Am I less scratchy now? Yeah, I think your levels might have been too high and it was peaking or something. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. It's it's like I think I have two pieces of equipment battling with each other. I'm looking I've got a fancy setup here. I'm looking at your levels. Yeah. Um and they're you know, you do anything reasonably loud and it's peaking. Okay. Is it better now at all? It's a little better, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to play through with the levels throughout the show. And, uh, of course, you know, God forbid you end up louder than me. That'll be the, the biggest disaster. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, to, to be honest, though, I don't want uh, to be louder than you either. I, I want us to be the same for the listener's pleasure so they don't have to play with the volume. So, anyway, I'm I'm out of the secret location, which, for those of you that don't know, was Lake Tahoe. I think I told you guys last week. But I was in Lake Tahoe. I I have achieved the rank of seven stars once again. So I'm going to be a seven stars at uh, Caesars Properties for at least the next two years. So that's that's nice. Didn't get that lucky this time, I'll say that, but at least I'm the seven star again. But I'm back in my usual location, just not back on the same computer. Now, Cal Watt, have you ever had a keyboard just um, start to deteriorate on a relatively new computer where just certain keys just stop working? No, but... Um, oh... Do you hear a strange effect? No, I hear nothing. Okay, good. Um, I, I do remember back in the day, and this kind of dates me, but I remember having uh, those mice with the little balls in them. Yeah, yeah. Like pre-lasers, <laughs> and you had to clean the fucking things all the time. Yes, yes, I remember like, that. You'd be using it, and it would just stop working, and you'd like kind of jerk your hand over, and it, the mouse just wouldn't fucking go where you needed it to. Yeah, that was the and worst. Yes, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, you had to take it out, and they had these little rollers in there, and you had to use either your fingernails or something else to, like, scrape all the crud and hair and other nasty crap that was uh, accumulated on the rollers. Yeah, and there was kind of like a bouncy ball. Like, you could actually take the ball out and play with it if you wanted to. Yeah. And, well, yeah. and I, I remember, actually, at our school, uh, some kid went in there and just stole all the balls <laughs> from the computer room. It was like a Mac lab that was in there. And they just stole all the balls, and no one could do anything. That's, that's great. See, <laughs> see, the worst prank I ever played on the computer lab was I, I went and changed the autoexec.bat file on all the PCs to say obscene things when the, the things would boot up. And it, it was like juvenile stuff, but what I didn't know was that that same lab was used by an adult education course that they had that same night. <laughs> so... You can imagine, like, they had this adult education course in the 80s for adults to learn how to use computers. 
and they'd bring them in there and they'd turn on the computers and can you imagine like all this obscene stuff popping up immediately when they turn that computer on. So so all these um, people who paid for this course were pissed about this and the, the instructor was very embarrassed and they called me into the vice principal's office. And and surprisingly, they didn't even get me in trouble for it. And I, I think I was bragging to people that I had done it. That's that's how they knew it was me. Like they were asking around and figured out that it was me because I had told people I did it. But I I didn't know about the adult education course. I I thought this was going to be seen by other students in the class, which it was, and they thought it was funny. Like the I knew the people seeing it would appreciate it, and they did. But then the people who I didn't know would see it did not appreciate it because they were like probably the age I am now. And uh, mm. so they, they didn't like that very much. I, I thought I was going to get in big trouble, but they, they just said, you know, we're not going to give you any detention for this or we're not going to do anything, but we just want to let you know you really embarrassed the school by this. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say back to that. What happened I, to your keyboard? Oh, so my keyboard, it, it's, it was a, a new HP. Well, not new. I, I got November 2015. So relatively new. And it, it just started at, at around October. A line of keys, the eight I, K, and comma keys, starting with the I, and then it started going from there. They started getting less and less responsive, and now they don't respond at all. So mm. I actually had an external keyboard connected to it for a while, which is kind of ridiculous to have a laptop with an external keyboard. But I, I had that for a while until I could find the time to get all the data off the computer to send it in. Because when you send it in, they, they, uh, they have access to all your data, obviously. So I, yep. I did not want to let that happen. So they, uh, I yeah, had to scrub it of all the porn, right? All that stuff off yes, there. yes, that's uh, that that's the fear here. That uh, you know, if you guys find out that I'm arrested one day soon, you'll know why. That they found something on my computer that I never thought anyone would see. So I did, uh, I did that process, and that's I'm now using a backup computer for this, which I'll be using now for probably about two weeks. So anyway. Uh, again, welcome to the show. I forgot to say the date. This is the first day of February 2017. The first month of 2017 is in the books already. We are broadcasting live February 1st, 2017. Right now it's 8.15 p.m. We have a free roll tonight. But uh, the embarrassing thing is that as, as I speak right now, the prize pool for the free roll is... Zero point zero. Um, in the haste to get the other computer out in the mail today, which I did, I said, you know what? I forgot to ask for free roll donations. And for some reason, I thought maybe we had some on reserve and we had nothing. So I still owe money. Oh, you do. That's right. I just don't know how much I owe. <laughs> you don't know how much. Okay. Uh, All right. I'll tell you what. I'm I'm putting a hundred bucks in. Wow, that's that's a lot of money. You're, you're really so you really wow. ping, ping ping me afterwards, and wow. I'll uh, I'll get however you want me to get that money through. Well, thank you. Well, at the very least, we'll we'll uh, apply this toward whatever you said you were donating before. So uh, if, yeah, whatever. If it's uh, if it so, but anyway, thank you very much. That's appreciated. And someone someone else said that they'll uh, donate. S double said I'll donate on one condition that I'll tell you when you text me back. But that was at 7.37. I haven't really had time to text him because I was scrambling to get the show up as fast as I could on this computer here. So anyway, thank you, Cal. We're going to come up with a, a prize pool here. Let's see. Uh, I say 50 for first, uh, 25 for second, and uh, 13 for third. 
Hey, can I spice it up a little bit? Uh, sure, go ahead. You, you, you can I also it. add a, uh, a $50 bounty for whoever knocks me out? Wow, so that's on top of the 100 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is the, you know, most people who do these shows get paid. You're actually paying me to do this show. I know, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> this is not a lucrative proposition for you, your involvement in this show. Yeah, now everyone's going to be going after me trying yeah. to knock me out. <laughs> yeah, this is... That's what happened. I played that bracelet bounty event that they had one year at the World Series, and uh, you know, everyone went after me. There weren't that many bracelet winners in the field, nor did I get anything for participating. They should have like at least covered my buy-in or something, but they gave me nothing. And then uh, I just ran really bad in it. I, I pictured that like all these people would be gunning for me and calling me off light, and I just accumulated a lot of chips that way. But it didn't happen because I got I got like nothing. I got trash every time. So. That's the worst when everyone's gunning for you is to be getting trash over and over. So anyway, back back to this. So thank you very much. So fifty dollars. Uh, are you Calwatt on the No Fraud Online Poker Room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Very simple. So Calwatt, fifty dollar bounty to knock him out, which is the same as the first place money. So if if you knock him out, you've basically won. But then you can continue to play to win a second time. So the first place is fifty. Second is twenty five. Third is thirteen. Fourth is seven, and fifth is five. And then the $50 bounty on Calwatt. Wow, we really went from zero to 150 very quickly here. All thanks to our esteemed co-host here. So that's that's a pleasant surprise. I, I, I was going to have to... you gunning for me. I, I was... And what happens if I knock myself out? Well, yeah, so what happens if you finish first? I guess uh, nobody wins it. So I was actually thinking before starting this show, like what if for the first time ever... And I really mean ever that we really get zero donations. Like, do I have to crack open the Jew wallet and just say, "Okay, everybody, here's fifty dollars"? And now I feel I feel guilty even saying I was thinking this because you just gave one fifty, which is three times that. So, but I I was actually like considering what to do, and I go, "Yeah, I guess I have to do it. I can't just say there's no free roll, and I can't say it's like I I mean, you know, we're different people. I also haven't gotten you know broken any." Poor young 20-something's heart and gotten her fired from her job at a restaurant. So. <laughs> well, we don't know that she's fired. I, in fact, she's from what was, gone. No, from what was implied <laughs> to me, it, 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 he can't discuss personnel matters. So he implied to me that, like, the way I could put it is that something is going to happen, but she's not going to be fired. He didn't say that specifically, but that was the vibe I was getting. Not like you're not going to see her anymore. It was kind of like like... You know, she's going to learn this wasn't right or something like that. So, and I, I didn't ask for any clarification. In fact, I didn't care whether she got fired or not. If she did, I would say it's her fault. And if she didn't, that's fine too. Uh, I think as far as how bad of an offense that was, we're talking about at the particular restaurant I was referring to uh, where I wanted to find out how rewards credits were being redeemed and the assistant manager just went off on me and yelled at me. So if you want to hear that whole story, you can listen to the end of last week's show. But uh, I, I don't think she got fired. But here, let's... Do you little... hope she got fired? Tell the truth. You know what? I actually don't hope she got fired because I, I think she lost her temper, which isn't an excuse. And there's no reason to have a temper about this subject. Like if, if the customer wants to know something that's important to know, you don't get well, mad at him for wanting stupid. to know that. I didn't call her stupid. I said, I said, I'm surprised you, you don't know this. You said her entire no. life and education amounted to nothing. No, 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 no. You just tore her down. No, no. To her very core. No. But I, I, I like it's. If someone asked me, what would you like to see happen? 
I'd say, well, I, I guess what I'd like to see happen is that she's given some kind of warning and really made to understand that she screwed up here. That she what doesn't want wearing. What is she wearing when she's getting this warning? Uh, that's that's a good question. That may you have said, to do you with said how she was kind of good looking. Yeah, she was you. actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. I can be honest about that. Even though I don't like her personally, even though she didn't treat me well, and there was a confrontation there, and she caused embarrassment for me at the restaurant. I, I I can say she was pretty. She wasn't like super super hot, but she was pretty. And I'd say she was around like you know twenty seven years old or so. So so would you like it if you know it was raining outside and she came in soaking wet and she got <laughs> berated when uh, you know she was. Doing a little wet T-shirt contest. What kind of show is this here? What is this? Is this, is this a is this a poker show or a phone sex line? What is this? People on the call the listen line are going to think they called the wrong number. I'm just trying to explore your psyche, bro. No, I, I I haven't thought of her that way. I haven't had any, like fantasies about that woman there. I just uh, I, I'm just being honest that she was a pretty girl, and it right. it probably in fact I'm guessing may have contributed to how she treated me there because she's kind of used to people kissing her right. ass for that reason. Anyway. Right. Um, here's the rest of the intro and then we will get going. I already mentioned our free roll starts at 8.40 p.m. on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. I, it, it erroneously says here that it starts at, uh, on January 24th. It does not. It starts on February 1st, which is today at 8.40 p.m. In fact, I'll fix this right now. Uh, should I? When I donated that money, I was counting on that there was going to be no one in there but me. <laughs> yeah, you're saying okay. I'm, gonna, I'm donating <laughs> 150. I'm donating 150 to the uh, January 24th free roll that takes place tonight. I just wanted to seem generous, you know, like those people that donate to charity and then they they brag about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so uh, 8:40 p.m. 25 minutes of late registration, so don't worry about that. You can still get in, even if you don't get in there in the next 20 minutes. You still have 25 minutes, and you'll start with a full stack. You must read the rules. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll is where the rules are. It's all one word. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, exactly as it sounds, all lowercase. And if you do not know the rules, then you will not get the free money. I will pay you, if you are a winner, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, cash, check, or various other methods that I might have available PM me Dan Space Druff on Poker Fraud Alert, or you can email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, exactly as it sounds, all lowercase. And you will get your money. It's real money. It's not some crappy money you can get on a poker site, which you may not be able to cash out. This is real money. I'll even send you cash in the mail. If I, if I see you in person, I'll hand you the cash in person. That's not how it works here. This is the only free roll I know that is like this in the poker world that... Uh, is associated with the radio show. So, if you want to call into the show tonight, it's the same phone number as usual. It's 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is a phone, an old 70s rotary phone, which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which has a lot of snow on it right now. And forward to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. It is the main line into the show. Or not, it's an alternate line to the show, but it's a separate line into the show is what I meant to say. Of course, you can text the show at any time, before, after, or during the program at 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355, which is our main number. I will respond to you. I really will. People wonder, will I really respond? Am I just saying that to sound nice on the radio? No, I really will. I really will. I respond to everyone. So 775-372-8355 is that number. 
Finally, the call to listen line is a number you can call to listen to the show, either live or when we're not live, you can hear random reruns, which are playing as if they're live. It does not require a smartphone. It does not require a computer. It does not require the internet. It does not require a data plan. If you have a data plan, it will not cost you even one byte of data. It's just a regular phone call on a regular old phone. Any phone that can dial in the world can call 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162, the call to listen line. And you can hear the show through that line. It's a great thing to use if you're driving in the hills or the mountains and have poor reception and have trouble streaming the show. You can just listen on that. It is not a phone number into the show, meaning that you cannot call and talk to me live, but you can hear the show as it plays. And a lot of phone lines on there, more than we will ever need, so it will never be busy either. If you forget any of these phone numbers, don't worry about it. Just go to the radio page on Poker Fraud Alert. There's a little radio tab near the top of the screen. It lists every single one of these phone numbers in case you forget them. So here is the agenda tonight. We have a number of topics to cover. We were last on eight days ago, but a number of things have happened. The World Series of Poker 2017 schedule has been released. Every year we do this when it gets released. It's usually released in February. This time it was January, so I guess congrats to them for getting it a bit early. It actually came out a week ago, and I was told that Jack Ethel said, you know, I'm not going to release this schedule till Wednesday because I want Todd Wattellis to talk about it on his Poker Fraud Alert show. And then what happened was I ended up doing the show on Tuesday. And they had this big argument. Jack Effel and Seth Polanski had this big argument. Jack actually wanted to wait until the following Wednesday. And Seth said, no way. Seth said, we've we got to release this now. And they had a big fight. In fact, they, they, almost, they almost threw punches at one another over it. But uh, finally, things calmed down. And they decided, you know, we, we can't wait any longer. It was his choice to come on a day early. So we're releasing it today. So they released it on January 25th, and here we are a week later. But I will talk about the schedule. There's some things that are notable about it that have changed since last year. Tell you what I plan to play. I haven't made an official schedule for myself yet, but I will be playing the World Series as I have since 2005. Uh, Calwatt, are you going to play the World Series? I don't know yet. Wow, what's this echo not. here? It's... Oh, you can hear it now. Okay, good. Um, you're, you're not the only one that's got like neat little toys to play with. Yeah. All right, there you go. <laughs> is that better? Yes. All right. I um, thought you no, might be I, in the bathroom. I honestly haven't decided yet. Part of the reason is that um, we might be going on a family trip uh, to Asia this summer. Hmm. Uh, and if we do that, it's going to be kind of difficult to swing this, too. Yeah. yeah. I hate to say it, but I actually say that I cannot do any family trips until mid-July every summer. I always say we're just not doing it until the middle of July comes, and then we can go wherever. Yeah, Which still- I, I am not a bracelet winner like yourself, so you know it's a little bit different for me. You know, it's it's good. The World Series and my participation in it predated this relationship by about four years. So it was one of these things that was already there. When we got together, which is good because, uh, you know, that gives me more leverage to be able to say that uh, it's got to say the same way. Otherwise, if I just decided while we're together to start doing this, you can say, well, right. you know, you've, you've got to quit well, doing uh, this. Well, look, I mean, honestly, it's, this is your profession, right? Yeah. 
And so, I mean, I would think that it would be just like attending, you know, an industry conference or something, yeah. you know? And there's, there's plenty Great of time. Show. There's plenty of time after that, honestly, in the summer to take trips. And, uh, and I have, you know, I have scheduled a trip every single summer after that. So we have taken trips, and I'm sure we will this year. You're, you're all over the place, man. Every time I talk to you, you're in some secret location at some fancy place or you're on a cruise or <laughs> you're down in the Bahamas or, you know, what have you. I, I actually haven't been to the Bahamas uh, since I was like two years old, I think. Yeah. Never been there. Or not, Last not, time I was in the Bahamas, it was by accident. Like uh, there was some kind of problem with the plane. I don't remember. We're coming back from oh, really? Dominica. Um, Dominica is a kind of small not very well-known island. Yeah, I've been the, there, actually. Have you been to Dominica, yeah, really? Yeah, Wow, I have, you're like one of the few people I ever met who's been there. It's a pretty cool place, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I thought so, yeah, We were actually down there when Carnival was in town, uh, so it was pretty wild. Um, people who don't know, like, the, the way Carnival works in the Caribbean is basically this, it's like a traveling show, and it goes, it hops from island to island, um, and they go all throughout uh, the summer and then kind of end up at... I forget where they end. I think they might end at Trinidad or Tobago, something like that. Yeah, I haven't been there in a long time, but it, w- it was one of my favorite islands, though, of the Caribbean. And, well, uh, the beaches are not so great because it's a volcanic island, but it was a really cool, they call it uh, the nature island. There are a bunch of waterfalls and cool stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I noticed. I, I didn't even go to the beach there. Right. I, I didn't explore that, but I, I can believe that. But remembering the layout of the island, it didn't look like a beach place. But uh, No, yeah, it's it's one of the few volcanic islands down there. Most of the other ones are, um, you know, built up from coral uh, atolls and such. So, so you had an issue with the plane? They said we have to make an emergency landing in Bahamas? No, it was, it was something like there was a stopover, and then there was some problem with the plane, so we couldn't leave, so we ended up staying uh, in the Bahamas for a oh, day okay. or two. So that's not like as that. bad. You were already on the ground when they had the problem. Ah, it's no big deal. We well, get yeah, to explore you, another island. No, I know, but you don't want to hear like you're in the air. We're having a problem with the plane. We got to land somewhere we didn't plan to. That's never good. Yeah, no, none of that. Like I've never had that situation. Thankfully, uh, I did have a plane that never came though. Went there. We're in, we're in uh, Papua New Guinea. I was there on a uh, like a scuba diving trip where you go on one of those liveaboard boats, mm-hmm. um, and the northern part of the Great Barrier Reef is up in Papua New Guinea. And it's not that well traveled, so it's just pristine right so we're staying at this place and we had a group of you know maybe 20 people and all their luggage and you know we're scuba diving so there's a ton of luggage and we all got down to this little airport in um somewhere out in new guinea i don't even remember where it was now and tiny little airport and we saw a plane fly over and then another plane fly over and we're all waiting there and we're kind of looking at our watches and the time had already passed right (laughs) or the the, the flight and we're like well what the hell is going on so we ended up going up there and asking and they're like oh yeah um that was your plane it actually doesn't stop here uh unless it's not full <laughs> so no i'm f- for real like it no, flies from the capital of port moresby and it will stop at this place that we're at but only if it's not full and you know we're used to something a little bit different right we had tickets that said this day, this time, that's when you're going to be on the plane. And we assumed that that meant something, right? But it meant absolutely nothing, apparently. And we, you know, we waited there for another couple of hours. And then we said, well, um, you know, is, is the plane ever going to come? And the guy's response was, well, it depends on whether it's full or not. So <laughs> we're like, 
what the fuck? Uh, and we had a boat to catch, right, to, to do the liveaboard stuff. So we actually ended up going back to the place that we're staying at, and the boat motored, like, uh, overnight just to meet us where we were staying. Wow. So we could actually get on it. We, we had no idea whether the plane was actually ever going to come or not. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, it's not a good place to be stuck either, Papoon, again. He's very backward. Well, and it can be a little dangerous in some places there, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They've got those rascals running around with AK-47s and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember if it was there. I've never been there, but um, my my parents have. And I don't know if it was there or somewhere like that, but there was a small plane that – not a really small plane, but kind of like a medium-small plane that uh, my parents were going to take somewhere. And my dad, who – was a pilot of a small plane, not commercially, but just uh, for recreationally back in the 60s and 70s. Um, he noticed that it seemed to be overloaded. And at first they were trying to dismiss him about it. And he said, no, no, I'm a pilot here. This does not look safe. You've got to, um, whatever the weight, the weight on the plane, I don't remember if it was stuff in the plane or, or the number of people, but uh, it was too heavy. So he kept insisting that they, lighten the plane that it's dangerous so they lighten the plane and uh, my parents got on it and everything was fine but when it took off he noticed that it kind of just was barely able to do it yeah so it he, like just barely clears the tree right, right so he, he said yeah. he, so he said you know if i didn't say anything i bet we would have been dead because uh and this this is very common in third world countries where they they overload something for uh purposes of uh you know, just basically being cheap. They they take a chance because they don't want to uh, – they, they ignore safety parameters, either to save money or to save time. And then uh, you have these type of disasters, which normally right. would not happen in, in the U.S. or other uh, first world countries. So it was good that he had this knowledge from being a pilot himself because he, he was pretty convinced the way he saw it take off when it was lightened that it would not have made it the way it was. So Right. Anyway, uh, going on with the schedule here. So we're going to talk about the World Series 2017. Uh, Poker Stars has made a major change that hasn't quite taken place yet in mainstream Poker Stars, but you will see it soon if you can play on there. And that is you will no longer be able to choose your own seat in cash games. Not only your own seat, but your own table. It will place you at a table and seat of its choosing, like in a tournament. So I'll explain what that's about and why they're doing it. Um, that's great. In this, in this agenda, I have something about Dan Bilzerian that was uh, last week's topic, which I, I forgot to erase. Okay, we won't do that again. We won't talk about Dan Bilzerian again. Uh, here's a new topic, though, or at least new for this week. I hadn't talked about it before, even though it's been ongoing. There is an AI bot at uh, Carnegie Mellon University called Libratus, and it has been playing four top poker pros in heads-up, no-limit competition. Now, there's been a lot of bots over the years playing Limit Hold'em, which is a much easier game to solve for a bot. But No Limit, for many years, people were saying a bot's not going to be able to s solve this because there's a more of a human element. It's less of a computational game than Limit Hold'em is. So there was, it was thought that no Limit Hold'em will always belong to the humans, or at least the really good humans will not be beatable by a bot. Well, wrong. The 
four poker pros got spanked by Libratus. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about what happened there and if this is proof that even in No Limit Hold'em, that machines are superior and that you can't beat them, at least a very well-programmed one you won't be able to beat. Mike Dentali will be playing Kate Hall in March in a heads-up match. Won't involve any bots, but those two will be playing their little grudge match. I have a clip where Mike Dentali is talking about it and says that she will be punished for her big mouth. So we'll talk about that. Uh, this is an interesting story. We've talked somewhat about this before on the show, but uh, a former sports tout, you know, a guy who gives away sports picks, who actually he didn't give them away. He sold them for a lot of money to rich clients. But he was also a scammer and an extortionist. He lied about his picking success rate. He, uh, you know, he scammed a lot of people. He extorted $45 million out of one rich... Uh, guy in Wisconsin. So his name is Adam Meyer, and he's been convicted of all these things. But it just came out this week. This has been alluded to before. In fact, he was saying it himself, but it wasn't sure if you could believe him. But it turns out that Adam Meyer was a longtime snitch for the FBI prior to this, and that many busts in the sports betting world were thanks to him. And you'll hear about an interesting deal that was apparently made to get him out of a stiff prison sentence that he should have gotten 10 years ago, where he scammed casinos and basically served uh, no time thanks to his cooperation with the FBI over other matters. So we'll tell you a bit more about Adam Myler, Adam Meyer and, and what he was involved in prior to this uh, extortion thing he did, which finally got him in the slammer and probably for a long time. A Foxwoods player who self-excluded, which you can do at casinos. We talked about that, in fact, two weeks ago when Mark Klang was on the show. Self-exclusion where you tell the casino, I don't want to play here anymore. I have a gambling problem. And they uh, are supposed to keep you out even if you want to play and go against your own exclusion. They're supposed to keep you out. Uh, a player who self-excluded at Foxwoods is claiming that they let him keep playing as long as he was losing, but as soon as he hit a jackpot, or small jackpot, that they didn't pay him and kicked him out. So we'll talk mm-hmm. about that and self-exclusions and what should be the casino's responsibility and what shouldn't be. And whether the, what they did... sick free roll. Yeah, whether what they did was legal to it. We'll talk about all that. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders stadium deal may be in jeopardy which means the Las Vegas Raiders itself may be in jeopardy, as it seems like Sheldon Adelson is pulling out of the whole thing. So we'll talk about what's going on there. Chicago Joey, who is one of the podcasts that will be up for an American Poker Award, he wrote a book, and I know he sometimes listens to this show. He heard about how I made fun of how he's a softballer. But he wrote 47,000 words in 10 days, to complete a book in a prop bet challenge. And now they're selling the book. It's going to be available for like 10 bucks. Now, he's not a sponsor here, so I'm not going to advertise his book. But I will say that he got uh, he got this done in 10 days. Apparently, he, he worked nonstop for the final three. I'm not sure what the prop bet was or who it was for, you know, how much it was for. But 
He likes making a lot of prop bets, and this one was about writing a book. 47,000-word book by Chicago Joey. Does it have Joey. to be, like, grammatically correct or anything? <laughs> well, there's a, it's funny you ask about that because the title is not even grammatically correct, but we'll talk about that when we get to that story. <laughs> um, general topics, uh, just two of them for now. The Trump Muslim ban, which I'm sure you've heard about on the news nonstop for the past week or so. Is it wrong? A lot of people are saying yes. A lot of people on both sides of the political aisle are saying yes, and this is terrible. But is it wrong? And if it, if it is wrong, what is the right way to handle refugees from countries that have a lot of terrorism and that appear to be a threat to the U.S.? So we'll talk about the Muslim ban and finally, I talked last week about an iPhone 6, which was stolen by AT&T. It's an iPhone 6 that's in our family that I was, I was managing its upgrade, and AT&T basically stole it. I have an update in that story for those of you who are wondering how it concluded. If you've been on the edge of your seat, if you haven't been able to sleep because you wondered what happened to my iPhone 6, you will probably find out. At the end of the show. Uh, Druff, I mean, I, I tell you, I, I barely have gotten a wink of sleep since I heard about that. Well, I put it at the end as a, an incentive for you to make it all the way through the show and not fall asleep. So. I, I tell you, I was listening to it, and it, it, <laughs> I texted you this, too. At first, I mean, it, the the voices and stuff that you did were actually pretty hilarious in the beginning. But towards the end, man, I just wanted to kill myself. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, oh so the, I'm, gl- it <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, okay? okay. I, I, I was interested to see what the audience response would be to those different voices we had last week. Because I, I have a voice changer that can change my voice. And uh, we you made a, crank call, a prank call with one. Uh, I just kept putting them on and changing around my voices. So we did it for a while. Brandon was on the show last week for the second half when we were doing this. But uh, Cal Watt, he said it was funny at first, but he... Actually, the, the deep one actually sounded really good, too. It sounded very, like, very radio, very FM radio, you know? Well, I thank you for telling me that. And I'm glad you like the way I sound. So let me tell you about the funny voices we're doing here. This actually got a very, very good response. And you were one of the few who had any complaint about it. I know you said you were tilted toward the end. But in reality, it was very well received. In fact, many asked us to do prank calls with them in the future. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. We're definitely going to do some prank calls with this. I don't know if it will be tonight, but at some point in the near future, you'll be seeing some prank calls. So for those of you hoping for that, it is going to happen. All right? So, yeah, these are the voices in case you missed them last week. You can hear it in much longer form but for now i'm going to go back to my regular voice and i'm glad that people like them because i like doing them i thought it was a good segment i enjoyed the segment and i got so many positive texts about it and then i got the one from you i go oh calwa doesn't like it that much no no no, no. i liked it i liked it until it, it was just one of those things you know what i mean it's like uh when it happens one too many times i was just like oh God. okay but in the and and some of them, when you do these prank calls, you got to make sure it's a good voice, though. You know what I mean? Because otherwise, they're going to think that you're. It's going to make it really obvious that you're prank calling them. Yeah, everyone likes that deep voice for some reason. 
It's, it's it a sounds very, very radio. It's a very popular voice. All right, so let's uh, let's see anything else. No, that's it. Let's let's get on with here the World Series of Poker schedule, which dropped kind of surprisingly. I wasn't expecting it because they usually release it in February. So I just didn't think to even look out for it, but. Uh, it came out on January 25th, and you can find it yourself if you want to follow along here at wsop.com slash tournaments. Do w- log in with Facebook or anything? Actually, what they do is they make you sign up for an account, and uh, you have to give your credit card, and they have to do a, <laughs> a, a trial charge of $10, which they will refund you in uh, July 2018. No, no. It's, no login this time. They learned the lesson on that here. So uh, just, it's still not mobile friendly. These guys, are, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with? Like I, I don't care if it's friendly or not. I just wanted to like have no login. They've they've actually lowered my standard in what's no, a good site. No, but you know how many poker players are going to be at the World Series that are going to be looking at it on their phone? But you're you're the one who made the World Series of Poker schedule that doesn't suck, right? Like it was, right. It was one that was searchable, and the, I, right. I love that thing. Are you going to make it again? Yeah, very likely. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. He, he made Cal Watt, before I even knew him very well, he made a schedule that uh, it, it was mimicking the World Series schedule. That's where he got the data. But it was a much better and more user-friendly site to use. And I actually used it myself a lot to search out events. And it was, it was much easier to use than the one they had up at the time. So here's... Yeah, and the main reason I did it is because it was annoying. Like, uh, <laughs> it, it, I mean, really, like... <laughs> How can you be such a big company and do such a boneheaded job on some basic things? Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I th- did with the login last year, and then so many poker players are going to be using their mobile phone to look at this thing. Like, make it not suck, for it, God's sake. It is true that on a page like this that's going to be very, very frequently visited by a lot of different people, they, they should make sure it's perfect, that it works well on mobile phones, that it works well on laptops. Right. That uh, basically, especially they, mobile phones. That's what every poker player is going to yeah. be using. Yeah. So, anyway, here's the uh, so the schedule. It has a record number of bracelet events. There are uh, 74 events. Event number 73 is the main event, and event 74 is the little one for one drop, which actually takes place after the World Series. Which I, I don't think is very smart. I remember there was something after the World Series last year. Was that the one? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember. Now, I will say that my best finish ever in a World Series No Limit Hold'em event was one of these bracelet events after the main event, which was back in 06. I finished fourth in a No Limit event for 1,500 buy-in. Ah, uh, uh, fuck. What? I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing in the, the donk event here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to get knocked out. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so... Yeah. Oh I, my God! It went. It's on the turn, and they brought the flush, and it went shove. I call guy over shoves. I got the second nuts, though. I mean, oh, there we go. Oh, so you Never won. Mind. I'm gonna okay. triple up. So you, you can't. You can't complain about the free roll until you actually lose a hand. If you, if you win a big hand, you can't. Well, you, I didn't you, know I was. Gonna you're win. reminding me of Alan Kessler, who I know listens to the oh, show now. And that, that's that's low. He listens to the show now, but I, I've told the story before where he, this is 10 years ago. I was at a tournament with him, and he was fairly short stacked. And I raised in some aggressive Asian kid three bet, and it came to Kessler in the small blind, and he looked so upset 
And finally, he went all in. And he wasn't, you know, he was fairly short stacked. Not super short, but fairly short. He went all in. And uh, I think he was short enough to where I had to call it. I think I had ace-king or something. Anyway, he had kings. So I had ace-king. The the kid there had nines. and, And Kessler had kings. And he held up and tripled up. So I asked him, I said, why did you look so unhappy? And he said, I was sure one of you two had aces. <laughs> so, yeah, the complaining before the result reminds me of that. Well, I was laughing, too. I thought it was kind of okay. funny. I, it's like the, the first hand I played, and I'm probably going to get knocked out and have to give someone <laughs> 50 bucks. <laughs> and I told, I told Kessler there, I said, you know what? If I had your stack and I found kings there and I saw raise, re-raise, I would be like, Jumping out of my skin, I'd, I'd have a hard time containing my excitement. I wouldn't be like unhappy about this. This would Drunk, be like if you make that. I'm just telling you, if you make that comparison again, I'm going to go off and do my own show. Okay? <laughs> we're going we're to have three shows. That's, I think that's the way to get uh, an active uh, list of shows here on the Poker Fraud Alert Network is just to alienate all the hosts. Yeah. So okay, we so the the one drop, the little one, the one that's a uh, thousand plus one eleven is after the main event. But that's the 74th event, and I think the only non-bracelet event, right, they're all bracelet events, but the only one that's non, well, there's a few that are non-open, but the, the first one's non-open, the Casino Employees event, as always, and that, that starts on May 31st, and then the little one on, for one drop, event number 74, starts on July 11th. So it, it's a pretty long series here, more events than they've ever had before. And there's some new events, and in fact, they are starting to name some of these events with the success of the Colossus, where which has been an incredibly popular event since they introduced it, the $565 buy-in event. They have decided to name other events and give them each a gimmick. So here's some things I noticed about the new schedule. Uh First of all, as they said before, and this is kind of common what they've been doing the last few years, but they, they're basically sticking to no-limit hold'em events of a smaller or moderate buy-in on the weekends and then other events during the week. So the World Series begins on a Wednesday, May 31st. So it, does, it takes until the weekend to see the first no limit hold'em event that's aimed at the masses, which is the Colossus. But uh, so before that, though, there, I don't think they had this last year. On May, th- uh, the first open event is uh, event number two, the ten thousand dollar tag team no limit hold'em championship, where you have two to four person teams, and that at any time someone can tag out and switch. Now, I know they had some sort of gimmicky non-bracelet event like this several years ago of a tag team. But I don't think there's ever been a tag team bracelet event before at the World Series. Do you Have you ever heard of that before? I, I thought they did that last year. Did it wasn't they? a bracelet event? Maybe they did. I Somehow I missed it because I... Uh... This yeah, is the first time I Last year was when they introduced it. Okay. And, you know, there was a bunch of talk about... I, I don't know whether it was a bracelet event or not. I would assume... It, no, it must have been. I must I must have just forgotten. because they, I'm like, oh, a tag team. Okay, so scratch that one. <laughs> Wait a minute. That. Weren't you and Brandon, like, thinking about doing it? 
Um, oh, that's right. That was the 1500. Okay, that's what's confusing yeah. me. It was ten, this is a 10,000 version. That's you're uh, right. You're right. That's that's why I was We were thinking about doing it, then I ended up I couldn't make it, but what was confusing me here is this 1500 and this one this 10,000 tag team. I'm going, you know, I wouldn't play that. I want Dentelli and Kate Hall to be on the same team. How awesome would that be? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> they, they would just have fights about who plays when, you know, like. Uh, oh, it'd just be fantastic. They'd, just, they'd both they'd be, be telling each other. each other about every hand that yeah. they played. Awesome. So it should be like a forced tag team where the, where the, the public uh, picks the teams. That would be fun. You just pick people. You pick everyone you can that hates each other and put them on teams. <laughs> oh, man. That would be a great event. The, the public or, votes or you on. Stick some really, really, really good uh, player with just a complete idiot. Right, and and, and have it have it <laughs> mandatory that they play half and half. That they, yeah. they so like put you put well, like wait, wait wait wasn't there a poker show like that a while ago where uh, some failed poker TV show where they had amateurs and then they had uh, a pro that they could oh yeah it was like with yeah, or it was, yeah like it was like that. a pro am thing yeah I didn't yeah. watch it but I I I really like the idea they put like poker enemies together and make them play on the same team. Yeah. That would be great. Even like get scammers and their victims together. <laughs> I, I would make you play with that chick that you you just shattered her ego. The uh, <laughs> assistant manager. I would make you play with her. Okay. She she probably would hate it, and she probably sucks at poker. See, you just you just want me to suffer here. Well, you you want other people to suffer. No. You're, you're picking all their enemies, right? Okay, so I see that. Uh, June first is the O eight event, the fifteen hundred O eight, which is unfortunate. I guess that forces me to come there all the way on June first, which I, I really didn't want to do. But yeah, I guess I don't have to play it. I just I enjoyed it last year, and I want to play it again. That was my first non Holdem World Series event ever last year. I didn't cash, but I enjoyed it, and I wanted to come back. But I see that's near the beginning. The Colossus comes back on the first weekend of the World Series. Friday, June 2nd, it's event number five. There are six different starting days, A, B, C, D, E, and F. Uh, you actually can re-enter, I think, into, it says w- one re-entry per flight. Now, do they mean you could re-enter in the same flight, or they mean you can only one entry per flight? I don't know. One re-entry per flight, so each flight you can re-enter one time. That's what it sounds like, but knowing them, this is a screw-up. <laughs> okay. I, I, let me see if I can click on it and find it. I was just re- seeing this I was, as I was uh, reading it off. I just noticed it now, otherwise I would have researched it. It says, one re-entry per flight, players elim- eliminated can re-enter into other flights. That still doesn't answer it. <laughs> that still does not tell us. It doesn't say. Like I, I'm reading it right here. It does not make it clear. I'm going to have to tweet to them about this. What does one re-entry per flight mean? I, I know what we think it means. I know literally what it means, but does it really mean that as far as the rules go? <laughs> one re-entry per flight. It'd be funny if like no one says anything about this and then someone goes to re-enter and they refuse them and then they demand to be able to because of what they listed here. I, I'm seriously going to ask about this. So either you can play 12 times in flights A, B, C, D, E, and F, you know, twice – or you can only do up to six. Uh, you can only re-enter if you're eliminated. I believe they've done away with this thing where you can just register for all of them 
and then re-enter. We had this problem the first year, remember, where people were signing up for all the flights and hogging up all the seats, and then they would get a refund for the ones that they didn't want to play anymore once they did well in Flight 1A. So uh, then you had tables going off like four-handed because everyone had uh, unregistered from those future flights. So I think they've done away with that. I don't know if they changed that last year or this year, but that is the case this year, and I'm going to actually tweet to the World Series of whether one re-entry per flight means one entry per flight or one re-entry per flight. But that's uh, there's six flights. There's two per day. Then comes an event I do not like, and that is on June 3rd, Saturday, event number eight, the $333 WorldSeriesOfPoker.com online No Limit Hold'em. And there's unlimited re-entry. There's a 333333 guarantee. And the entire event is going to be played online on WSOP.com. And it is a bracelet event. Now, I've got some issues with this. Uh, first of all, in general, I don't like these online events for bracelets because it's just not the same thing. And, in fact, you don't even know for sure who, who you're playing with. You could be playing against a team, meaning like they're all together in, in, one, uh, in front of one computer. Uh, it could be a team that coalesces when someone gets deep. So, you know, let's say the final table, some guy invites nine of his friends over to advise him during hands that were once in the event but are now out. You couldn't have that in, in a live event, obviously, but here in, online there's no way to tell. Uh, it's, it's just totally different. I mean, you could say that about any tournament, but here you're going to have people that are physically there in one location for the World Series, so it's very easy to have your friends come over, whereas in uh, regular online poker, people are all over the all over the country, all over the world. Now, yes, you can have people locally, especially in, in poker hotbeds like Las Vegas, where or people... Or poker houses, where a lot of these guys poker tend houses. to live together. So it's not impossible, but it's just different. See, I... I don't like the idea of World Series of Poker bracelets being awarded for online play. I just don't. Aren't aren't your arguments kind of just against online poker in general? I mean, don't they apply to any online poker? Or is it the the quantity of poker players in one place that you're kind of... It's it's the latter one about the quantity of poker players in one place. And also, I just don't think that a World Series of Poker bracelet should be awarded for an online event. I think it should be only for live events. But... My biggest problem here is not with any of that stuff. It's actually with the buy-in amount, $333. Mm. That is a very, very low buy-in. And I'm not trying to look down on people who don't have as much money or, or say that you know, poker should only be for those who are, are rich or at least uh, have enough money to be able to spend 1000 or $1,500 minimum. But the truth is, since this is the World Series of Poker, I'm not saying all tournaments should be high buy-in tournaments or medium buy-in tournaments. I'm saying that the World Series of Poker should have some kind of reasonable buy-in minimum to where you don't have to be a super high roller to play it. I'm not saying every event should be 10K or 50K, but I'm saying that at the very least, they should be four figures. I don't like this thing about the $333 entry that's not very much money, and this is really creating not much of a barrier for entry for anyone. And you may say, well, there shouldn't be a barrier. Everyone should be able to play it. Well, I think there should be a barrier. I think everyone who plays a World Series of Poker event should put some kind of substantial money on the line. Substantial meaning not huge, but at least like $1,000 should be on the line here. Uh, Otherwise, 
why not have a $1 buy-in World Series event? I'm sure that'll get lots of people. But uh, So what's, what's the reasoning for it being substantial? Is it because you want it to be worth something to them or to make them – Yes. About it, yes. I, I want this well, to be then something. It should probably be a percentage of their net worth. But right? you can't do that on a standard event, though. So you, right. I'm, I'm saying that I, I, I just feel that if you're going to enter something that's the World Series of Poker, that's not a circuit event, but the actual World Series of Poker, there should be the stakes should be high enough to where each one of these is at least a substantial buy-in. Just, uh, just because it makes the event more prestigious. It makes it, it separates it from. Lower buy-in tournaments that exist yeah, everywhere. I agree. I agree. It gives it an air of prestige. Yeah, and, and also the people who enter, uh, they they they're really risking something of of value. So, anyway, three hundred thirty-three dollars to show you how little this is compared to when the World Series of Poker started. Um, well, I didn't calculate 333, but there's another event, a live event yeah, that's, I know what you're gonna that's say. fairly I close. <laughs> I know what, when you're going to talk about Yes. Yeah, so there's one, which I'm going to skip ahead to for right now, called The Giant. The Giant is an event that's going to take place the next weekend, starting Friday, June 9th, event number 19. This is a live event with unlimited re-entry, with five flights, and... It's going to take place, uh, strangely, every week on Friday. So the flights are separated by one week. So flight A is on June 9th, flight B is on June 16th, C, June 23rd, D, June 30th, E, July 7th. And it's only $365 buy-in, and there are unlimited re-entries, and day two is on July 8th. So if if you make day two on June 9th, then you're going to have to wait a month to play day two. Yeah, they're just trying to break the record. But anyway, the giant, the buy-in is $365, which is a little bit more than the 333 but very similar. And I went and pulled out an inflation calculator, and I compared it to the 1970 World Series when the World Series first took place. In $1970, that $365 event is worth... So, look, I don't care even in 1970. Can you imagine if someone said, I want a bracelet in 1970 for the $59 buy-in event? You'd laugh at them. You go, $59 (laughs) buy-in? Come on. $59, you have a bracelet? That's stupid. That's stupid. A $59 buy-in, you want a bracelet. Okay, congratulations. Great. Uh, It's the same thing. $59 $59 in 1970, you can look this up, is $365 today. This is just another, you know, scratch-to-win lotto ticket event. That's what it is, and, that, <laughs> and that's what I don't like. I see, I don't like this, where they're, they're making it, the, the fields are so huge, and it really does become, like you're saying, a scratch-to-win lotto ticket, that as long as you're a competent player, like if you're a fish, you're not going to win. But if you're a competent player, you just have to run well enough to win the thing or get very, very deep. And the other problem when they have these super huge field events is that the prize pool becomes very, very flat. And that that happens by nature as an event gets bigger and bigger. There's no way to avoid it. So the problem is you can make it really, really, really deep. You can get past a well over 99% of the field and not make that much money. 
I, I would be so annoyed just thinking about all that time invested, you know. And and, and, you, and the and fact you get that you like a uh, nine hundred dollars or so. yeah, and the fact that you get you know so lucky to get where you are, and then you barely get anything for it. Like right. at the Colossus, there was a lot of anger the first year when the first prize was nowhere what people were expecting for twenty two thousand entries at fifteen hundred dollars or sorry at five hundred dollars, and that the top prize was nowhere near a million, and that. Ninth place to the final table was like sixty something thousand. People couldn't believe it. They're like ninth out of twenty two thousand entries at five hundred sixty five a pop, and you're getting sixty something thousand. That's a joke. So, yeah, and it's like you know what in twenty eighteen they're going to have uh, another event called the remarkably tall person, <laughs> and it's going to be like a ninety dollar buy in. Yeah, that, that's, that's played every day at noon or something. That's what I don't like here. They're just uh, they are. Diluting the value of a bracelet. They're they're making a bracelet. You can say, well, there's already so many events every year. Who cares? But at least one thing that was constant up until recently was that every event was a thousand or more. Then they introduced the five hundred something events, the five sixty five events, which I already didn't like. But that should be it. That's where should be where they stop. In fact, every year the dollar's worth less and less due to inflation. So to have a three hundred sixty five dollar event. And a $333 online event is a joke. And if you think back to what the World Series of Poker, you know, what the dollar value would be when the World Series of Poker started in 1970, that even then that would have been laughed at. Even then. In so 1970, they had a $10,000 event, right? Yeah. That was the, the main event? Yeah. So if that were, uh, if we kept up with inflation and, you know, all that kind of good stuff, guess how much that would be? Uh, today, what the buy-in should be for it to be comparable to nineteen uh, around sixty thousand, right? Sixty-one thousand eight hundred and fifty-seven dollars. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it actually is pretty interesting that the buy-ins uh, they they've never changed them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, well, they've never adjusted them up, other than you know they've done some of those championship fifty k events. Yeah, and and you know, I at one point I was saying maybe they should raise the buy-in of the main event to twenty or twenty-five thousand for that reason. But then I said, you know what? The truth is, ten thousand is still a lot of money. Right. And there's so get a very large field where each person is putting ten thousand in. Fine, because still the amount of money that that's coming out of this event is a lot. Because ten thousand is still enough money, and with such a large field, you just get these huge prize pools anyway. So you don't, you don't need to make it bigger. All that's going to do is, is is shut some people out, and it's, it's not like you can say ten thousand is too small to be uh, a World Series main event. So I, I I think that's fine, but I just don't like how they're adding these bracelet events. Which yeah, they're going to get huge fields, but it's starting to look a lot like the the circuit. It's starting to look less and less like the Summer World Series of Poker in Vegas. I, I don't like. Well, the... this is short-term thinking, Druff. I mean, they're they're basically they're trading um, an immediate gain for the long-term tarnishing of the uh, brand prestige. Is basically what they're doing. Yeah, that's that's why I don't like it. Start to once it starts to approach the looking like a daily, which right. it's starting to do. Then then we've got a problem here. That's not what the World Series should be about. So I don't like these. If they want these huge field events, fine, but don't. Don't do it by lowering the buy-in to 365. So that annoys me, and I'm, I'm not going to be playing that or, or right. the Colossus. I played the Colossus one year. I said never again. Now, what if someone bought you into it? Well, then I'd play it. But <laughs> You would play it. Oh, if someone even, bought me in? E- yeah, sure. Even the giant? 
if someone just bought, well, it depends what the deal was. If they just said, "Here's money, go play and and keep oh. what you win." Then yes, if it's some kind of staking thing, no, because I could, I wouldn't even want a staking thing with that because it's I'd be investing enough time as it is to probably either not cash or cash very little. So I I don't want to be splitting that with someone. Uh, but if I were to do it. If someone just gave me the money and said, "Here, go play," I wouldn't refuse. If I if I was able to keep it in play, if yeah. if if I was splitting it with them or something, I wouldn't because it's not, it's not like I can't afford to enter it. So uh, anyway, that's that's my feelings on the giant and this online thing that I, I don't like these sub five hundred buy in events that they've introduced this year. Uh, the tag I see the tag team no limit. Uh, there's a second version of it that's one thousand dollar, which is on June fifth. So. Provided I actually play the 08 on June 1st, I will be there on June 5th. Which, so maybe I will play with someone this year. Um, let's see what else I, I noticed there as I scroll down. Um, the Millionaire Maker's back on June 10th, which is the same weekend as the Giant. But remember, the Giant only takes place on one day of each week. So the... The Saturday of that week is that weekend, July uh, June 10th, is the Millionaire Maker, which is steadily done pretty well. This is just a well, again, it's saying one re-entry per flight. See, I, I I still think that's a mistake. I think what they mean is one entry per flight. <laughs> I am going to have to ask them about this. Everything the Millionaire Maker has. I've never seen this before. You could do one re-entry per flight. That would be new for this year for any event. Would it surprise you, though? I mean, they're trying to maximize their rake? No, it wouldn't surprise me. It's just kind of a little weird. I, I still think they're using re-entry incorrectly, but I'll find out. I will. I bet you it really is a re-entry. Yeah. That's going to be confusing for people, though. You can re-enter once in each flight. And then you can re-enter in the other flights. So if if you let's say you play the Millionaire Maker on on day one A and you bust, you can go and re-enter. If you bust a second time, they'll say you can't re-enter today, but you can re-enter tomorrow. What what are the odds that they'll fuck it up? <laughs> if that's if that's the rule, it's probably high odds that they screw that up. That's weird. You know, like it's someone will someone will end up like rebuying, um, you know, four times in one day because yeah. they won't. <laughs> so you know, someone is not going to know. What yeah. I mean, they, they could program it in the computer, but I could see mistakes with them too with doing that. Right. So, so they have that uh, the Millionaire Maker. There's a new another gimmick tournament uh, with a name, the Marathon. Now, why do you think it'd be called the Marathon? Because it's long and boring. <laughs> well, you're you're close, but maybe two thousand six hundred and twenty dollars. Yes. Have you ever run a marathon, Drew? No, but I, I know what they're referring to here. The the marathon, the the race, the marathon is twenty six point two miles. So this is called the marathon because you, it's twenty six hundred twenty dollar buy in and it's two thousand twenty six thousand two hundred starting chips with one hundred minute levels. So I believe this is taking place of the extended play, uh, no limit hold'em, which I like. Do, do you know why uh, the marathon? Is twenty six point two miles? Yes, uh, it had to do with, uh, I think, a, a Greek soldier running that amount uh, yep. during the battle, and then he died at the end of it. Well, so, he he ran from uh, Marathon, uh, which was a city in Greece, to Athens to warn them about an attack. That's right. And then he, and, then he, didn't and he, he die died at the end of it? shortly after warning them. Yeah. 
So I, did, I, I actually did two marathons. And you want to know one of the, the weirdest thing about that? Like the, the most unexpected pain that I had from that? Um, you know, you would think that if you never run a marathon before, you'd be like, well, you know, I, I might get uh, joint pain or my feet might hurt or yeah. whatever. No, it's your nipples. <laughs> what? No, was rubbing against, your, rubbing against your shirt? Was that what it was? Rubbing in your shirt and the uh. fact that it, it does it. And, you know, it, depending on the weather you're in, you know, you might have uh, your headlights on too, right? Oh, well, and and it, with it rubbing like that for that long of a time, it ends up rubbing it raw to the point where you'll see a, a decent number of uh, inexperienced mar- marathon runners. They'll have a blood trail. A dual blood trail going down maybe this is like the a, front of their shirt. Maybe this is like a New York thing. My my dad ran marathons and never told me about this. I no. What people do now is they tape up their nipples. Yeah. They either they either put like tape over them, um, you know, like some women do when they're wearing certain dresses, um, or they'll put like that uh, liquid uh, band aid stuff on them. So oh. basically, wearing pasties when they're <laughs> they're running. No, I swear to God, I never heard about this. But the, you know, my problem was. When I got to about 10 miles, I tended to hit a wall, and mm-hmm. I just – I know you have to do some training to build yourself up to be able you to do to. the, the 26 A lot of miles. that is the calluses too. Um, you, you need to get those calluses on your feet. Otherwise, you're going to be in just complete pain when you're trying to do it. Yeah. And then mentally, mentally, you need to know what it's like to run 22 miles if you're going to try and finish a marathon for sure. What really – Get some people as they they finish twenty, and then they go, oh crap! I have a whole ten k left because yeah. the ten k is six point two miles, and runners get used to doing ten k's, and I've done a number of ten k's before, yep. and uh, so I think about that. I go, crap! Imagine starting this after doing twenty miles. Yeah, and I'll tell you the the first marathon that I did was at uh, it's called the Avenue of Giants, so it's up in uh, Eureka. Um, and it's actually through the Redwood Forest up there. Yeah, yeah, I was just there, um, in fact, uh, two years ago. Yeah, so it was a beautiful place to do the run, but I, I got, and that was my first one, and a lot of people experience the same thing, is they get kind of a runner's high, and, you know, <laughs> the the expression is, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint or whatever, but you really, really have to keep that in mind and pace yourself, because I, I almost exhausted myself to the point oh. where I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to finish. Um, I ended up, I did finish, but it was it was like a death march uh, for the last little bit. Now, now do you still run nowadays? Um, I mean, yeah, when I'm running to the fridge to get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I hike a lot, but I no, I don't really run that much. Yeah. My father actually still does it. He's uh, 73 years old. And he's good for him. He, you know, he doesn't, uh, he, he bikes now too, and he just run less. And I think it's, you know, I think it takes its toll on your, uh, and your knees and your shins, and you, you get to that age, it starts to be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely does. It definitely does. But, but uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, I never did a marathon. Uh, I did a 10k. The best time I got in a 10k, I think, it was 42 minutes. And uh, the other funny thing about uh, marathons that a lot of people don't think about is uh, you're doing the marathon, and you know, part of the way through, it's such an exhausting thing that all kind of shame or, or social norms are out the window you'll see just men and women just off the side of the road just peeing <laughs> i mean just everywhere just with no regard and, and, and nobody cares either because everyone knows you know kind of what it's like to go through that um, but there's no uh there's no real shame involved when you're stressing yourself that much huh. so that's uh the marathon on uh, june 12th 
that's actually uh, beginning on a Monday of all things. So they oh oh, and and someone in the chat just said to uh, taint butter. <laughs> oh, great. Um, and and oh, this is actually hilarious. Like I I remember at uh, I did the second marathon I did was the Honolulu marathon on Oahu, and a bunch of Japanese came over, right? And I know what it can be like in terms of the the chafing. You know, I already mentioned the nipples thing. I saw a bunch of these guys that were dressed in like um, a traditional like sumo outfit. You know what I mean? It looks like a, a a towel turned into a g string. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And these guys were running a marathon wearing that shit. You know? And I'm like, oh my god, these guys are going to have the worst ass burn of their lives. It's like <laughs> having a rope between your butt cheeks. And someone, like, pulling it up and down for three or four hours. You know what I mean? And I saw one of these guys uh, pull off. And on the side of the road, they have helpers that have big vats of Vaseline um, that they give to you to help, you know, uh, make things easier. And I, I never know that heard these about guys, these just, they just lubed up their, their little <laughs> their little. I, I never heard about all these things. They make, it makes sense, but I never heard about this stuff. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So after, right after the marathon – which is actually too bad because it's I won't be able to play it. This is I would have played the marathon. Though there's one thing I wouldn't have liked about the marathon and that is the buy-in's too high. Because once the buy-in goes over 2500, the field gets much tougher. That's just always been the case of the World Series. So this yep. is 2620, which would have made it tougher. But for me it's a moot point because on the same day 4 hours later is $1500 buy-in no uh, limit hold'em, not no limit hold'em. 1500 limit hold'em. That's the first limit hold'em event, which obviously I'm not going to miss. So we'll have to forego the marathon, which I would have played, even with that buy-in. But uh, I, I think that Seth Polanski and Jack Effel, you know, knowing that I've criticized Caesars in the World Series many times over the years, I think they decided to torture me this year. I think they decided that they are going to get their passive-aggressive revenge. And this is how they did it. They said, we know that he is not here for the whole World Series. We know that he's here, then he leaves, he's here, then he leaves, and we're not going to make this easy on him. Now, what can we do to make it as tough as possible? Like, what's the spacing we can make for the three-limit Hold'em events to where it's just <laughs> enough time to where he can't leave? But not too, you know, so it's not too close, otherwise it's it's convenient for him, and it's not too far away where he can leave and come back. What, what's the perfect spacing? What's the sweet spot to make the most inconvenient for me? You're taking this very personally, Drew. Well, no, what do you think it is? <laughs> what do you think the sweet spot is to make the most inconvenient inconvenient for me if I want to leave and come back? I would say, let's see, World Series is going to be going for about two months, maybe. Uh, two weeks in between each one. No, I like wish that. that. That see, that's not bad. I, that I could that would do. Be good. No, one okay. week. One week is this is what they did, which is terrible. Well, the well, problem stay the, there for three weeks. See, the thing is, I'd like to leave and come back, and I and I can't really do that here. Then I'm I'm just that's what I'm going to have to do. Is just uh, probably just come for this duration here. And uh, so the June twelfth is the limit hold'em fifteen hundred. Then. June 19th, exactly a week later, is the 10K Limit Hold'em event. And then June 27th is the 3,000 Limit Hold'em 6 Max, which is eight days later. So seven, seven, eight, you know, it's, it's a, we're seven and eight days in between for these three. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to leave in between at some point or if I'm going to uh, just stay the entire... This is going to be like two and a half weeks if I do it, so... 
I, I was disappointed to see that. And no, I, I don't really seriously think they did this because of me. I just think that uh, – I, I don't know why they did it though. That's, that's I can't give a reason for this because the, in past years they they were smarter about it and they put them fairly close together knowing that limit holdem players are going to come in for it and leave. And you may say, okay, well, this is clever. This way it forces them to come back and play other events. But no, these events are slowly dying. They're slowly losing people every year. Yeah. So, so this is just going to make them die. They're losing faster. people because the people that play it die, like literally die. <laughs> so, so, so this is going to make these events die off faster. If if you're making people interested in playing, uh, either just miss one or more of them, or, or try to force them to come back, they're probably just not going to do it. Probably most of them are going to just pick one and and stay home for the other two. So. That especially people coming from far away, like at least I'm close enough. You know, but people think of people coming from where you are in New York, they're not going to fly out twice for this or three times no, for this. Especially not if they're a rec player. But if I mean, if they're a rec player, they're probably not. Uh, they're probably not playing limit hold'em. Anyway. Yeah, the rec players who play limit hold'em, they yeah, they kind of just play while they don't really come out for it. Usually, there's there's some, but most most of the players who are rec players and amateurs, they that are in these events. They tend to be there for other things. Say, oh, limit hold them. Let me play that too. So, I, I don't know why they did that, but I'm I'm disappointed to see that. So yeah, the first limit hold them event is on June 12th. Uh, let me go on here. There's the Millionaire Maker, which I already mentioned. That we'll get go past that. Uh, there's a, a 1K PLO. If you want to, if you like PLO on June thirteenth, the day after the fifteen hundred limit hold'em, I love PLO, but I think PLO tournaments are retarded. Yeah, I, I haven't played one, but I, I can imagine. Well, I kind of think. I mean, I, I don't have the highest opinion of tournaments to begin with, just because of the, you know, the variance factor. I'm certainly not saying there isn't a skill in uh, in playing tournaments, but you have to play so many of them for it to be realized, you know, your actual expectation. And PLO turn, I mean, given the variance in PLO, it's even worse, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So th- then there's a, a, an event, uh, number 32, the Mixed Omaha, which is PLO 8 or better, um, 08, and Big O, which is a five-card uh PLO uh, PLO eight. So they now when it says or, I don't know how they do that. I guess they had this last year too. I didn't remember it, but I guess this is another one I didn't notice last year. But uh, it shows a champion from last year, so apparently it existed. But that's on June sixteenth. I should have checked which of these were last year. I just I, I didn't notice that one last year either. Uh, there's, there's some You're 15- slipping You're slipping bro. I am it's, it's just my memory's starting to go So there's a Various No limit hold'em events Like 1500 Sprinkled in there uh, In between these I'm talking about They have the seniors And super oh, seniors again Oh, oh no what? The Hanson kid Just got three outered For a 4k pot Oh he's playing too No no he, Well he's playing on that uh, Oh on the show On his show okay. I, thought, live I thought you meant yeah. He's in our free roll Okay. Uh, okay. So no for actual for that for actual real money. Oh, that's too bad. Okay. So you're doing a lot of things. You're playing the free roll. You're watching the Hanson kid. You're on the show. You're doing a good job with and, multitasking. And I'm doing work too. I'm wow. I'm emailing, doing some. Other I can't stuff. believe you're doing all these things here. Wow. That's what happens when you have kids, man. So 
they have uh, the seniors and super seniors again. These are each a thousand. The seniors, you have to be 50 or over. The super seniors, you have to be 65 or older. I think the seniors one is stupid. Uh, it's 50, calling 50 a senior is really a stretch, especially these days. With they people didn't adjust that longer. for inflation either. Yeah, <laughs> they they adjusted it down. I mean, they actually I don't know what maybe it was fifty the whole time, but whatever. Yeah, life expectancies have gotten longer. They yeah, think. that's what I'm saying. They so to adjust that up too. That's what I'm saying here. So to have a seniors event, and of course they're doing this for money. So you go play the seniors event when you're 50 years old. And you're like, oh yes, I'm going to beat all these old men. I'm not old myself. I'm only 50. I feel young. I'm going to go crush all these old guys. And you sit down, how old are you? 50. How old are you? 51. How old are you? 52. How old are you? 50. How old are you? 53. How old are you? 51. And, and there might actually be some decent poker players that age now. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, a lot of, yeah. there are a lot of people who are over 50 that are good. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, a decade ago, that was probably not really the case. Yeah. So this probably isn't even that easy. Like, you'll probably be there with, like, mostly people in their 50s, all of whom are, are, are competent. So you're going to. I, well, I, don't, I don't know about that. Well, okay, I shouldn't say all of whom. <laughs> many of whom are competent. It won't be all of whom. There will you're be. Being, you're being very generous. No, and I'll, and I'll be honest. Look, for for all my criticism of this, in five years I'm going to play this. In five years, provided it fits into my schedule, I'll play it. I'll, I'm going to fall yeah. for the gimmicky uh, marketing just for that. You know, just number one, I've got to see for myself, and number two, there probably will be. You know, just the fact that we're missing these young hotshots in there, right, will be an advantage, even if the there's a lot of decent uh, older people in there or you know, people in their 50s. Just the absence of these internet kids in their 20s will be very nice to have. <laughs> so. yeah, that's if there are even internet hotshots in five years, right? Yeah. yeah with that, uh, that story about the bot just crushing them, which it's I know true. we're going to get to later. <laughs> so I'll play it, but... It, the whole thing's really just for money. That's why they make it 50-plus, not because they really think 50-plus is a senior. Right. Uh, Super Seniors is the real seniors event. These two are fairly close together. They're uh, two days apart. Now, wh- why can't they do the Limit Hold'em the same way? Why Why do the seniors... They should just they... turn the Limit Hold'em event into the Super Seniors event. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know, I'll be fine with that because I'll get rid of all those Minnesota guys. There's this yeah. whole group of Minnesota guys who were in college like... Uh, in the early 2000s, and now they're in their 30s. Those are a couple of those guys that um, that just fleeced uh, Hanson, right? Gus Hanson. I, I you mean, limit hold them or uh, I'm talking in about the, the uh, 08. I thought you said you knew those guys. Uh, I no, uh, I knew one. Guy, yeah, no, I knew one of them who beat him in the 08. Yeah, but yeah, the, what the hell was their what the hell were their screen names? I'm forgetting now. I don't remember the screen names, but you know, the one who oh, beat, it was something. It was something Asian. There's something. Oh god! I, I don't remember that, but the one who beat Gus Hansen uh, for a lot on full tilt in one session for like 800k was uh, Eric Crane, aka Jack's Poker, who's now a daily fantasy sports pro. And, oh yeah, and I, he, I've met Eric a couple of times. Yeah, he's actually a really nice guy. Yeah, he, he is a nice guy. He he lost uh, he lost the 800k back very quickly too. And I even warned him. I said like I'm like okay, be careful with this. Don't shoot it all off. Oh no, I'll be careful. Of course, it was gone he, really he fast. He played a very splashy style. Very splashy. Yeah. Also, with him, you never knew which Eric Crane was going to show up. Like you sometimes have the good one who plays reasonable, and you have like just the super wild, uh, hyper aggressive maniac style. Hmm. And I never knew what dictated 
which one I would get, but I, I played with him online a lot. It was so weird. Maybe, he wasn't... maybe how good his sports bets were going. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know, but I, I think he's mostly out of poker now. He plays. Uh, he, he's very big into fantasy sports, and he won uh, a lot of money in that last year. He, he won one of those million-dollar uh, prizes. Nice. And... Is he an employee? No, no, it was amazingly not. Uh, but I thought, I thought only employees could win. I, I will say though, if you dare say anything bad about daily fantasy sports to him, he just goes off. Like I made a joke. Uh, I, I made a joke about it on Twitter to him, and he got so mad. He's like, "Why don't you stick to poker? You don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, "Whoa, okay." Uh, hopefully, I didn't just piss him off with that. Yeah. So it, I, the funny thing is, like, he's generally a, a nice and uh, upbeat guy. But you, I'm telling you, if you. He was one of the few poker pros that I played with that wasn't just completely fucking miserable. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he even <laughs> describes himself as like a happy person, and it's true he yeah. usually is. But if you dare insult daily fantasy sports, it's like you insult his mother. It's probably worse than insulting his mother. So hmm. anyway, and this is before he won like the the you know those huge prizes he did uh, late last year. This was earlier where he was just I, I just made like a joke about it too. I wasn't even making this, some kind of like serious editorial about it, but. Anyway, uh, going on here, the they have a thousand dollar no limit hold'em super turbo bounty. Now, if you remember last year, they had a bounty event, and they still have that. And I played it last year, and I cashed in that. I I got three bounties. I'm talking about the regular bounty. It was a 50, the, the regular bounty, which is taking place again this year on June 26th. That's a fifteen hundred dollar buy-in. And there's a five hundred dollar bounty for each person you knocked out. I enjoyed that event, and I I actually made uh, day two in it. I, I ran pretty well on day one and finished with a nice stack, and I knocked three people out. Day two, I ran awful and just got destroyed right away. So I cashed in it though, and the bounties themselves, in fact, paid for my buy-in. But uh, so that's back. But there's another bounty this year called the Super Turbo Bounty. And these have 20-minute levels, and each player is a bounty worth 300 This is a $1,000 buy-in, this one. I don't like these super turbo events. Uh, again, this is something I don't really think belongs at the World Series. Uh, why have an event where, the, where they're intentionally making the structure bad? That's really what it is. So, well, so that people can bust out and enter something else yeah. really quickly, and they can get more rick. Right, that, that's the actual reason. <laughs> <laughs> but from the player's perspective, you know, why, why would you intentionally enter something like that? Where now you can say, well, there's a skill in that of knowing, you know, you had to play a little differently because it's it's turbo and people play that online and get used to it. I understand that, but the, the truth is, it, it's just an event with an intentionally bad structure. That I guess there's some skill in to know how to play a, an intentionally bad structure, but wh- why have that at the World Series? Well, it might appeal to a bunch of rec players that you know. First of all, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. Maybe they find poker boring if they have to sit there too long, right? And maybe, you know, some of the other ones that have been around poker for a little bit but are still rec players, uh, maybe they realize that it gives them uh, a shot, you know, because they can they can get lucky for a short period of time and actually do something. What I will say, though, is that the I think the regular rec player probably won't do that well in this because – they won't understand how to adjust. Like they're just going to play. They'll play too tight for the for the turbo right. and get blinded down too fast. That's my that's my guess. Anyway, that's uh, that's on June twentieth. If you have any interest in that, uh, if anybody wants to play the PLO, there's a fifteen hundred version of it on June twenty first, which is event number forty one. There, 
going down the list here. The Monster Stack is back on June 24th. That you only have one entry. Not one re-entry, just one entry. It even says that. So one entry, there are two starting flights on the 24th and 25th. $1,500, you get uh, 15,000 starting chips. I, I found that because of the structure, the stack doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter how many chips you're starting with if, if, it's, if the blinds are starting too high or moving up too fast. So um, it does start off you know, level 125.50, and you're starting with 15,000 starting chips. So at that point, everybody's super deep. Then it goes 5,100, but then very quickly it, it, it escalates. Uh, the next level, 75,150 with an ante. Next, 100, 200 with an ante. Next, 150, 300 with 50 ante. Next, 200, 450 ante. Then, 300, 500, 250, 575 ante. Then, 300, 675 ante. So, yes, it's it's slower because these are our levels. Then, uh, it, it is a deeper stacked event, but not as deep as you think because it moves up a lot faster than the normal 1500 events, which start with 7500. And you're only so starting. Jeff, the, with... the, the people that are entering the seniors event, like the real seniors event, the super seniors event. Yeah. Would you give them the same uh, advice and recommendations that you give everyone else uh, in terms of spanking one out before they go down to play? I don't think they can. I, Why not? I, th- I think they won't be able to get it up. Would you recommend they you know, take Viagra just so they can? No, I don't think in it's necessary. In order to get, gain that kind of psychological no, edge? See, they don't, I don't think they need to because they, at that age – most men, and not all men, but most men, their sex drive has deteriorated a lot. So it's, I, I think they don't have the need to do that as much as the younger guys. Mm. I, I, thought, I thought you had reasons beyond just the sex drive thing. I thought it was, the, you know, it made you mellow and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, no, but I'm saying I, it also creates – the sex drive thing kind of creates a distraction. So right. if this you got way a hot you, dealer, and yeah, or, or just or more of the, the the girlfriends of the players or you know, the other players around there. So I'm saying that if you don't have that much of a sex drive to begin with, then you don't really have to do that. Gotcha. So uh, I, I've heard from men in their fifties, not all of them, but some men in their fifties have told me that after fifty, sometime after fifty, not magically on their fiftieth birthday, but that they have lost a lot of their sex drive. That it it, it went down considerably, and as I'm getting closer to that age, as I know you are too, uh, I, I'm wondering if I will experience that when I get to that age. Because to be honest, I haven't really noticed much of a decline in, in my I, drive. I haven't noticed any decline at all. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think I've noticed... <laughs> maybe, like I'm a, just, maybe I'm just a pervert. I don't know. Well, no, I, I think I've I noticed, noticed like, a, a, like a tiny decline, but no, nothing noticeable, nothing really that... Uh, is significant even since like what's said to be the male sexual peak at 19 or 20 it's, it's probably just a little bit less than then for me so and, and i'm like 45 so i like in 10 years is it going to be significantly different some some guys have told me that yes like after 50 it really fell off but then i know some other guys who are like old perverts that are in their 50s and 60s and 70s so right a dirty old man yeah so what about them like they probably didn't lose it so i i don't know what to say i don't know i'll have to wait and see but I, I have to guess the super seniors, uh, they, they probably don't have to worry about having to do that. But that's a good question. Thank, thank you for bringing it up. So uh, you think the 2 plus 2 poker cast mentions this in the middle of the World Series discussion? You think that's uh, something Adam I, brings I, up? I don't think that's on Adam's list. No. Okay, so 
So only here are you going to get this excellent advice. No, it's true. I, I don't think any other radio show or podcast is, is going to advise you to jerk off before the events. Yeah. I don't think – but yet it's good advice. And I think a lot of guys would agree it's good advice. But well, you, know what I, you know what I think it must be like when you, you get older and the sex drive goes down or whatever? It, it's kind of like um, you know, just after you've nutted, you know, the, the woman's body is not uh, – uh, 10 minutes before or whatever, it was like the most desirable thing in the world. And then after you're done, you're just like, oh, hmm. I don't know why I really wanted that. Thing. You, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I know. Yes. Like, like, yes. Like, like, it's kind of switches. That's true. Like, oh. I've thought of that before, too, that, that probably having a low sex drive is similar to, yeah, to, to right after you're finished and, yep. uh, and, and that you have like a temporary low sex drive or no sex drive. And that instead of being like 10, 15 minutes or whatever it takes, it, it's actually just yeah, it's like, forever. I, it doesn't do go I, away. Did I, you kind of just look over and you look at it and you're like, wow, did I really want that fur burger that badly? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then, you know, not too long after, you're like, oh, give me another one. Yeah. You know? So that's <laughs> – I, I, th- I think that is uh, a, a good example. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought about it like – I thought about it that way too. I thought about it, I can't picture myself not having it and have it just be gone. But then I go, well, wait a minute. I, I have helped. I have felt when it was gone for like you know ten yeah. or fifteen minutes. So I bet it'll exactly. be like that. I've thought of that too. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So uh, we're addressing the important issues here at uh, Poker Fraud Alert. Radio. Yeah, these are very important things to to know here during the World yeah. Series discussion we are having. So okay, there's a PLO eight ten k event on the twenty eighth. The Limit Hold'em ten k event is on the twenty seventh. Or sorry, 3K event on the 27th. Um, here's one. I, I don't know if they had this last year. I'm not going to say they didn't. In fact, I, I can find out by clicking on it. I, I keep saying this is new and then it's not, and I feel like a fool. Now, this one, they, they had it last year. <laughs> so uh, there's, a, there's an event you haven't mentioned that I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything until you're done because I'm surprised you haven't mentioned it. Okay, I probably skipped it and missed it. But here, here's the, uh, the 2500 uh, 08... Uh, a seven-card stud, high-low eight or better mix, which they're having. That's the one I thought you were going to mention. The the it's one thousand five hundred though, right? There's a twenty-five hundred on the twenty-ninth. Oh, okay. So yeah, the, I, would, I would have thought that you and Brandon might be interested in that one. I bet Brandon is. I just I'm just not much of a stud player. The 08 part is fine. It's the also. Oh no no no. Okay no no no. That's not the one that I was talking about. Then I'm sorry. Yeah. So I was talking about event number 32. 32. Which is the PLO8. Um, it's it's a combination of PLO8 and Big O. Oh, I mentioned that one actually. Well, what the hell was I doing? I don't know. Probably uh, multitasking. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh. So so on. There's what they call the Big Bet Mix, which I think this is a new one. I, th- I think finally I found a new one here. Did I? Did I? Did I? Yes, I did. This is new. The Big Bet Mix is event number 59. It's a Big O, No Limit Hold'em, No Limit uh, Deuce to Seven Low Ball, uh, PLO, uh, sorry, PLO8, uh, No Limit Five Card Draw, uh, uh, pot limit uh, Omaha uh, deuce to seven, and pot limit Omaha triple draw. So they call this it the, big... the anti seniors event. Yeah, it really is. They call it the big bet mix because these are uh, all big bet games, meaning uh, no limit or pot limit. These are not. Uh, there's a mix of games that are not limit games. 
So that's a new thing this year. You're right, there probably won't be many uh, seniors in it. Uh, they have the Crazy Eights event. Remember the uh, the Sevens event? I forgot what it was called, the 777 event. This yeah. is a similar version. This is called the Crazy Eights for $888. And surprise to su- surprise, the guarantee is $888,888. So lucky event for the Asians. Well, is it sponsored by 888? It should be, but it's not. That's the funny uh, it thing. Really, it really should be. Yeah, they really... But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's because the, 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 the number eight sounds like uh, the word prosperity. Uh, is basically what the, the deal with that is. You know, I blew it because I had a phone number when I was... Uh, when I lived in Riverside, California. The phone number was 684-8888, which I, I made an effort to get, okay? And I got that phone number... And when I, I moved out of there, you couldn't port numbers or anything back then. So this is back in the mid-90s. So you could you could sell the number to somebody else, but you couldn't go take it with you somewhere else unless you were moving within Riverside. So I kind of weakly looked for someone to sell it to, like a pizza place or something, but nobody's really interested. So I just let it go. <laughs> well, no, it's a good number. It's 684 yeah. So. Yeah. But I, I, I realized I really I, I blew it. I am just seeing you, like, for some reason, I'm picturing you, like, going from door to door to these <laughs> businesses. Like, hey, uh, I got this number. Do you guys uh, you guys want to buy it from me? I, I made a few phone calls. I'll say that. So, <laughs> Did you actually visit anywhere? Did no, you, like, I just made fun, I, and no, I just made phone calls. Okay. So, so How many? Anyway, How many? I, I, I don't remember. But it, wasn't, I, it was kind of a weak attempt. When I wasn't getting much action with it, I said, forget it. It's not worth the trouble. But I realized I, I may have screwed up because what I should have done is advertise it. I bet some Asian would have bought it for, from me because there were a lot of Asians in the area. And having a number ending with eights and even with an eight in the middle, six, eight, four, I, I would have thought that may have been big with uh, some superstitious Asian that would have wanted it with, the, all, the, with all the eights. But uh, the Crazy Eights event, that begins on July 1st. And unlimited reentry. There are four flights. This should be a pretty big field as well. It's a new event. There's a higher version of the $333 online event. This one is $3,333. Unlimited re-entry on WSOP.com. That's event number 61, also on July 1st. How is that a high roller? Compared to 333 oh, it is. Online. Yeah, compared to 333 that's really high. <laughs> like, but I mean the but the amount of money is the same. Like, no, I know it's 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 a stupid thing to call high roller. Like you, you hear high roller these days, it's always like twenty five k minimum. So and then they, like what we we're talking about before in terms of you know adjusted for inflation. I mean, it just seems. Well, hold on, you, you'll you're about to get the answer to your question. Why is that called a high roller? Mm-hmm. Because event number seventy one on Friday, July seventh, is the thousand dollar buy in wsop dot com. Online No Limit Hold'em Championship. <laughs> so, <laughs> the championship, their their main event online is a thousand dollars, and so the it's three. Weird though, it's almost a reversal because I mean, not anymore, but back in the day, um, the online events were even bigger than the World Series, you know, and the and the really big cash games were all played online. Yeah. The ladies' event is still there. That's uh, on July 7th. Now, they have to officially call it a $10,000 
event, but that's only for the men. For the women, they get in for 1000 for a, quote, discount. That's the only way they can get around the law. There cannot be gender discrimination by the law. So right. they cannot sh- shut out the men. So the way they've prevented the Sean Deeb types from showing up in drag. What, which if, it, you're, what if you're non-binary gender? Well, so I've wondered what the story is with that. I, I bet it has to do with your, uh, your ID. So if you if you have an ID that says female, then you get for one thousand. But what if you go down there and you're like, I don't identify as female, or I don't identify as male, or whatever? I think they'll say you got to get that handled up from the point of view of your state government and your ID. Hmm. So anyway, that's that's a story with that one. It's a uh, thousand for women, ten thousand for men. And this is to prevent men from entering the women's event. Do you remember? Uh, I don't know if you listened to the show. We had, I think. A year or two ago, at one of the EPT events in France, they had women's events and men's events, and it was such a failure because it was just mixed gender in the whole thing, and, and you got the list of final tableists, and it, there were women who made the men's final table, there were men who made the women's final table, a man won the women's event, it was just, a, it was embarrassing. It, it, was, right. it wasn't just like a few people entering, it was like, it might as well have been a totally mixed event, so... Uh, and then it happened on both sides. You had women in the men's event too, some of whom actually made the final table. So it was a joke. Like, why even have it if that's going to go on? At least they kind of found a solution here. The big one-drop tournament, which alternates for whatever reason from a million dollars to $111,000 every other year, so this year it's $111,111 buy-in for the One Drop. This is for the One Drop charity that Guy La Liberté runs. Uh, I have to imagine the 111000 version, you get a lot more people who are buying themselves in, or at least they have a larger piece of themselves. The problem with the million-dollar buy-in one is other than the really, really rich businessmen who enter it, most of the pro poker players are backed in that. Yep. Often by Guy himself. So And they'd be dumb not to be back. To yeah, I like like otherwise unless you're making your money outside of poker, you're not gonna ever make enough playing poker to justify entering a million dollar buy in tournament. That's just insane. Well, yeah, I mean it's just a percentage of your net worth in terms of whether it makes sense to sell pieces, really. And you gotta have a lot of money. Yeah, to play a million. <laughs> like, a, like I'm I'm talking about a real lot of money yeah. for that to even make any sense. Uh, then there's the main event. It has three starting flights as it has in recent years. And by the way, the starting chips for all these events, unless otherwise noted, is still five times whatever the buy-in is. Gotcha. And I, I've still, I'm still of the belief that the World Series of Poker is making a mistake by not having more chip sets of different types. Because I still believe, even though by having this type of uh, of chip distribution where the number of chips you get is five times more than the dollar value you enter, so theoretically the each chip in each event is worth the same amount in dollars. Each chip is, is basically worth 20 cents to start off with, except in the other ones, which are like the monster stack, but then they use a different chip set for those. But the problem still, even when they do that, even when they make it uniform like this, the problem is that later in tournaments, deep in tournaments, 
if you could get away with it, it would make financial sense to pocket some chips and then use them in a tournament later. And I'm not encouraging anyone to do this, and I've never done this myself, and I, I wouldn't do it. But this is a reason they should have more chip sets. And so let's let's say you're in a tournament and you're, you're deep in there, and the the average stack is uh, four hundred thousand chips, and you have average, you have four hundred thousand chips. If you take five or ten thousand off your stack, it's it's virtually meaningless at that point. I mean, yeah, there could be a fluke situation where that is the difference between you busting or or staying alive and making a miraculous comeback. But for the most part, that five or ten k out of four hundred k in a tournament is going to mean just about nothing. But if so, let's say you lift 10k off your stack and turn your 400k stack into 390. That 10k worth of chips, if used the next day, or whatever next event you play, to let's say a $1,500 buy-in event where you get 7,500 in chips, uh, here you could use that to more than double your stack. And of course, you wouldn't be stupid to you know drop it in there right away. You'd you'd slip it in every so often, and people wouldn't notice. And it, it wouldn't be that hard to do. And again, from, I'm not t- from an ICM point of view, I mean, does it really make that much of a difference? So even though you're doubling your stack, you're certainly not doubling your expectation in that tournament. No, you're not. But it, but I think that it makes a lot more difference. If, if someone gave me the option, forget the cheating angle. If someone just said, "Okay, we are allowing you to do this. You can take. You have a 400k in this in this event right now, fairly deep here. We're going to let you take 10k off and 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 drop that 10k on your stack tomorrow." For uh, for a new event you're playing, that's a seventy five hundred dollars starting chip. Will you do it? And you you can add the chips at your discretion when you want to add. I'd say for sure, because that's right. I, I I think that's much more meaningful at that point. I'd have to I'd have to run the ICM numbers and see if it actually um, if it actually is. But I hear what you're saying. So I mean, the only counterpoint I can come up to that is that if they did have a whole bunch of additional chipsets, it actually might make it easier for people to counterfeit them. Um, and the reason is that the staff has got a whole lot more uh, thing uh, chips that they need to get familiar with in terms of what they really should look like. You know, I know what you're saying, but I don't think I've ever seen the staff scrutinize chips unless it's brought to their attention something's wrong. I've never right. seen them say like, "Let's look at this. Is this a good chip? Okay, it's good. Take it." Like I've not, I've just seen they they put them down, and I, it's understandable they don't do that because there's just so many chips in play. They they wouldn't well then have time the players then. I mean, it makes it less likely the players also are going to be able to notice a difference and thus bring it up to them because they're not. You know, if they let, let's say you took it to the extreme and every tournament had a different chip set, they're never going to get familiar enough with them to really be able to tell. You know what is a good what. It could be counterfeit, and what isn't? Yeah, yeah, but the, but they do have chipsets they don't use very much, like the ones they use for the the monster stack and, and other ones that are not of this five to one distribution. So they do have tournaments like that. Yeah. So I, I just I just have always felt that this would be something people could do to give themselves an edge in future tournaments without costing themselves much in uh, the current tournament they're in. So. I, I've even seen this before. Like I've seen where like the ante gets to the point where it's the size of the buy-in or, or the size of the, the, the starting chip stack or where the blind is, the big blind is. And I go, uh, 
you know, someone just stole my blind. Okay, no big, no big deal. I'm going, hmm, yeah, imagine if I just could have all these chips in another tournament. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, like it just seems that that amount seems so insignificant at that point when you're that deep. But then you think, wow, this is what I started off with. This was a lot at one point. So that, that's where I came up with this belief that I think they're making a mistake. Anyway, the main event, as I said, is uh, on the 8th, 9th, and 10th, days A, B, and C. Then the little one for one drop follows it on July 11th, 12th, and 13th. Those are the starting days. And then that is it. So it stretches, you know, at least the starting, the start of the World Series stretches. The last starting day is July 13th. The first starting day is May 31st. The first open starting day is also May 31st, which is that tag team 10K event. I always thought it was weird when they begin the World Series like this. Like, why start with events, like a non-open event, the casino employees and the tag team 10K event, which I can't imagine is going to get a lot of people. Why start off with that and then the 3K No Limit Hold'em Shootout and then the 1500.08, which isn't a Hold'em event? The first event that really appeals to the general public is event number five, which is kind of weird. You'd think they'd want to start it off with more of a bang than start it off with events that aren't going to be played in very much. I know the 08 gets a good, a fairly good uh, crowd, but I, I just would think it would be wiser for them to start on a weekend with one of these big No Limit Hold'em events and kind of get off to a start that excites everyone. Uh, if you want to play the World Series, I'd suggest you look into booking the Rio now. The Rio is the best place to stay if you're going to play the World Series of Poker, just the convenience factor of it. There's a lot of things you may not think of. You may say, oh, who cares? I'll just drive over there. I'm not that far away. I'll stay at a different hotel. I'll drive over there. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, but the problem is like on a break, what do you go do? I don't mean the 15-minute break for the bathroom. I mean the, the dinner break. What do you do? What if you want to go back to a room and relax? You can't. What, what if you want to go spank one out? That, that's a that's another good point. So you need privacy. I, I think it's always best to stay at the Rio for the World Series of Poker and look up the room rates, especially for the Colossus or any other weekend where there's likely to have a lot of people. Book early because the rates are going to shoot way up. And the, I, do they even, let me, I'm going to click on the room rates link here. I, see, I wonder if they have a poker rate. Let's see here. Um, I guess they do. The, the promo code you would enter is WSOP7. I'm going to look right now out of curiosity. And this is just as a general person, not as a seven-star I can stay there for free. But without logging in, so it can't see who I am. Sick brag. I had, to, I had to put a lot of effort into this, this seven star. This wasn't easy this year. I had to get trapped in Lake Tahoe. But I'm going to take a look here. That's like, you know, you know that joke like, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll make fun of myself here too. How, how do you know if someone has run a marathon draw? But I don't know. Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> so how do you know if someone's seven star? Don't worry. 
<laughs> They'll tell you. <laughs> okay, so the rates are already pretty outrageous. Uh, first of all, the the World Series of Poker rates are fail. They're they're ten percent off. That's the uh, the exciting rate you get for playing the World Series. So. Uh... <laughs> so anyway, can you hear the sound effects? By the way, or you still can't hear them? I can. You can. Good. Okay. So the Colossus weekend. Friday night and Saturday night are $224 right now at the Rio. That's if you use that promo code. Comparatively, the night before that is $62. So if you want to stay on June 1st, the night of June 1st is $62, then it jumps up to $224. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? No, they've done this in previous years, too. Then the following weekend of another big tournament, I think the Millionaire Maker, $197 each night of the weekend. The following week. you, You listen to the poker cast, right? Two plus uh, two poker casts. I, I have a time. I don't listen to it all the time. You know how they get this running thing where they do. Uh, people are always saying, you know, how many uh, miles they are from Kells. Yeah. You should express all the dollar things you have in uh, in rub and tucks. <laughs> so if you're staying, I don't even know what a price is. Let's say it's fifty bucks. I have no idea. So that would be to stay there on a on the night before would be about one rub and tug. And then to stay there on the next night would be about five. Yeah, right? four and a half. Yeah, four and a half. Yeah. Wow. So, That's but but like every week, every weekend's expensive. There, one ninety-seven the next weekend, two fifteen the next weekend. Then the the next weekend on June twenty-third is one seventy for Friday, uh, one ninety-seven for Saturday. The next weekend, the thirtieth and the first, uh, one seventy, one eighty-eight. The next weekend, the seventh and the eighth, one seventy-nine. The next weekend, the fourteenth and the fifteenth, one seventy-nine. So, the, and then oddly, I don't even know why this. See, this one I can't figure out. After the World Series is over, on the weekends of the twenty-first and twenty-second and twenty-eighth, twenty-ninth, you're paying two hundred nineteen dollars a night, which is really odd. I, there must be some convention or something at that time. So, yeah. So the weekends are just expensive at the Rio, and I'll tell you, the Rio is not worth anywhere near two hundred twenty-four dollars a night, but. You'll have to look what else is available. The problem is the whole city jacks up the rates during the Colossus weekend. The other weekends, you may have better luck at other properties. But the Colossus weekend, it's expensive everywhere. Because there's so many people that come to town for that. So that's that's the story with uh, the rates there. I think we've spent enough time on the World Series here. Uh, they're, they're arguing politics in the chat room. <laughs> they're not paying attention to us. So no, they're not. I don't think anyone's even listening to the show. No, I, I it's <laughs> they're just, just arguing. Yeah, it just looks like a <laughs> just looks like a political don't chat. Read, there. Don't read the chat. <laughs> I skimmed it. It's just a political chat. I guess we're boring them. Yeah, I guess maybe now they're <laughs> going to play the World Series. I, I do this every year. I yeah, I know we have some poker fans here, but uh, okay. Let's let's move on here. The I, I got a shot, Druff. I still got a shot at getting that fifty bucks. Oh, no, at winning your own fifty dollars. I mean, it's a slim shot, but I got a shot. Final table. Okay, now you're at the final table. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to read some texts we got here from the 303 area. They say the deep voice is amazing. So he agrees with you. Uh, no homo. But it, it sounds good. You know what? We, we're not getting many texts tonight. They're too busy arguing politics, I guess. I thought. By the way, I'm going to let everybody know something, which I, I tweeted as well. I had an issue with the text phone number 
for Poker Fraud Alert that I could not receive pictures. Or I, I could receive them for, for me to read them. It was a lot of trouble. They didn't just pop up on my phone. Uh, I've since gotten that fixed, so I can see pictures you send me now very easily on the 775-372-8355 number. So I announced this on Twitter and asked and said, send away, and I, I bet you know what I received. Dick pics. Yes, I, I got uh, a big penis sent to me. I hope it wasn't the penis of the, of the person sending it to me. But someone, I think, from like the 813 area code sent me the, the picture of a, of a big erect uh, I'm penis. I about to give someone 50 bucks. And I said, nope. Did you, I mean, how quickly did you delete it? I I just, like, closed it very quickly. I didn't even take the time to delete it. I just said, ah, <laughs> what? I knew this was coming. I knew it. Like, the first thing I got was a, a humorous picture that had nothing to do with that. But uh, the second one was just, and the weird thing is, it's like picture four of five. So he didn't send me five pictures, but, like, he had five pictures. I want to know what the other four were. Or maybe I don't. <laughs> but, like, oh, I just put a horrible beat on somebody. Oh, Every time you say you're going to bust here, you just keep doubling. I, I raised and the the big stack shoved and I had it was five k to win twenty nine k. I had pocket fives, and I'm like, well, I'm flipping some part of the time, <laughs> and I wasn't. Anyway, sorry, you were you were talking about the dick pic. Yeah, so it was like four out of five, and I don't know where where the other four were, but I didn't ask. I don't think I think having being able to get images on there I think is a horrible. Yeah, idea. yeah, I, I you are going to get some. It's it's, pro- it's probably like a downgrade. Oh, man. I probably downgraded myself. By upgrading, I downgraded. Okay, so Poker Stars has done something interesting. Uh, a factor of online poker playing that some of you may not know if you haven't played a lot of online poker is what's known as bum hunting. And this goes way, way back. In fact, I was involved in doing this before it was cool to do or uncool to do. Um, see, people were used to live poker where you show up and there's usually only one table of the game you want to play, maybe two, and you just take whatever seat becomes open. And yeah, you can switch around seats, but no one's like... It, it's rare that someone's uh, seat hopping all over the place. It's rare that someone is waiting to play only when a fish sits and then takes a seat directly with position on them. These were all online phenomenons that, that, that developed over the, year, over the years. And uh, I discovered this just kind of on my own, just from common sense, early in my online poker career. And I discovered very quickly, like how to identify a good game, how to you know which fi- which players were the fish, uh, when they would sit. Uh, I-, I noticed, of course, that the seat directly to their left was the best seat to have. And yeah, uh, I, re- I remember railing the games for a while, just to you know get a sense of who the fish were and whether the game looked good and worth joining. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like so- long before you sit down, you just open up like six tables and and watch them. So this was uh, this was something that was new to poker because in the days of live poker, you didn't have this luxury for many reasons. Either you don't live enough, close enough to the card room to just turn around and go home if you don't like the game, or, or there just isn't a chance to select seats. There's one, only one game going that you want to play, or only one game with a seat open, and it's that seat or nothing, or you can't just keep switching seats. Anyway, uh, something else that used to happen was that people would do seat hopping. So if a game isn't full and didn't have a waiting list... If a guy leaves who has the best position on the fish, you quickly leave your seat and hop over to the, the, to the open seat. 
And in live poker, there's all these rules involving seat switching and who has priority and, and if you lose priority once you switch and all these other things, which aren't even totally clear and vary from casino to, to casino. But online, there's no such rule. Online, you just if you got up and could grab another seat, then you could do it. Now, some sites have taken action to somewhat prevent that, like Bovada slash Ignition, if you leave the table for any reason, if you just get disconnected and knocked off, you have to wait five minutes before coming back. So that pretty much does away with the uh, seat switching. Uh, I've actually had it on Ignition like late at night when there's a game running that's like three or four-handed, so there's a few seats left. And I say, you know what? I'm actually going to take the chance because I have a bad seat, and I'll take the chance in five minutes it's not going to full. It's not going to be full. So I still do it on occasion. Anyway, Poker Stars... They have a lot of people who have taken this concept to an extreme. Not surprisingly, a lot of Russians. And in fact, they've written programs to assist them to do this, which are known as seat scripts. Seat scripting is where a program, a third-party program, either one that you wrote or got from someone else. That's a very nice rapper, by the way. Oh, you can hear that? Yes. I can hear oh, everything. Shit. I thought I had it on mute. No, I can hear the rap. What, what are you unwrapping? God damn it. I was going to eat some uh, smart food. <laughs> what is smart food? What about now? Can you hear me now? I can hear you talk. I can't hear the rapper. Right, can, you, can you hear? All right, Druff, I, you can hear me now, right? Yes, yes. What about now? Can you hear me now? Yep. God damn it. Your mute button does not work. <sighs> okay, that changes everything. I mean, it's not, it's not a very complicated thing a mute button they've, they've had it since the 80s yeah but you should see this interface that i've got for this uh <laughs> this digital audio recorder so, so, so you have it's, a great it's fucking it's like a monster you have a you have a an incredibly complex interface and it can't even mute well there are like a dozen mute buttons in here oh okay all right so what about now can you hear me now yes god damn it <laughs> it's not it's not working i wouldn't unwrap anything else so Anyway, going on with with the seat thing, the, the, the seat scripting was done by players who took the seat choice and table choice to the next level. They actually would have a program that would monitor all the Poker Stars tables of the games they wanted to play. And when certain fish were seen, it would automatically grab the seat directly to that player's left. And if that seat wasn't available, it would grab the next one. It would grab the optimal seat almost instantaneously, faster than any human could do through mouse clicking. So anyone running seat scripts would just immediately appear next to a fish. Now, this looks really weird to the fish on Poker Stars because, like, a fish would kind of sit down with like one or two players who are waiting there, and let's say it's a nine-handed table. Within seconds, the entire table would be full. And the fish would go, what the hell? Like, he's, Imagine you sit down at a one or two-handed poker ha- table with, with nine seats there, where almost all of them are open. And you sit, and within like two seconds, everyone, sit next, everyone else is sat at the table. And you think that's either an amazing coincidence that everyone decided to sit right now, or something weird is going on. <laughs> so, amazingly, for a long time, poker stars allowed these scripts. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with a poker site allowing by their rules someone just deciding who to play and who not to play. Like if someone wants to sit there and watch all day and then take the seat next to a fish, then that should be their right. But to have these scripts is incredibly unfair because it gives an advantage to those using third-party software as far as gameplay and function is concerned, and that should never be the case. You should never have the advantage to get a seat because you have a third-party program to grab you a seat super fast. So Poker Stars, under the Amaya leadership, has been experimenting with various ways to become rec player friendly. They don't really like the poker pros. They realize that they're such a big site, even without the U.S. players, that they don't need the grinders there to keep games going. The games are going to go with or without the poker pros. So they prefer not to have the poker pros because the poker pros are are beating everyone and and withdrawing money, which a, a poker site never likes. So they tolerate having winning players, but they don't want to roll out the red carpet for them anymore. Even though in the old days of Poker Stars, that was when it was owned by the Scheinbergs, they pretty much were. All the best benefits went to the players who played the most, who were the pros. Not anymore. But Poker Stars has come up with a revolutionary change regarding how cash game seating is going to work, which not only defeats the seat scripting, But it also defeats the old school way of doing it, of just finding a table you like and sitting at it. So now you're being, you're going to be sat at Poker Stars, and this hasn't taken place yet. They're going to experiment with it on their Spain-only site. And then if it succeeds as expected, succeeding meaning that uh, it doesn't have problems and there isn't a major revolt about it, then they're going to roll it out on the global market. This is a routine they call seat me seat me is going to be the way that you take cash game seats and you're going to go through an interface where you just say what type of table you want to sit at and then it just seats you 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 click play now and it puts you there you can't choose the seat you get you can't choose the table you're at it's just like a tournament at a tournament i'm sure if you played online you just notice you're just at a table you don't have control of it and at any time, it can pick you up and move you. Now, I, I don't know how it works with moving people if these games get short. But I do know that, um, I mean, you can leave at any time, of course. But I do know that uh, it, you can you can pick how many people are in the game. So you can say, I want either 7 to 10 people, uh, 6 max, or, or, or heads up. You can pick that. But... Uh, as far as being sat, you can no longer just say, I want this particular table, this particular seat. You have to go through this interface, and it will drop you where it feels like dropping you, which is supposedly random. So that does away with any kind of seat scripting, because it's a blind process. Um, so basically what they're doing is addition by subtraction. Uh PokerStar says, SeatMe eliminates the ability of players to pick their tables and seats at the table and will instead get them straight into the action automatically once a game and stake has been chosen. And likely the pros are not going to like this at all. In fact, if I were playing on there, I would hate this. And the problem with this is that this takes away the player's ability to select 
what game they're playing. This is even worse than what Bovada Ignition did with the anonymous tables, where you can't see who you're playing, but at least you can watch the way the game's going and decide if you want to sit down there. So, like, I don't have to see who's there to notice there's a mega fish in the game after watching it for a few minutes. Uh, sometimes, if it's not a mega fish, it's a little hard to tell who's a fish and who's not after a few minutes. But if there's a mega fish, I can tell you know, very quickly and, and quickly sit down at the game. Or I can just tell by the pot averages that are said, you know, that are listed there. If it's a, a 30-60 game and the pot average is $600, I know it must be a really good game. And I'll sit down even not knowing who I'm sitting with. But here, you don't even know where you're sitting or how good the game is. You know nothing until you're already there. And so so what they said is... Uh, at Poker Stars, we are constantly looking for ways to better provide a safe and fair environment and to improve the overall experience when a customer chooses to play with us. Protecting the game of poker that we all love is at the core of everything we do. It ignites very passionate discussions as the decisions are often quite complex when we take in consideration our pool of players with different needs and desires, the historical precedents, the evolution of the game, and the latest trends. With so many customers who trust our products, we have to be particularly vigilant against tools or strategies used to gain an unfair advantage. We also need to be able to ensure that we create enforceable and sustainable policies, making sure that players who do follow the rules are not at a disadvantage. I I have an idea instead of doing this. Why don't they just say no seed scripting, no third-party programs that allow you to assist the table you choose in any way? They can even say no third-party programs to monitor our software for who's sitting there, and if we catch this, then we close your account and take your money. Now, that won't completely prevent it, but that will really, really decrease the usage of uh, such software because people are scared of poker stars. People basically respect poker stars and their security. Most people would be afraid to take the chance that they will be caught because they don't know what procedures poker stars is using to catch this. So... Just by saying that, that will be the end. Tell that to Brian Hastings. (laughs) But just by doing that, I feel that would be the end of it. This this is really taking away a major aspect of poker, even one that was referred to in the movie Rounders, about if if you don't know who the fish is at the table, it's probably you. And here you don't get to see the table you're sitting at. You don't get to know anything until you're already there. And I guess the best you can do is just leave and try it again and hope you get placed at a better table. Well, I think you nailed it in the beginning, though, Druff, where PokerStars just doesn't really care about the people that are trying to make a living from doing this. And I think the, the average rec player probably doesn't care, and they actually probably like it because it's less confusing for them. They just click a couple buttons, and it will find them a seat. Yeah, know? yeah. And, yeah, so this is going to really uh, change things as far as people using seating scripts or people who are just waiting for fish to sit before sitting themselves or, or ones that uh, are, I mean, I guess the data mining still matters because if you get put at a table, you can see the characteristics of each player who's with you and decide whether to stay or go. So you do still do have you, that do power. You think that, do you think Poker Stars cares if going forward, Anyone is able to make a living from playing on no, their No, no, they, they prefer. I, think, that, I don't think they give a shit about that at all. No, in fact, I think they prefer nobody can. That's yeah. that's what they're hoping because yeah. they they, yeah. they don't want withdrawer. A withdrawer is a disaster for a poker site. I've said that for years because a withdrawer is the only person that they have to pay money to. Aside from companies that are help helping support the business, that are you know the vendors they're hiring for things. As far as 
um, as far as the players are concerned, the only ones they ever have to take to give money to in any way are the ones who withdraw. Everybody else deposits and they keep the money. Well, and, and not even the withdrawing thing. Like if you think about it, if everyone is equally skilled, then all they're going to be doing is really pushing the money back and forth. Uh, and all that does is generate rake. Yes. Right? So if, if everyone is <laughs> – if they're all fish – and the only way that they win is just kind of like random luck. So they really are just pushing the money back and forth. Yes. That's an ideal situation for them because that's just a rate generation machine. That's all it is. Yeah, and the other thing that they said is that they've noticed in their studies that players who get crushed immediately are much less likely to redeposit than ones that make the money last a while because they feel like they had a chance. Even if you if you put on $1,000 and you last – some time with it before the thousand is gone. You think, okay, well, I lost it, but I, I really felt like I had a shot. I was, uh, I felt like I had a fighting chance. It just didn't go my way. If you put well, on a thousand dollars, say that. I've heard people say that. They're like, you know, well, at least it lasted five hours or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the, and they feel yeah. like, and partially, it's not just the entertainment they got out of it. They actually felt like they had a chance to have won. Where if you if you put it on and and within minutes it's gone, you go, oh wow. A thousand dollars is just out the window in, in five minutes. Uh, I, I don't think I like this place. It's I can't keep doing this every five minutes. You know, forget it. I'm not. I'm not coming back here. So I, I'm sure that study is true, but that's what they're trying to prevent. They're trying to uh, make the fish's money last longer, and they need a sweet spot. They they want money deposited because that's the that's the way they make money. It's not like a card a live card room where they physically take a few dollars out of each pot and that's how they make it and that most people other than those that keep chips in their box or whatever most people buy chips when they visit the casino and then cash out whatever they have left when they leave online poker doesn't work like that online poker you buy chips and then they sit in your account and you don't buy chips again until you bust or come close to busting and then if you get an excess of chips then often you will cash out so if people don't ever get an excess of chips, then they don't have to process cash outs and they keep every bit of money. And the only way money comes in is from these deposits. So they need continued depositing to be able to continue making money. So if – let's say a lot of people deposit at the beginning but then just uh, trade the money and don't deposit. The site may be raking but that's all on paper. The truth is here with no new money coming in – they're really not making any new money. So they've got to have a constant stream of depositing, which is different than live card rooms where there is no depositing, where they actually are physically taking money from each pot. It's different. So they want the depositing to continue, but they don't want, it to ha- they don't want players to have to do it too quickly or they're likely to just not continue depositing. So what they want is a steady stream of depositing coming from the fish to support the economy, and that's why they're making these changes. They don't like the withdrawers because all they're doing is, number one, taking money back out of the economy that they got from the deposits, and number two, they are discouraging fish who are losing to the withdrawers to continue depositing. So that's why they're happy to run off every single pro player. But they, they don't want to outright ban the, the pro players, or they don't want to make policies that are overly hostile but they, they want to do it as far as they can to make it unpleasant for them or less conducive to making a living. Yeah, so an, an analogy is – so imagine you've got like a, 
a huge cheese grater, right? You know those uh, flat cheese graters that you run the cheese over and yeah. that comes out the bottom? And then you got a big old hunk of cheese, right? When the players are equally bad, or however you want to call it, they just kind of pass the cheese across the table and it you know goes back and forth and it just slowly grates it away, right? Yeah. And when, when you've got good players in there, what happens is they take some of that cheese, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they take it off of the grater. Yeah, that is a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. You know, those graters, they're hard to clean. Like, like cheese will get stuck in these things and then it's like... They're hard to clean, and you, you, you put it in the dishwasher. You're not sure if it's all going to get it all out. Do you ever run into this issue? Yeah, yeah, for sure they are. you got to use a brush on them. Yeah, like the, I, well, the first time I saw one when I was a kid, I thought it was really cool. I just take a hunk of cheese, and I run it down that thing, and there's grated cheese there, and I'd eat it, and it would taste good. And then i go, wow, this thing made a big mess. And then I didn't have to clean it. My mom would clean it. But when I got older and I had to clean it myself... Then it was not so fun anymore. Okay, so that's happening on Poker Stars. It's not happening quite yet, except on the Spain site, but it's going to happen everywhere. It's going to happen. Also, Beer and Poker mentions the fish goes broke in a few hands after the deposit, then the site actually can lose due to the transaction fees they have to pay. Yes. In fact, I raised this point on Lyman's show, and he mocked me and screamed over me. But it's a good point that there are deposit fees that the site, in this case PokerStars, would have to pay to whatever financial provider they have that processes the the credit card transaction or the bank transaction. And if the fish loses it so quickly that they don't rake the amount equivalent to that, then even with a large deposit, the site can actually lose money. So that's a reason why... That's another reason why they hate when the pros beat the fish too quickly. And Beer and Poker is also mentioning in the days of NetTeller when they covered the InstaCash fees. So those were great days. The InstaCash fee on NetTeller was 8.9%. InstaCash was basically like cash on credit where you're they're giving you the cash now to gamble with and they're going to take it as an EFT out of your bank later. And there is a 9% fee, or almost 9% fee. So I would never pay that fee, being a cheap Jew. But PokerStars and some other sites started to cover the InstaCash fee. And Full Tilt had the uh, InstaCash thing going on for a long time too, right? Yeah, so it was great. They called it the Phantom Deposit, I think. Yeah, the The reason I loved the InstaCash was that this was like a virtual bankroll. This way I did not have to keep a lot of money online. I could aggressively cash out through NetTeller, and then when I would run bad and go bust, then I could rebuy in with InstaCash. And I had the money to cover it. I wasn't rolling a NetTeller. But the point was, I only would have the money taken out of my account when I really needed it to come out of my account. I didn't have to sit there with a, a large roll on PokerStars and, and worry about uh, anything happening, either them freezing my account for some reason or my account getting hacked or... Poker stars going down for some reason. You, you may laugh at that poker stars going down, but look what happened to Full Tilt. So, uh, you know, even before anything happened with Full Tilt, I was always wary of keeping a lot of money online. Uh, I think, and the highest I ever had online was was two hundred thousand on Poker Stars, but it wasn't a for lot long. Of jelly beans. I, I got, I got, I made sure to get a lot of that off there. 
But uh, did it pay for the uh, the gold initials in your pool there? It it paid for several letters. But uh, Poker Stars for a while was paying the InstaCash fees, so that's when I used InstaCash all the time. And then I think it was in uh, January 2007 when NetTeller went down and got busted by the U.S. and that was the end of that. But uh, those were those were good days. Another great thing about NetTeller was that if you cashed out against a deposit, you'd get it instantly on PokerStars. So let's say I deposited uh, thirty thousand worth from NetTeller to PokerStars. The next thirty thousand I would cash out, I would get instantaneously. Because they had some kind of agreement with Poker Stars to just uh, make that money immediately available to the player. So that was great. I would just instantly have it in my net teller. And the net teller could be used for just about every gambling site at the time. So I could redeposit to sports sites or other poker sites. So that was the other thing is if I knew I had money on Poker Stars that was against a net teller deposit from the past, I knew if I wanted to move it to another site, I could instantaneously do it. So, well, you're talking about NetTeller, like uh, it's in the past, but they're still around. Right? But you can't, Americans can't use them; it's not the same thing. Well, I mean, they're still they're still a viable business, though, right? Yeah, I don't know if they have the same stuff in place as they used to. Uh, I do remember one thing I didn't like about them: is they were very, very bitchy with their rules. Very bitchy with their rules. Some of them were stupid rules too. Like one time, I sent. $100 to my girlfriend's account. But she had an account there too. I sent $100 to her and I, I basically I sent it to her then logged in under her account and shipped it to her bank account from her account. Totally innocent, right? Um, I, I would understand if they had some concern because it was all done from one computer even though it was a small amount of money. But they froze my account, told me I had to call in and I called in and I got scolded. I was scolded how I broke the rules, and if I ever do this again, they're going to shut me down for good. And I said, what did I do? And they said, you, you can't log in from the same computer with two different accounts. They, they got so mad. So they didn't just want to verify it was really me and really my girlfriend. They, they just told me I can't do that. And if I, ever did, if I ever dare do that again, I'm gone. And they were, they were really arrogant about it, too. Like, the way they put it to me, it wasn't, like, in a polite way. They were just, uh, they knew they were pretty much the only game in town that was, uh, that was viable for this sort of thing, so... They, they didn't give a crap if I was happy or not. They also used to have these like points you would earn that you would be able to use for like sweepstakes they'd have to win money. And I earned so many points I never won a damn thing. I always wonder if that even was real or if they just rigged it or never gave away any, gave away any prizes. But I know with all the points I earned, I never won anything. Not even like $10. So speaking of computers... Uh, we hadn't talked about it on this show yet, but it's been going on for a little time. This AI bot called Libratus, L-I-B-R-A-T-U-S, is supposedly the best no limit heads-up, no-limit hold'em bot ever created. Now, this is not a bot that was created for some kind of nefarious purpose. This was a bot that was created as a research project by a professor at uh, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and with a PhD student assisting him. So this was just a, pretty much a challenge. Can we create a bot that is so good 
that it can beat some of the best poker pros. And the only way to determine that is to have some poker pros actually play it. Now, this was done in, in previous years, and in previous years, the poker pros held their own. So this was done by uh, computer science professor Thomas Sandholm and a, uh, a PhD student working under him. But uh, there was a previous version of this, as I mentioned before, which I, I think ended and was pretty much a statistical tie. I think the pros slightly beat it last year, but not enough to really say that either party won from you know, within the margin of error. Because, of course, there's luck involved in this, too. So an updated version of that software was created this year called Libratus, and this tournament was called the Brains versus Artificial Intelligence Tournament, Artificial Intelligence Tournament. They actually held it at the Pittsburgh Rivers Casino, though the money being played for was not real money. They were playing for virtual chips in a competition. So even though it's, the figures I'm about to quote are, are dollars, it's not real dollars. It's just fake dollars, kind of the same way that uh, the tournament chips you're playing with on Poker Fraud Alert on the No Fraud Online Poker Room are fake dollars. So it was just a challenge. The four humans to take on Libratus separately, but all part of the same challenge, were Dong King, Daniel McCauley, Jimmy Chu, and Jason Less. By the way, how do you like to have the name Dong? Do you think he gets? You think there's uh, people that snicker when he says his name is Dong? Probably. Do you, like I've known a lot of uh, Vietnamese guy, Vietnamese guys. I don't know if this guy is Vietnamese. <laughs> Vietnamese. <laughs> I've known that too. I've known Vietnamese guys too, but I've known Vietnamese guys whose names were Dong or Dung. They have changed their names to Don. That's the closest when thing I, to when it. When I went to college, we had. Uh... We had a fuck Lee and a suck Lee. <laughs> Swear to God. I, I always thought fucking suck should get together. Well, you know, I actually had a math professor when I was in college whose name was Hung Dong. <laughs> and then more recently, though not That's that recently. That's a lot to live up to there, not, though. Yeah, not that, recently, not that recent anymore. But more recently, in 2005, at my first final table at the World Series, Right next to me, and I put a very bad beat on him, was Zalong Dong. <laughs> so that, I guess compared to those names, uh, Dong, Dong King is... is uh... The worst I ever saw, there was a professor in uh, Singapore, and her name was Chew Shit Fun. <laughs> spelled literally the way you would spell Chew Shit Fun. You Google it, you'll find her. I swear okay, to God. Okay, I, I think Chew I will. Chew Shit Fun. <laughs> She's a professor in Singapore. Okay, so, of course, Dong King is the one who did the best of the four. He really was the the, the king of Dongs there. He's the big Dong. Of course he's going to do well. So, Dong King, he was the one who did the best, but he still lost. The They played over a course of 20 days. 120,000 plus hands were played. Over, I'm not sure what the blinds were, but uh, when it was all done, Dong King had lost 85,649 virtual dollars. 
Daniel McCauley had lost 277,657 virtual dollars. Jimmy Chu lost $552,857. And outdoing them all, Jason Les lost 880,087 virtual dollars. Combined, they were down 1.766 million virtual dollars over That's this 120,000 hands. Now, again, even though Jason Les tweeted that they're refusing to pay and that he, they're scamming the bot, uh, there isn't any paying. This was not for real money. But, uh, in fact, I think there was like a $200,000 thing that was going to be split in some way that, uh, depending on the results, I'm not sure how that went, but there was some kind of purse that was put into this that I, I think it was like a free roll for these guys. But, anyway... Uh, they calculated from this beatdown that even considering luck, that there is a 97.7% chance, given these results, that the bot was better than these four guys. There's only a 2.3% chance that it was just due to luck that this happened. That was the calculation that uh, Professor Thomas Sandholm came up with. And I this this is a humbling thing for the humans in Heads Up No Limit because it was believed prior to this, even after last year where it was a statistical tie, that the human element in No Limit Hold'em is very big, that there's some things that bots just can't do. There's some things that bots just can't reason out. If it's a, a more of a computational game like Limit Hold'em, then unexploitable strategies can be determined because there's no bet-sizing element to it. But when there's a bet-sizing element that uh, where there's no limit other than the amount of chips on the table, that it can be very difficult for a computer to do. When I used to play the heads-up limit hold'em bot at uh, the casinos when they offered that for some time, and when I've played other bots in the past, some of which were bots that were placed on the poker sites that shouldn't have been there, or bots that were released as uh, just something you could buy and, and play for fun on your own, something I noticed about bots was that bots had a hard time, for example, determining how far to go with the second nuts or the third nuts that a human was much better at reasoning that out. A bot had a hard time. A bot had a hard time putting in a lot of raises when there was a hand that could still beat it. Uh, That was one behavior I found that bots had. Another one was that bots had a hard time making tough folds, that bots would do a lot more light call-downs of ace-high, king-high, queen-high than humans typically would. So, I, in fact, I used these characteristics often to determine whether I was playing against a bot. If I was suspecting I was against a bot on a site where they shouldn't be there, that was one of the things I would use is uh, these type of behaviors. If uh, in Limit Hold'em, for example, if uh, they had the King High flush on the river, a two-card flush, and uh, I raised them on the river... They wouldn't three bet me, and I'm sure I'd have them with a you know with a ten high flush, and then they turn over the king high flush and say, "What the hell? Why didn't they three bet me?" That's indicative of of bot behavior, especially when the person playing you doesn't seem to be a big fish. 
So in in no limit these become much bigger factors. In in limit what I just described they they cost themselves one bet. In no limit these are much bigger factors about making loose call downs about uh going all in or calling it all in with a non-nut hand. A lot of times these were seen by human beings as something that a bot really couldn't decide very well. And up until this year, while the bot last year was able to break even, uh, there, there hadn't been a bot that really killed the humans like this year. The bots had some flaws, obviously, because there, there's some things where bots will always be better than humans. For example, uh, they will never tilt. They'll never get tired. They'll never get confused. They will never be affected by any kind of emotion. Uh, and, and depending upon how, if the bot is designed like this, uh, they can also have perfect memory, where a human cannot. So that's where bots have the advantage. Uh, a human can have the advantage of, of being able to reason on the spot and, and are not dependent upon their programming to do their reasoning. So it was assumed in No Limit Hold'em there, there's too many abstract elements that are they're going to be too tough for, to program a, a winning bot against a really good player. You, you could program No Limit Hold'em bots to beat uh, mediocre, okay, or even good players, but to, to beat really good players, it was assumed it was either very difficult or impossible to be done. But this has shown that unless this was a fluke, a 2.3% fluke, that uh, the bot got really lucky, it was shown that, yes, they probably can program a bot to beat people in No Limit Hold'em. Now, heads up, No Limit Hold'em, it's easier for a bot to win than multi-way because they don't have to contend with situations in three-way and four-way pots. And they are less frequently involved in that uh, non-nut good hand situation. Because in heads up, you're, you have a lot of hands which uh, you're taking all the way that aren't as good simply because uh, it, it's not one premium hand against another as often. So in, in a full ring game, you're going to have a lot of times where the nuts wins or something close to the nuts wins. Heads up, it's, it's rare. So these make it easier for the bot. But still, th- this is a pretty big moment for the development of these bots that one was able to be created that could beat for well-respected poker pros. Uh, it, it's also, it also raises questions about if these bots eventually become good enough, then if they can be snuck onto online poker sites and not detected, they could really crush and the game can start becoming really, really tough. And that's that's another concern to have about online poker. The the more capable the bots are, the more you have to be concerned about them being at your table. So have, had you read or followed this whole thing up till now? I have. So what, what's your feeling on this this whole matter? Well, in terms of what? In terms of what it means or... Yeah, what, what it means. Like, first of all, do you think the the... the loss that the pros took this time was significant enough to say, okay, they've created a heads-up bot that's that's basically better than any human right now. Well, I, I mean, it was a decisive victory, but honestly, they should be, if they really wanted a decent sample size on it, I mean, they should be doing it every day for a year or something, you know? 
And but it it did look like a pretty convincing win. And you know the comments from uh, a number of the the pro players that played in it. Um, you know they they seemed to respect it and were not able to find any real uh, leaks in its gameplay. You know. Yeah, and that's what I found with the Limit Hold'em bot that they ran in casinos for some time. I watched it learn. It wasn't allowed to learn from individual players, but it was allowed every so often to pull all the data from everything it had seen and learn from the, the group collectively. So I watched it get better and better that way and get upgraded. And by the end, that thing was so good, I, I, I really wasn't seeing uh, exploitable flaws or the ones that I saw were not very significant to where it wasn't going to make much difference. And it, it got very, very tough where in the earlier days, uh, the limit holding bot I played had some flaws. I found very easy to exploit. Like it was easy to chip triple check raise in certain hands. Like if it, if it flopped trips that you were still ahead of it, you could triple check raise it. Yeah. Where, I mean the way those bots that you played against the way they were programmed, is very, very different from the way this one was. Um, this is a, another, and we, we talked about this at one point uh, before, but this is an example of machine learning where they basically um, just have the bot learn by playing and learning by playing all these situations and, um, and feeding it you know, positive and negative input depending on what it ends up doing. And it just, just by sheer force of playing so many hands um you know it, it really does learn how to play every situation and it, it figures out the game probably better than a human ever will be able to figure it out well, in yeah, terms of understanding it the one i know? played actually did do that too they they actually had it play itself for like a billion hands and uh, but but it still had flaws because right. it, it had only been used to playing itself and not against humans and that's where uh right it, and that's it, what the, it, the, it had the to machine learn. learning is they feed it information in terms of um, you know, this was a good move. Excuse me, this was a bad move. Um, and the thing just kind of learns on its own how to do this stuff. Yeah. So th- that's what's happened here. And this, uh, so they have a very good one that, that seems to be r- largely improved over uh, last year's version. And, uh, but I, you know, I mean, the real impact, I think, you know, people were, I actually heard it. This hit the mainstream. Man. Like, I, I listened to uh, BBC World, uh, and this hit BBC World and a number of other mainstream news outlets. So, um, you know, this isn't just news in the poker world. Um, But my takeaway from it was that what's going to end up happening is not that people are going to be playing this bot online and are going to get fleeced, but that the... Uh, the high-level pros are eventually going to be uh, utilizing some of this technology to train so that they get better at playing. Yeah, know? that that is something you could do. Yeah, you could you could learn what it's doing or watch some of the moves it's making and, and see how you can improve yourself. But yeah. realistically, like, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's interesting that the bot won, but how, other than online, and even that has been kind of dying out, um, how much is... Heads up, no limit plate. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's. I, I know it's not a major form of, of online poker these days, though. There are. Well, forget about online. Like, okay, so it used to be, you know, a pretty uh, happening scene, but it's been dead online for a long time. But you know, live poker, you don't ever see it. No, live, you it's never, very rare. You never see people playing heads up. You know. 
Yeah, I know it's pretty rare, and when it happens, usually because a game dies down to heads up and people just keep playing. So Yeah, the DGENs are both stuck, and they're determined to, to grind out a win. Yeah. yeah. So that's... So uh, that's... That's what happened here, and it's... Uh, so this is over for this year. I wonder if next year they'll have even a better one that can crush them even further. Uh, I, I do wonder, though, if... Now that this has been proven, so take let's say this uh, professor instead of ha- just having this competition, let's say he did just say, "Hey, let's take this to the online sites and go sit with the guys who will just play anyone and crush them." And provided it's uh, it's not on a site that can catch bots easily, there, there could be like this this new guy who shows up that destroys everyone and, and, and no limit holds him heads up, and. It probably wouldn't be suspected it was a bot. Yeah, but I mean, realistically, what's going to happen is if this bot does go online to play, it's just not going to get a game. <laughs> like, I mean, the the heads up online at significant stakes, it, it just doesn't really run. At least not from what I understand. I haven't watched recently, but there, there always was like the king of the hill type situation where there was always a certain person that would sit there and take all comers. Right. And he's the one who's who's both a good player and running the best at the moment. To everybody and else, probably is, has an ego. Yeah, and everybody else is afraid to play, either afraid or doesn't want to take the risk with the variance and everything with playing. Yeah. So he just sits there and will play anybody who sits with him. And and then eventually, what does happen is someone does sit with him and crushes him, and then that's the end of him. <laughs> then that's the new that's the new head, uh, king of the hill, and this goes Bro, on. And you're on. not going to believe this. I, I just won the fucking tournament, <laughs> so I I do get my fifty dollars back. Can you play that? You can get my fifty dollar back. No, I don't. I don't have that here. But uh, oh, come on, that's perfect. I know uh, that's amazing. Well, congratulations! You you get a hundred dollars back because you get the fifty dollar win too. You get uh, everything but fifty bucks in this hundred fifty dollar prize pool. So see, I was talking about how I may have to donate fifty, and it turns out you only had to donate fifty. You don't have to, but you 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 volunteer to donate one fifty and. It ends up you're only responsible for 50 of it. You just get to keep the other 100. So. Yeah, I mean, your PFA radio is clearly rigged. I donate money and then take it down. Clearly, clearly rigged. You know, I, I actually I put in I put a bunch of horrible beats on people. <laughs> I really did. I mean, they were horrendous. I, I got I, it in Kings versus King Jack and just crushed them. <laughs> I, just... I, I played some. I I forgot even the occasion. There was some tournament I played on this No Fraud Online Poker Room. I barely ever played this, but I, it wasn't during radio. I played some kind of tournament we held on the site, and I was just running so well and crushing everybody. And <laughs> everyone was accusing me of rigging it, even though it's not on my computer. But it's uh, everyone was accusing me of rigging it, and I, I get all the way down to heads up with the chip lead. I slipped and, belly buster a little money, <laughs> and then somebody came and. If someone finally started to run well and beat me, this guy, uh, Headshot, who I haven't seen in a while, but Headshot ended up winning. In fa- he put some really bad beats on me, too. Like, uh, I think he beat, like, beat me with, like, Jack Six against Jax or something, all in. He, he put a few really tough beats on me and won the match. So, at least thanks to that, I was able to swear that it was not rigged because Headshot... Well, but- but speaking of uh, King of the Hill, where was Doug Polk in this competition? I don't know. I was wondering that too. This was like, kind of... was he worried that he might actually lose and he didn't want to look bad? Or you know, believe it or not, that may have been it. I I don't want to speak for him here or make assumptions, but I, I found the list of 
these players who participated here to be a little underwhelming. That I'm mean, not not to take away from these guys. I know they're respected and I know they're good players, but Jason Less is good, man. Yeah, he's, I, he's legit. He's he's the one who lost the most, though. But, uh, I, I realize that, but you know the way poker is. I mean, no, I know. I'm, I'm just I'm just surprised he wasn't that like a a more recognizable name. Jason Less is probably the most recognizable of these four, but there wasn't well, a Donger, more. Kim, Donger Kim is pretty well known in in the heads up community. Maybe, maybe I just don't know the community well enough. I just I just thought this was uh, that if they want to get like the the very be- the ones known to be like the very best to play this thing. They, well, uh, I think I think uh, at least two or three of the people that were here this year were there last year. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Okay, maybe I just uh, forgot the names from last year. I just I do wonder, yeah, if, if Doug Polk stayed home from this uh, because he has this whole poker training thing going on now, and he would not want to have a loss like this, even though it's not a real loss. It's it could be right. a well, Kev Math is saying Doug Polk played the first time, and we know that. Um, and they were playing for 20 straight days, 10-plus hours a day with no days off. So I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, honestly, I think that uh, what you're saying could very well be true, that you know he's trying to get this poker set up and running, and there, he basically has no upside to this. Um, or, well, I mean, I guess if he won... There might be some upside, but, yeah, but the it's downside, not nearly, the down- not nearly as much as, as losing. You, you know, know, it's it's kind of like if, if you're in middle school and you're in eighth grade or something, and a sixth grader wants to fight you, and you go, okay, unless I'm 100% sure I'm going to win this fight, if I win, there's not much of an upside. I just beat up a sixth grader. <laughs> if- uh, dive Bar Dave, who I put a put a horrendous beat on, one of the many, he said... <laughs> He said, Watt could suck out versus this bot tonight <laughs> if I played it. Yeah, over. maybe you should play this bot. You'll be the first one to beat it. Put beats on it and then just walk away. You'll be the first one to beat it. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. And then like if, you know, As I was saying, if you're, you're fighting like a sixth grader when you're in eighth grade, if you win it, there's not much upside. No one gives you any respect. But if you lose, it's very embarrassing because this kid who's right. two grades younger just beat you up. So it may be kind of like that with uh, Doug Polk. Where yeah, because if, if the pros win, this doesn't get on BBC World. You know no, what I'm saying? No, no, because it's the, only if the pros lose right. that it gets broadcast everywhere. Otherwise, yeah. So, otherwise, it's like, well, it's just a bot. It can't, it can't uh, figure things well, out and no limit. I Hold remember on. last year, I mean, the, it really didn't go anywhere. That was not mainstream news anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe he's smart and he realized that there really was no upside to this and said, fuck it. Yeah. Because, because if you do really badly, that's, that's the downside if you just get crushed by it. Right. Then people could say, "Hmm, of all the pros who played, he got beat the most. Maybe he's not very good. Why should I lo- learn poker from this guy?" Right. So maybe that's why he did not participate. Now, you know, if it was over twenty days and ten plus hours per day, could fatigue have been a factor here? For why these well, guys that, lost? He, well, Kev Math was saying that about last year, and basically saying that's why, or that might be a reason why uh, Doug Polk didn't show up. I don't know what it was this year. But I, see, if, if that's what was done this year like this, I, I don't like the way it was done because when you start in, introducing artificial factors to it that aren't likely to exist in a real match, then you know it, then it doesn't become who's better. It becomes just more who, who doesn't get tired because the, the bot never gets tired. The bot can play a thousand hours in a row. A human could not. So if a... 
human becomes physically or mentally fatigued just from playing a lot in a short time, then it's not really about skill anymore. And right. uh, there it's really an unfair fight. So I, I would have wanted to see this. I think like a good test of this thing would be get uh, 200 different poker pros to play it over a shorter period of time. And of course, some will probably score victories against it. But you see against 200 people what the collective results are. This way there's no fatigue involved. Right. Like allow them to play yeah. enough to where I, they can they can learn each other's tendencies somewhat, you know the bot and then and the person, but but not to where the the person will get fatigued, and to where you'll have enough pl- poker pros involved to where, if any of them tilted or didn't play their best, th- that will be smoothed out over that many people. Yeah, I mean, obviously, statistically wise, I would like to see a lot more of this played, um, but I, I really do think it is inevitable uh in terms of when computers are going to end up beating the top pros yeah i believe that too and and i think the interesting part is you know what happens then you know does it just die out uh at at least online poker yeah certain variants uh it certainly might you know live that's what happened with like the online backgammon scene it used to be a big scene and then there were computer programs that just beat everybody and it just died out. Yeah, I, I'm wondering that too. Like live, it's not going to affect you. Live, you're not going to have a bot sitting there. But in it, online, th- this could definitely be a factor. And if it if they get so good that they can just really crush everyone, and, be, and it just becomes a factor of catching whether there's a bot or not, people are going to really start getting scared to play. Right. Uh, and well, I mean, and the only way it will affect things live um, is if pros do use this to train or to learn the actual game theory uh really really well you know i mean the interesting thing about some of these ai things is they can learn and they can be incredibly good at something but even the researchers that program them don't always know why um and they may not understand the underlying concepts and the bot has no way to then relate that to them you know what I mean? You know, I, I've actually known uh, humans like that. I've known people who are good poker players and they can't right. even fully explain why they're doing certain moves they are, but they just work well right. and they just keep doing them and they're hard to deal with. So, right. Well, and, and this is a – yeah, it's certainly true. Uh, but this is a case where um, the bot literally can't communicate why it's doing what it's doing Yeah. Uh, in a way that a human would be able to learn the overall kind of concepts uh, in terms of teaching it. And not to say that people can't learn something from it, um, but where it will get really interesting is when they do bring it into, uh, you know, six max or full ring, because realistically, uh, live poker is full ring. I mean, you almost, a lot of times you don't even see six max running. Yeah, Uh, I know. People will just get up and leave because they don't want to play. So when it really will affect live poker potentially um, is in that scenario. And that, that, that would be really tough. Um, I think it could help potentially in terms of understanding fundamental game theory, like I said, but all of the variables that you really have to consider when you're playing live poker, um, I, I don't know how well a a bot is going to help with that, other than teaching you the overall theory. Well, that's it. I don't think I st- I don't think it'll affect live too much. I just I it could mean somewhere down the line a big problem for online poker. 
if if these are brought into online poker, especially if if they become easier and easier to develop or get a hold of, even if you want to say, well, these guys are not going to give it you know give it out to anybody, so it it can't be utilized for bad purposes. But once these become somebody else will, yeah, I somebody mean, else will exactly, and uh, probably in Russia. And, and when, <laughs> it might be. So when it's when it is, and when it uh, when they get better and better, and when they can handle six max and full ring, then yes, they they can become a real problem, especially when they can be unleashed in the tougher game, in the bigger games. Right, right now they have ones that play at uh, one two fifty cent a dollar, twenty five cent fifty cent, because the ones that play right now at uh, Full ring and six max. They're they're not advanced spots. They're they're good enough to beat fish or mediocre right. players, but they're not going to beat anyone really good. They just a, a lot of times just kind of play ABC poker and uh, just have the advantage of not making any dumb mistakes and not tilting. So yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I, I want to see next year how it does, and and also I want to see if, if somehow they can find a way to play against more people. As I said, like over maybe over. Less time and fewer hands per person, but more people overall. Because there's also a factor that can happen, and that is there's a psychological factor of losing where it's hard to play your best game when you're losing. Um, th- this happens not just in poker, but in, in many competitions. Even think in baseball. Think of a batter who's up to bat, and he's immediately down no balls and two strikes. It's much easier to pitch to this guy at that point. Not just the fact that one strike will strike him out, but but his chance of getting a good hit on the next pitch when it's 0-2 is much lower than when he comes up for his first pitch or especially much lower than if it's like three balls and one strike. Right. Because of... Uh, um, and, and even putting aside... I'm not talking about if the bases are loaded. Just it's, The bases are empty. Three balls and one strike, it's, it's much harder to pitch to the guy than if it's no balls and two strike. And not just for the reason... That uh, uh, of what the count actually is, but the psychological effect of being in that hole where you feel the, the player who's 0-2 has got to feel like, uh, you know, if, if I one more strike, I'm out, and if it's a ball, it doesn't matter. You know, there's still three more to walk me, and then the other way when it's like three and one, that the the, the batter feels like, hey, if, if it's a good pitch, then uh, I'm going to hammer it. If if it's a bad pitch, I'll just let it go and I'll walk. So it's a it, it's a uh, it's a psychological feeling. And I, I think, in fact, if uh, if players could get this out of their head in some cases, it could actually probably help them. I'm talking about right. like in baseball. And the same thing with poker. If you could erase from your head that you're losing or running bad, it would help you. Because uh, this can really affect how you're playing and it can affect uh, your perception of things. It can affect your aggressiveness, sometimes make you too aggressive, sometimes make you uh, too passive. And... It's a very hard thing to overcome, and I wonder if guys like Jason Less are getting crushed by this, and he's just feeling, "Wow, I just can't win a hand." I'm oh, up, I lost again. Up, oh, I lost again. Like you, you start to it's it's hard to concentrate on playing your best game when this is happening, even if you're not playing for real money, especially knowing that your results are going to be seen by everybody. So, I'm sure all four of these guys were aware that there was enough interest in this that their results would be seen by a lot of people. And I'm sure Jason Les thought of that when he walked away down 880,000 virtual dollars, even if he didn't lose anything in real life. Uh, that's not something you want everyone to see, even if you're not selling any training packages or stuff like that. So uh, I, I really want to see 
it playing against 200 different fresh players who are good, who are not going to be fatigued, who are not going to be demoralized. And I want to see how it does then. I, I think this is... 120,000 is a lot of hands, but a, a lot of hands against just four people, especially ones who knew that their results would be public, I think uh, is a little bit flawed. So Yeah. I mean, and you can always argue the test, but I think the interesting thing is not necessarily the test, but um, or even the outcome of this particular one, but the delta between the outcome when they did it last year and this year. You know, and, and even if you... Uh, have issues with the way a particular test was done or whatever, when you start seeing uh, there being a significantly different result. And, you know, if they do it again next year, we'll see what happens. Um, but you can look at the delta in terms of the results in terms uh, instead of uh, – and, and you can you can view that as an indication of progress, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure it improved a lot. I mean, I'd be shocked if it's uh, if it's basically the same bot that just got lucky this year or, or that the players played it worse. I think I right. think it, it's a lot – I think it's a much tougher opponent this year. I, I'm yeah. uh, I'm just stating that uh, there, there's some factors in there that still make it a little tougher to – give it as much credit as it's getting right now for certainty, uh, or even for the 97% certainty they're claiming. I, I think that they need to have it play a wider variety of people and for fewer hands in a short time. Otherwise, fatigue can be a, f- a factor, and as can the psychological factor of losing. So sure. this has been, a, so far this show, which has gone on for about three hours now, there, there has I, not been. I am not going to be here much longer. Okay. Well, there hasn't quiet. there hasn't been a lot of comedy or, or lightheartedness in this show yet. We, oh. We've uh, it's been more. Of I've a, tried. I've tried. I know you've tried, but this has been. We've had kind of serious topics here so far, and I, I want to go to something different, something a lot lighter. That uh, something I always like doing is playing clips of things on this show and commenting on them. So we've got one this week. This is about from uh, Mike Dentali about. The challenge he has, the heads-up challenge he has with Kate Hall, it's going to be in March. This uh, all spawned from a Twitter confrontation they had when Kate Hall played a certain hand badly. It was Ace-10 offsuit, and she called off a lot of chips pre-flop to an all-in against Jax and lost. And then uh, she tweeted about it, and then Dentali made fun of her, and they, a lot of fighting went back and forth. They They had some history before this, but... It ended up with a heads-up match being scheduled with um, uh, in March that's going to be on Poker Night in America, apparently. So, at uh, the Borgata Winter Poker Open, Mike Dentali was interviewed. And, of course, this subject came up. Here is what he had to say. Yeah, so you're playing Kate Hall heads up, and obviously that's been well documented as far as how it came to be. But as far as heads up experience goes, do you think you have just a long-term edge, or your overall poker skills will do okay for you? Well, I I believe both. I mean, um, overall poker skills, just playing the game for as long as I've been playing it. um, I've gotten down to heads up plenty of times in tournaments. I've played heads up and shorthanded in many games. Um, I I understand how it works, and, uh, you know, I do pretty well. And uh, same thing that comes to play also. When you're playing heads up, it comes down to, uh, you know, making reads, you know, knowing your opponent. We're playing a live game. We're not playing online. Um, And also I'm playing against a person that I basically think is uh, that has, I mean, I'm not here to trash anybody, but I think I'm going to do circles around. They made some weird cut there. 
Like they're in the middle of it. I can circle. <laughs> you can hear this, right? What I'm playing? I, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so so far, though, he actually sounds pretty reasonable. It's, it's not what I expected. I expected him to come out like really, really brash, really obnoxious. So here, here so far, he's actually, well, I'm not here to trash anybody. But, you know, the, so far, the worst he said is he's going to play circles around her. Then they made some weird cut in this, which I, I don't know why they would do. But here, here's the rest of it. Are you going to keep the sunglasses on for the match to maybe hide some tells? Uh, I might. I might do that. I mean, um, between me and you, this match is more something like is um, I'm in the game a long time. I see a lot of grinders that put their heart and soul into the game. They grind their asses off, and they put in so much time, and they play really well, and they practice. And a lot of them aren't fortunate enough to get the um, results that they deserve. And then you get some people that pop onto the scene that run really well because of variance, and they believe they have the game figured out like Kate Hall. And uh-huh. if she handled it by being humble, I would have no issues with it. But the problem the problem I have with her is instead of her being humble and accepting it and saying, you know what, I've been running well, but I'm practicing, you know, I'm happy for people like that. But when you come across saying like, uh, like it's all you and your grade and uh, calling people small-minded and thinking you're better than them, I mean, I find it hilarious because I think the girl basically has no idea... Uh, about in depth about poker in general. It's very easy to play the game when you get cards. It's very easy to fold, 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 and you know, keep folding your way and picking up big hands. And it's easy to learn the game too when you get hands. It's you know, it's a lot harder to play hands and make calls than it is when you're picking up big pairs and you're always having someone dominated. Um, and it's part of the game. And that's my that's my really beef with her. Is uh, I think she's way out of line, especially when she insulted Todd Brunson in the hand. He's not smart enough. And I mean, where do you come off even insulting somebody? The guy's a legend. He's been playing cash before you were born. Do you remember anything about Todd Brunson? Because I don't. Do you know anything about that? Insulting Todd Brunson? Yeah, I never heard about that. I don't know anything about it, but my guess, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's uh, (laughs) the politics thing. I know she's on the the left and he's on the right, right? Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe maybe it came from there. I don't know. I have no idea. He's, uh, but and now he's starting to get into it and say, basically saying that uh, she ran really well and that uh, she's actually not that good and she should have been humble about it and just realized she was running well. And, and uh, instead she's gotten very arrogant and is talking down to people and, he, and he's, uh, he's coming to show her that she's going to be taught a lesson. And you're a new jack on the scene and you think because you're book smart, you're better than other people. And it's really, it pisses a lot of people off. And then, you know, when I made a comment, I was out of playfulness, obviously. And then she gets really disrespectful, you know, started cursing. And I said, you know, on Twitter, I said, relax and watch your tone of voice. And she came at me real deep. And, you know, she's a feminist. You want to act like a man? I'm going to treat you like a man. And I came right back at her and gave her a little bit of a medicine. And uh, she ran her mouth like a dude, you know. She felt like she was being, you know, I guess someone was getting aggressive to us, so that was her answer back. And uh, now it's sinking in, and she's probably wondering, what the hell did I get myself into? And she's going to get punished for her big mouth now. (laughs) Kate Hall is going to get punished for her big mouth. Now, to be fair, he's referring to her being punished the heads up match. He's not talking about being punished in any other way. I, at least I think he's that's not going to spank her. No, no. Uh, but no, uh, I'm, I'm not going to watch. <laughs> but he, but he's, he's he's saying she's going to get punished for her big mouth in the heads up match. The problem is he hasn't yet touched on the fact that there's 
a lot of variance in these things. What if he's the one who ends up getting punished? What happens then? Easily could happen. And, and by the way, he better hope, and I tweeted something about this a few days ago, he better hope that Donald Trump does something really, really controversial on the day of this match. <laughs> because because Kate Hall has been just going nuts on Twitter recently about Donald Trump. A, a lot of people are. But I, oh, she, it's a tilter. She, she has been tilting so badly on Twitter about Donald Trump, just going crazy, more, more than usual. So what he needs is on the day of the match for Donald Trump to do just something really outrageous, and then that's all she will have on her mind. She's going to have a hard time concentrating, and then he might very well punish her. And um, like I said, heads up, obviously we all understand it's variance and it goes back and forth, but the variance, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, even with the variance, I still think I'm going to destroy her. And uh, we'll take it, you know, we'll take it after that, and we'll see. Just the individual okay. match aside of you playing her in the... the- what were you say there? I was excited. I mean, you just can't say that. It, no, it, I know. Any, anytime <laughs> anyone says something like this, I mean, I, I get it. He's emotional and he, he's pissed off at her or whatever. But you play a heads-up match, man. I mean, <laughs> there, it, this is sort of like the uh, the Doug Polk thing. I mean, there's no upside to talking smack because when you get your ass kicked, you, you look like a complete dickhead and you feel terrible, right? And if you do win, it, it doesn't add anything to it. Yeah, so – and it is interesting he mentioned about her being book smart. So Kate Hall is a a former lawyer, and she she doesn't practice anymore, but she was a lawyer at one point. She went to – what was it, Yale or something? And uh, so so Mike Dantali is – I'm not even sure what his background is, but – he, he's someone who didn't get he that. He used to wash cars. Yeah, he didn't get that type of education. He's one of these more uh, the poker players that uh, got into the game that that isn't isn't one of the book smart ones. So th- there's there is a mixture in poker like this of 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 the uh, of the types like Mike Dentali, the the ones who are, who are just kind of brash and 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 not very educated. Some of them are successful. I'm not saying that uh, I'm not saying this is a put down. But you have types like that in the game, and you also have types like Kate Hall, who who went uh, you know, very far with her education and and achieved a lot. So, so a lot of times these two types of people can clash and not understand each other well. And and then uh, in addition, Kate Hall has all the uh, social justice warrior type stuff going on that uh, socially and politically, which she's very outspoken about that. Rubs a lot of people the wrong way. So that was also... And then Mike Dentali is just... Uh, he can get very aggressive and, and sometimes even threatening with people. So like at one point he threatened to to drown uh, Joe McKeon in in the Bellagio Fountain. So <laughs> they're fighting on Twitter. So, so the two very different types of people here, okay? So oh, uh, Mike Dentali is like the, the aggressive muscle guy at your table that is uh, that's trying to scare you. And Kate Hall is like this uh, uh, some, somewhat arrogant uh, Ivy League girl who's, who's sitting there. Who, who, you know, you get the impression of sitting there thinking she's better than you. So she's a crypt keeper. <laughs> you love that. You love that Photoshop. You love the crypt keeper. There is a. Uh, let me see if it's still up there on Kate Hall's main Twitter. I've got to see if it's still there. It's interesting with Kate Hall. Kate Hall. Blocks a lot of people on Twitter for flimsy reasons, but she's never blocked me, even though I've mentioned her a number of times and not always in a flattering way. She's never blocked me, but she's also never responded to me. 
It's like it's like she ignores that I exist. Even if there's like some discussion going on, which I'm part of, she never acknowledges me in any way, shape, or form, which is fine. I don't care. But it's funny that I'm absolutely never acknowledged, but also not blocked. So I'm like, I'm like not bad enough to be blocked, but not good enough to be acknowledged. Well, Druff, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> uh, I, I will say that it's, it's very unlikely she loves me, though. I'll give you that. So anyway, yeah, if you look at her, her main Twitter, I, have you ever heard of the, uh, the the pointy knees or the pointy elbows meme? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. So of course. It, it, it's a joke where it, it shows some really uh, ugly guy who, who who spends all his day online. And he looks at some girl who's who's very pretty, but uh, you know maybe has some tiny flaw. And he says, "Nope, wouldn't do her. She has pointy elbows. She got pointy knees." And of course, the joke being is that she's way way above his. Uh, yeah, the uh, original one was like a sixteen-year-old kid. That was it. I, did, I don't think yeah. I ever saw that yeah. original. But yeah, so the, the joke, of course, being that she's uh, way out of his league, but but he's rationalizing that he wouldn't be with her which he have no chance for anyway because of some tiny flaw that he thinks he found there. In, the, in this case, the pointy knees or pointy elbows. The funny thing is if you want to see an actual real case of pointy elbows, yeah, go to Kate Hall's Twitter, which is twitter.com slash Kate Hall, and Kate is with a C, C-A-T-E, Hall. And this is her own picture she chose as her main Twitter photo. This isn't some unflattering shot that uh, I'm, I'm picking out from somewhere. Click on her main picture, and her el- I've never seen elbows this pointy. She has really, really, really pointy elbows. You know, I mean, I just want. She, I just, does, she does have pointy elbows. I, I just wanted to throw that out there. It's 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 funny. It's like I, it was so pointy that even in the small square Twitter picture that you see when you go to Twitter, where you have to click on it to blow it up and to see it more, even in the tiny Twitter square that they show in the feed, I'm like, what? What is that? Why, why am I seeing that? It looks really pointy to like I think. What is this picture? It's weird. And then I blew it up and like, oh, you talking about the one where she's fishing? Oh, she must have changed it. No, 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 no. She's lying back on a bit on some pillows with a oh, Rolling Stone a, shirt. I got the wrong Kate Hall. Oh wow! Well, you said it's C A T E, right? C A T E Hall. It's all one word. Uh, okay, okay. And she's laying back on like some pillows with a Rolling Stone shirt, and she has sunglasses oh, yeah. on. Oh yeah, yeah those, it's, it's not I a mean, bad picture. Are, honestly, it looks like she's got. Uh, Looks like she's got hooks on them. <laughs> and you know like, I mean? like they, they've got some creatures in horror movies that kind of look like they crawl on their elbows and they got hooks on them. And it's yeah. funny, like other than that, the, the picture's fine and she doesn't look bad. But it's like the uh, and, her, and her face is pretty, but like her her elbows are so pointy in this. It's it's uh, it's one of the few cases where I think you could make a legitimate argument. Yes, elbows too pointy. Yeah, but but you know, all of that said, anyone being critical of her, you know, me, you, whatever, would still hit it. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, she's you know what I'm saying? Maybe like, if she I, didn't I'm talk. Not being, I'm not trying to claim that uh, that I wouldn't hit it. It's, but, you know, the average dude would would hit a uh, ripe cassava melon, too. So, you know, I, really I, I, only if she would uh, not talk about politics or any kind of uh, social justice issue. If, if no, that you, you might you might like it even more. No, no. Just, if, if that grudge. started, I'd ha- no, I'd have to leave. I, I couldn't you'd grudge, it. You grudge fucker. I know. You no, I, I couldn't even do that. It would it would just. It would bother me that much to hear that stuff. I couldn't. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. The the elbows. I could that that I could uh, get past, but not the uh, social justice stuff. Okay, so are you saying it would make your uh, little druff wilt? Yes, for sure. Really? Oh, yeah. Like you might you might actually have 
a your your sex drive would be affected by having to listen to that. Yeah, it would be worse than uh, thinking about baseball. Yeah, like you'd have a you'd have a hard time getting in the mood even if you put the Barry White on if she started talking politics. I had to turn it really it. loud. Yeah. <laughs> you had to drown it out. <laughs> that's, that's what I'd have to do. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Or she starts talking politics, just ask her for a blowjob. You know, one, one other thing you could do, I guess, to, to put an end to that if you were with her is you could uh, – There was a. Uh, you probably don't know who this is because you're over in New York. But uh, for the Dodgers, they had a longtime announcer slash uh, Dodger talk host – who took calls after the game named Ross Porter. They, they, they fired him, and I, I didn't agree with that firing. He didn't do anything. They just got rid of him. But Ross Porter, when he ran Dodger Talk, what he would do is he just let people call up and rant about the Dodgers, and he, he wouldn't challenge them. He wouldn't argue with them. He'd just pretend to be listening, and in reality he wasn't listening at all. And he'd just go, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you brought up a very good point there, and uh, I think you may very well be right. So thank you for calling Dodger Talk, and have a nice evening. And the person's so happy because they really think Ross Porter agreed with them or listened to them. In reality, that's what he did with everybody. Like, that's it's all he did was say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, well, good point. You may may very well be right. So I think that's what you'd have to do with her. She'd start ranting about, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of sexism in poker, and there's a, there's a lot of microaggressions to the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Druff, I think you would wait it out, and I think you would hit it, no matter what. I, I had to do that. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, Kate, you may very well be right. There's some very good points you're bringing up, and uh, and thank you for coming over. And it would be one of those things that, like, the irritation would just build up and up, <laughs> but, you, but you would still tolerate it. And then when you finally blew your load, I mean, first of all, you'd probably try and, you know, decorate her face with it just to, you know... <laughs> Desecrate her or whatever. You would then explode literally after Little Druff exploded. Where, where is the show and, going? And then, and then you would tell her off. I, I can't believe this. This is just what's that? The, the show is just going so uh, in the gutter this week. <laughs> this, this is happening so many times. We're just going into these uh, graphic uh, descriptions of things. I, is I it can't too much? Just... Are we going to get a bad rating? We get the explicit tag. I, I think that uh, Tipper Gore is going to be angry about this. All right, I'm sorry. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be leaving soon anyway, so I, it will go back to I'll stop ruining your show. With I, I my think juvenile, I, my juvenile stuff. But I, 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 I do think that you would tolerate it because every guy out there has put up with some annoying girl just hoping to get laid. Like every single no, one. no, I, I have. Um, yeah. And but when I have done so, it's been more that the girl was just stupid and and had a kind of an annoying personality rather than had an offensive personality or saying things I really didn't want to hear or didn't want uh, to discuss that right. that I'm not sure I could do. I, I've, I have dealt with ones that were like very pretty and very, but uh, also stupid or a little bit annoying and just kind of tolerated it. Now these were not girls I would have wanted as girlfriends, but, uh, but yes, I, that, that I've done before. But, well, uh, and that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that would be the the same kind of scenario here. That you would tolerate it, you would listen to it. You know, you would try and sway her one way or the other. You try and ply her, get her some wine. You know, get her talking about something else. But you would put up with it just to just to uh, do the deed. Yeah. And then immediately after, you'd be so done with it. But as you I said, I, I you, would, you would just get up and leave. So that that I probably do, but I don't know when <laughs> yeah. I would. I may I may have to leave before. 
ahead of time, she'd be saying all this stuff. And he'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then afterwards, she'd start saying it. He'd be like, I got to go. See you later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the tolerance would be gone. Yeah. Now, now, to, now to be fair, I, I just just to be fair here so I don't sound like the pointy knees guy, okay. I, I, I don't think she'd want to be with me. So I, I can say that. Yeah. I can say that right off the bat here. So I'm not I'm not acting like I'm rejecting her in any way. So I yeah. and 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 same here, right? So I, I'm not trying to be just critical of her, trying to to say that I am better than her or whatever. But I mean, she does have pointy elbows, like yeah. legit, legit pointy elbows. I, I don't even think she's been with anyone who's as as old as we are. I think that uh, I don't think she's into the older guy know. thing. I don't know her sexual itinerary. You know, I have no idea. I don't really, honestly, other than the various flame-ups on Twitter, I know very little about I her. I don't know that much either. From what I've seen, like the guys she's been with seem to be kind of near her age. They, she doesn't seem yeah. to – like some, some women are okay with older guys and some of them like older guys and then some of them like don't want that at all. She kind of seems like – a guy like fifteen years older, she wouldn't want really be. Into See, it. I actually, I actually like her. Like even even if I don't agree with uh, a lot of the stuff that she says, I like that she's feisty. I like that, um, and also I like the fact that she just provides lots of entertainment, like hours and hours of entertainment. No, I like the entertainment. That's why I follow. No, no, I, I follow her on Twitter. If I didn't like like the stuff she put out, if I didn't want to read it, I would just unfollow her. So that's I, I will agree that uh, it, it's entertaining and. Uh, and I, I like that side of her, but uh, uh, I, I don't think she and I would get along very well. We've never played at poker together. We've never had a conversation, uh, but uh, I, I don't think I, I think there's too many differences. I don't think the two of us could get along. Well, but, there's a there's a subset of women in their twenties and thirties that are interested in guys in their forties, and usually it's a small subset, and, and usually it's when the guys have got tons of money. <laughs> it's just the way it is, you know. Not there, always. There, there, yeah, there there are there actually are a number of them who it's not really about money. Once it gets to like thirty years, it's almost always about money. Uh, twenty years or less, like fifteen, twenty years. There's a lot of girls not interested in that, and that's understandable. Right. But uh, but there are some that just legitimately like guys who are that much older for maturity yeah, because reasons. They have daddy issues. Yeah, maturity reasons or, or just they, they, they're tired of guys their own age or they just feel like they relate with that age group better. I've, I've known a number of them like that. And some of them have daddy issues for sure. But, uh, and, and there's also ones that just have a wide range that they'll deal with. Like some will date, you know, some women who are 28 years old will date guys who are 28, but also date guys who are 45 and, and have not really not a preference either way. They just, uh, have a range that's pretty big that way. So. Though, though you know, I won't, I won't fault any of the women who won't date much older because, you know, I never wanted to date women older than me, even a little bit older. So, yeah, not at all. So that's, if I felt that way, then they had a right to feel that way about me too. The younger women yeah, had the right to feel sure. that me being old was uh, unappealing to them. So, uh, let's let's see here. Let's see what else he says here before I shut this off we, we stopped it at the she's going to get punished and that, that that was the most provocative part of it but let's, let's i think what... he's an idiot for saying that and i'm not nothing against him but just there's no upside to doing that yeah he, he shouldn't look like a fool if he loses and he he legit could be a much better player than her and still lose yeah you know? he, yeah he should he shouldn't have said that i agree you, you don't ever make predictions like that in something that uh, could really go either way 
the personal the personal not vendetta but the personal feelings you have toward the match you think it's good for poker in general that you guys are playing this honestly i think everything is good for poker any you, you have to understand something it's just whether it's positive or negative anything that draws up hype is a good thing it brings attention to the game you're going to have people that are going to love you and hate you you know you could you could have something that's all positive and great and people might get bored and not be interested in it so it might not other people might say this isn't good for poker because no one cares and it's all positive so my aspect is it is whether it's positive or negative as long as it's not bad meaning it's you know we're promoting something that's, you know, really bad or we're promoting, you know, sexism or disrespectful, you know, stuff like that. We're, we're promoting poker with a little bit of a grudge match. It's too. Well, it's more than that. I mean, there were a lot of pretty personal insults back and forth on that one. It's so, way more than that. <laughs> so, yeah, you can, yeah, I mean, when he's saying that she has long bony fingers and she, I forgot what she said about him, but some really nasty stuff about him, too. I, I They were definitely trying to really say nasty mean things to piss the other off and humiliate the other so it's not just hey this is a grudge match a grudge match is where you you're playing someone in poker and maybe talking a little trash about the, them or their game but you're not really really being mean and nasty here here they, they they're both tying this to as an extension to their twitter war which is but i i have to agree with the beginning of what he said there that people will have an interest in this because of this factor a lot more than something positive that that it'll come off as boring. So that's when we were talking about these like manufactured grudge matches, like this one with uh, William Kasouf and Stacy Madison. That was clearly to promote some online poker site or or some tournament. I think it was. Uh, this at least is real. This at least is based upon actual uh, bad blood, and that's why people are interested in seeing what happens with it. So he's he's correct about that. Two people that don't like each other, we're going at each other. Um, it has more to it than just poker. It has personality involved. Um, I'm a well-known figure, meaning I play a lot. I've been around. A lot of people know me. She's got a big mouth. People know who she is. You know, she's a, a big-time liberal. <laughs> she's got a big mouth. Oh my God! He's like, yeah, he's bragging about himself. Yeah, like, ah, I'm really well known and. Uh... Because I've been around, I've been playing a lot, and she's got a big mouth, so people know her because she's got a big mouth. <laughs> she's a big mouth, she's a liberal. I've been around a long time, she's got a big mouth, it's a good match. Which I think is to the so far to the left, it's just absurd. I think she's way out of line, she's a little bit, you know, I think she's a little bit off a rocker, personally. And a lot of people know who she is, basically, because of her politics. And again, I'm not going to take anything away from her poker career. You know, even a person with a brain, when they put in that time and they want to learn how to play the game, yes, it's easier when you're running well, but they're still putting in time, and I'm sure she's picking it up. But my issue is be humble about it, because I know a lot of people came into the game, and I'm not going to name names. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When did, bracelets, did Tally, did Tally just tell people to be humble? <laughs> oh, my God. He mentioned it earlier, too. I know he's very big on the humble thing, which is weird, what? because he's, he's the opposite of that. What? Yeah. I, I don't get that part. <laughs> Holy shit. That's people fucking... made a lot of money, and now they can't even make a pair. So, you know, and she's realizing that like everyone else, and it's finally, I think, sinking in. And I don't know about that. She just won something like 95000 at some uh, at Bellagio at, the, I think, the Five Diamond in uh, early December. So I, I don't think it, it's not sinking in until you go through a long stretch where you're winning nothing and losing money. So I, I don't know what her overall results are, but she hasn't she hasn't yet hit any kind of wall where she's just struggling and losing every tournament. So uh, 
That that has not occurred yet. Now, he's raising a point that she hasn't been around that long, and it can occur, and that uh, this this could be a product of running well, but to say it's happening already is not really true. And, uh, if she's humble about it, I'll back off. If not, I'm just going to keep moving forward and I'm going to keep trash talking her. And, uh, and another thing, why I think uh, it's good for poker, because, I mean, this match is, you know, has caught the attention of a lot of people in the poker, you know, poker community, where I get approached by a lot of different people that I know and don't know. And I think it gives people that are in the game something to watch and be interested in. So uh, if you hate me or you hate her, you could root against one of us. You could watch a match that's going to have some type of, you know, you're going to see people, I guess, play out of each other and try to take each other's heads off, be able to maybe bet, you know, on some sites I heard there's uh, betting going up. And uh, I think it draws attention to the game, which in the long run is still a good thing. You know, any attention to poker, um, something like this, I think is positive. And what are you doing personally to promote the match since it's two months away? Um, I mean, personally, I'm really not doing too much because I think uh, Sugar House in general, it's a great casino, um, beautiful poker room. They're uh, promoting it on their end. Poker Night, which is another great outfit, I believe. You know, they get a great, you know, I think it's great poker on TV, good personalities. The cast and lineup is great. I'm wondering if they're getting money for this, both of them, because this is being covered... uh... Yeah, you know, Poker Night in America is making a show out of this. It's taking place in, in this uh, Sugar House Casino. I, I wonder if one or both are paying either of them, maybe covering their buy-ins or part of their buy-ins, because they, otherwise they're getting this material for free, especially Poker Night in America, which is kind of making me wonder. Like, on, on one hand, you could say, okay, these two also would like to promote themselves. I mean, both of them. Both, both Mike Dentali and Kate Hall would be thrilled to get publicity. So maybe that's all that they are getting here. Is the publicity, but well, the Poker Night in America, like the regular show. Uh, my understanding is none none of the people that go on there get paid to be on there. Yeah, I, that that I know, but this is kind of a special. This is, and I'm not saying they do get paid. I'm but just how saying, is it different? You know what I mean? Because this is Poker Night in America is kind of just a group of people thrown together to play. But this is something that people are talking about way in advance and, and looking well, forward the to the benefit that they, yeah, I agree with you that there, there probably is some value there. Um, but the benefit that, uh, Kate Hall and Dentali get out of it is that, um, they get a bunch of publicity, they get a venue for this to happen. Um, and they get it broadcast. And I think both of them dislike each other enough that the draw of being able to humiliate the other person with, Thousands of people watching is just fantastic. Yeah, you know, like I think that's probably a big draw for them. I, it, I'm sure it is, and it. I'm just wondering if beyond that, if they've negotiated anything, they might. I mean, to... it wouldn't. It wouldn't affect my opinion of the match either way if they did make no, but some it kind wouldn't, of appearance fee. Or yeah, something. not not me either because because it's real because it had its origins in a real argument and a real desire to play each other. And this is that other stupid one, the Kasuf. Yeah, I was just mentioning that. Yeah, the Kasuf and Madison one that's that's clearly uh, staged. That's about as real as cheese whiz. (laughs) So, so yeah, this this is genuine. So that's that's why I have any interest in this one. That's that's why I'm even playing this on the show. That's why I've given this any time on this show because at least this is the result of a genuine fight on Twitter and a genuine dislike between these two very uh, opposite people and personalities. I want to see some crazy prop bets on the betting sites for this thing you know like 
a thousand to one that that one of them hits the other one during the match, or something, <laughs> you know? yeah. or 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 ten thousand to one that uh, they end up uh, kissing on camera. Or <laughs> That would they be good. Come we should up with some really. Yeah, fun we should put them together. You know, I don't. I don't think Dentali is likely under any circumstances to to hit Kate unless she were to hit him first. But but I could see the other way around. I could see where you know, maybe a pointy elbow to the head. Yeah. <laughs> that could be dangerous. That, that could, could be, be lethal. <laughs> I would lethal. I would watch out if I were Mike. There, yeah. That's, that's like getting hit with a pickaxe. That's true. She's got weapons. People don't realize they they see this skinny girl. They go, okay, you know, what damage could she do? She could do a lot. Yeah. Okay. That's that's funny. I think it's entertaining for people to watch. They're involved in this, and you know, me and Kate. Like I said, you know, love her or hate her, Kate's a well-known figure. People know who she is, and uh, I think it's something in general that's promoting itself. So I think a lot of people are going to be tuning in. You know, they want to watch the match. Um, we got two good guys, I guess, Doug Polk and Sean Deeb. They're going to commentate. Um, you know, Sean's a funny guy. I'm sure he's going to rip into uh, both of us. Uh, make his uh, make his opinion well known. So I think it's going to be something interesting that everybody's going to get a good uh, a good you know laugh at. And again, I'm the type of guy. Listen, I love to joke and you know mess around and make insults, but I know that if I do that, I'm able to take it back to me. Also, I don't mind people could insult me and make jokes. You know, I th- I don't know about that either. But you know, there was some controversy about who was going to commentate. I, I'm forgetting who it was now because this happened about Talk a month. Who, who was it? Tuckman. No, it wasn't oh, about no, Tuckman. No, no, you're talking about one of the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was somebody one else. The, one of the people that was friends with Ventali. Right, right. So, she, so Kate Hall got mad that someone she had approved someone at first. I'm forgetting who it was. Uh, and then she realized he was good friends with Dentali and in fact had bet on Dentali or something. And she said, uh, "No, I, I, I don't want him anymore. I didn't realize he was friends with Dentali." And and Dentali got mad and and uh, started giving her a hard time. As did the guy himself and friends of his. And and she said that. Someone was suggested to commentate. I think maybe Melissa Burr, that was friends with her, and she claimed that she automatically shut that shot that down because that person was friends of hers, and she felt right. it would be uh, seen in a bad light. I, I think I probably believe all this, and I actually understand that. I I have to say I'm on her side on this one. That people who are commentating should not be ones that are very likely to be on one side or the other. Otherwise, it really poisons the commentating. You want to see. Heartfelt commentating, not commentating that's purposely meant to favor one side. And in fact, I was once the victim of this at the, when at the uh, 2013 5K Limit Hold'em Final Table. There was a commentator put on there, not Tuckman, who was uh, – I thought Tuckman was uh, did a good job. But uh, um, when David Baker, the older David Baker, ODB, when he was brought in, he doesn't like me. I don't like him. We haven't liked each other for years. And Rose match. Yeah, <laughs> limit hold them. <laughs> limit hold them. Grudge match. Yeah. So uh, he, it was very, very clear to everyone listening, including ones who who didn't know him or me, like people who just were watching from the outside that uh, knew nothing about poker, or and they knew about poker but not, nothing about the community. Were saying, "Wow, that David guy. He clearly didn't like you. I mean, he was so biased against you." Like it was funny hearing from people about this because the, it wasn't even people who just knew in advance that we didn't like each other and, and this colored their opinion of it. They People who knew nothing about the people in poker, this was obvious to them. So that that was annoying to have happen. Now, I couldn't hear it as it was happening because I was playing, so it didn't affect my play. But, uh, you know, to hear about this afterwards was annoying that people watching it got to hear 
biased commentary. It was actually a bias in two ways. One of the other people at the table was a friend of his too. Now I didn't have any problem with a friend of his, but uh, but so so he made a lot of a whole lot of positive comments about the friend, and and any time it came up where he could possibly criticize me, he did. So. Uh, I, I can understand Kate not wanting that situation where there's someone scrutinizing to bash something about her and to praise Mike, and at the same time, why she, why she may have said to someone who was friendly with her, "No, you shouldn't commentate either; it's going to look bad." So, you know, Druffin, hearing Ventali talk when he started to say, uh, uh, "Sean Deeb, he's a funny guy," you know. It reminded I thought he was going to bust into a Joe Pesci. Like, hey, he's a funny guy. How am I funny? Funny like a clown, huh? You know? <laughs> it sounded like it. And I know this is terrible, but there, there are certain accents. And I, I shouldn't get this, but certain accents, I have a hard time if I just meet someone and they have a very thick accent of a certain type. I have a hard time believing that they're intelligent. Yeah, I know. I'm sure is, it's horrible, right? Because <laughs> obviously you can be smart from anywhere. But like a thick Jersey accent, I just have a hard time immediately going, oh, this person is really smart, you know? And it's the same thing with a really thick Southern accent. I knew you were going to say that. The Southern accent and like I, the, the Jersey, I, Philadelphia I accent. I can't, I can't help it, you know? I'm just like. And and it's totally unfair, but it's just I mean it is what it is. Yeah. Well, in fact, some some of them even play on that, especially the the southern ones. There's some guys who will you know very intelligent guys who will do YouTube videos that uh, right. identify themselves as like the intellectual redneck. Right. So, so yeah, I, I agree. When you when you hear that, you just uh, you, you expect it's just my initial gut reaction. I yeah. Mean, obviously, I still. Uh, you know, evaluate what they say and, and, and see if there's, you know, some merit to it or whatever. But it, the second I start hearing, I, that's my instant instinct. It's just, oh, here we go. Yeah. So <laughs> here, here's, here's the end of this video. I think it's fun. I think it's great. If I'm going to do it to you, I want you to do it to me. Let's have some fun. Let's enjoy each other. So, um, you know, I'm just wondering how she's uh, going to handle this match because she can't wear her headphones. And um, I'm going to talk. And we're going to have some table talk, and I want to—I I want to see if she's going to be able to uh, withstand the uh, Mike Dentali barrage of talking and having fun and uh, ripping into her. <laughs> oh, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, I don't I, even I'm, care if they play poker. I just want to. I know that now that I'm hearing this, I'm saying, "Wow, I can't wait till this is on." I—I I, oh, I, I have yeah. to agree. I have to. Dentali when I hear this, is doing a fantastic job selling this show. I really want to see it now. Yeah, I have not really wanted to see poker live or you know on, on stream or whatever for a long time i really want to see this I, I think the reason everyone wants to see this so bad not just the the twitter war but like what he's saying here like they, they see how easily kate gets upset on twitter and and how easily she gets uh riled up and you think okay you're, you're forcing her to sit at a table with like the most offensive guy possible to her yep and 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 now and play poker during it and yep. and how how is she going to withstand this and then with Mike being a an explosive personality himself, who also gets riled up easily, if if she gives it back to him, how's he going to react? So everyone oh, everyone yeah. is waiting to see what happens here. This is why there's oh, such interest here. Fantastic. So how many days is this thing taking place? Over? I'm not sure. I you know the funny thing is this article I'm reading about it. Though I knew this answer at one point, I don't know the exact date. I know it's sometime in March, but it doesn't even say the exact date. I think maybe is it March just one 2nd. day though. I think it's just one day. But when I, you know what? It's a oh. uh, no. Never mind. It's a. Uh, it's three. It's three ten thousand dollar matches, best of three. So I could be two if if someone wins both of the first two. All in one day, though. That's not made clear. 
Okay. So let's. Uh, and I will be say, respectful, I, like I said. I, okay. Is it, Wait, sorry. I will be sorry. respectful, he said. And I'm a gentleman when a <laughs> woman acts like a lady and she's classful and is respectful. But if um, I'm going to be insulted and, you know, cursed at, I will warn you. And if you continue to do it, I will give you back your own medicine. Well, you're having fun out there today on day one of the WPT Championship. Good luck this week, Mike, and good luck in the next couple months. Great. Thank you. Prepared because I oh. feel prepared because. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's the interview. I thought it was interesting. It's it's almost nine minutes long, but it was interesting. And uh, So in, in addition to Trump, and you're right, like maybe if he does something really stupid, she'll – uh, be up late on Twitter, and we'll be all riled up from that. And and he could even use that to his advantage too. Yeah, he like, should start he's smart. He could wear like a big old fucking Trump hat or something. Yeah, he, and that day he should start retweeting things that uh, Trump puts out on Twitter. That, or, uh, or, yeah, that and then he also has a random, you know, what like uh, maybe like a, a, almost a one in one in five chance, one in four chance that she'll be PMSing at the time. That's too. true, and he could which. And I, I, you know, I'm not being sexist about it, but I've been around women for a long time, and there is a hormonal thing that does happen. Yeah, uh, I've seen it so, too. You know. I've seen it too. Yeah. I've seen it where there's a woman who, you know, they might be dating who is uh, particularly uh, irritable or difficult with me on on that day, and then and uh, I would be too. Okay, like I, you know, some of the stuff that happens to their bodies, I would be fucking irritated. <laughs> I would be really irritated. So I'm not, I'm not blaming any women. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's possible. He sh- he should wear a uh, "Make America Great Again" hat there too. That's that that's what be- I'm saying. Yeah. He should wear he should wear a Trump hat. You know, I mean, why not? It's a you know, why not? Yeah, that's he should whatever he can do to just get her off her game. So yeah, that's that's coming up next month. We'll of course cover what happens when it does happen on this show. And let's see what else we got here. Uh, I'm not sure what the blinds are going to be in this match. I'm not sure how it's going to be structured, but I guess we'll get those details. Who cares? Later. Get them in there. Yeah, I, 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 the thing I don't really care that much. It's, it's not even so much about who wins. It's just the. Uh, the stuff that happens back and forth, that's what everyone I, wants to I see. I hope one or the other of them just goes on absolute, unfiltered monkey tilt. Yes. <laughs> that's what you need. Yeah, the one to just run way better than the other and then just have... And I don't even care. I really could care, couldn't care less who it is. It's true. Like, I, I don't... You know? I, I I don't either. I, I'm not even really rooting for either one of them. I just uh, I just want to see would, it. They would both be equally entertaining tilting their faces yeah, off. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? That's true. <laughs> Okay, so here's here's and, and like if Dentali is the one that goes on tilt, you know Kate Hall is just going to sit there and just be really smug. And yes, snarky, yes, very and, much. Which will just drive him insane. Yes, and then if she does, then he's going to be like mocking her and making a lot oh, of uh, yeah obnoxious statements, and she's going to. I wouldn't even if he really pisses her off. I'm sure he will go cross the line and say all sorts of sexist things like you know go back and. Get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich or some shit like that. <laughs> Just drive her up the fucking wall. Okay, so uh, here here's an interesting thing that, that's uh, this story I've been following for a while. It's not about poker, but it's about uh, gambling, and it's uh, it's taken an interesting turn, even more interesting than where it was before. Uh, there's these sports touts out there, these guys who sell picks 
and there's the ones that you can buy it for you know, twenty dollars a month uh, off some website, or you can. Uh, there's ones that charge a lot more for that, and they cater to very high-end clientele who uh, bet very large sums of money. And for these guys, if they really could find someone who is uh, really, really good at, at handicapping, could be worth a lot of money to them if you're betting huge money on every game. So these touts come out there, and they, they most of them either mislead people or outright scam regarding their ability or results or qualifications. And as the old saying goes, if your system's so good, if you're making so much money betting, why are you selling it? And of course, the the answer, they have an answer ready for that. The answer always is, well, because they won't let me bet that much anymore. I've been, I've been restricted. I've been told I can't bet uh, anymore at most books, or I've been limited to very little money, so all I can do now is sell my picks. Now, that is a real thing. People have been restricted at books, both online and live, for doing too well. One, one secret about sports betting that they don't want to get out is if you're losing or, or breaking even, they're happy to take your bets. If you're winning, and you, and you seem to be winning not just from dumb luck, then, uh, then they actually don't want your action. It, it's uh, similar to blackjack and card counting, where if they catch you card counting and see your positive expectation against them, they actually tell you you can't play blackjack there anymore. Sports betting is similar. Uh, it's, it's not as harsh as blackjack. They won't kick you out of the property or something if they catch you, but they will say, sorry, we're not taking your action anymore. Sorry, you've been limited to some very low number per, per game. Uh, by the way, before we uh, get into this, I see Cal White. You got to take off. Yeah, I, I was up pretty late last night, and I think got a whole bunch of stuff to do tomorrow. So I apologize. I was kind of hoping Trader Ruski or someone would call in, and uh, I could, I could. Uh, well, it could still me. happen. So if, if Trader Ruski is around, he's uh, welcome to call in, or anybody else who wants to co-host right now with me. And uh, otherwise, I'll go with this myself. So uh, what do you want to do? If you you going to hang on the line, or are you just going to hang up? And, I, I'm uh, gonna I'm gonna hang up and okay. go upstairs and pass out. All right. Well, thank you for participating tonight, as as always, and uh, and thank you very much for the donation of which two thirds uh, you got back. It's rigged. Telling you, it's rigged. I had a feeling this might happen too. <laughs> I thought, hey, well, he's going to win now, and he's going to. There'll be no bounty because nobody can knock him out. Well, uh, sort of congratulations to win back two thirds of your own money. Hey, you know, and uh, do uh, ping me and let me know how you want me to get you that money. All okay, right? thank you very much, and yeah, very generous, right. and I appreciate your uh, repeated uh, involvement with the show every week as well. All right, man. Take care. Okay, see ya. Bye. That's Cal Watt, uh, very good co-host. Well liked by the audience, uh, very intelligent takes on things, and I'm not just saying it because he's willing to come on the show with me every week. I uh, really enjoy having him here as part of this show. So, one downside is he's three hours later than I am in New York, so he gets tired much sooner because for him it is close to three in the morning. Anyway, going back to this uh, tout story, most of these touts, uh, as I said, even though it is a real thing where people are banned or have their limits lowered at sports books because they are doing too well, because they seem to know what they're doing, that's not the situation with most touts. Most of these touts are slick salesmen who are, they're, they're selling a system that doesn't really work. They're, uh, 
Sometimes they're just making picks and pretending like they're a lot more successful than they are. Sometimes it's something as shady as they have different sets of picks of which at some point one's going to win because, uh, you know, if let's say you, you, you're given 10 different cards, you just randomly select 10 different games of which side's going to win. One of those 10 cards is going to do very well. And you can claim, okay, well, this one, this is the good picker when it's all really you. It could, it could be a computer program that selects at random. You could go, okay, this is the smart card. The next time, uh, card number seven is going to be the big winner. Well, no, that's just the one that lucked into it this week. So uh, some of these these uh, touts, they actually have different sets of picks, or, or they pick under different names online. And then the one that isn't doing well, they eventually retire. And the one that is doing well, they claim that, you know, that that's the one they go on with. There's a lot of different tricks they use. But most of these guys can't be trusted. There, there's a few services that are decent that I've heard about, so I'm not going to say every single tout service is a scam, but especially the ones that cater to the high-end private clients, those are the ones you can't ever trust. The ones you can trust the most are the ones that have a very big client base, that have a lot of people vouching for them. That, that uh, those, ser- those services, provided that you can get the picks early enough before the line moves... Those at least can have some value in some cases. But these individual guys with these gimmicky-looking websites that target wealthy bettors who are just looking for someone to give them winners, they're almost always some kind of scam. So one of the biggest scammers of this sort was a guy named Adam Meyer. Adam Meyer, uh, he had a a site called AdamWins.com. And if you uh, if you Google things like Adam Meyer scam, you can even see dating back several years discussion of his site being a scam before he even got in trouble. And he would uh, he would try to find well bankrolled clients would claim insane results on his picks that weren't real. And then, of course, not actually having any kind of real talent in this, he would lose. I'm not just assuming this. I'm not just uh, speculating this. This was actually proven in court. Uh, he even pled guilty to things like uh, claiming that he's never had a losing year gambling when, in fact, uh, he lost many years or that he was claiming false winning percentages. The, these were all proven in court. In fact, he pled guilty to a lot of these things. But but the big thing he did, the thing that really got everyone's attention, involved a liquor distributor in Wisconsin named Gary Sadoff. Uh, Gary Sadoff was uh, is the owner of Badger Liquor Co- Company, which is the Wisconsin's largest liquor distributor, and they make a lot of money. And he was betting uh he was betting with Meyer in fact something else Meyer was doing was steering his clients to bet with uh supposed third party betting services when in reality uh Meyer himself was booking the bets where they're actually his sites but that that's minor compared to what he did to Sadoff so he developed a relationship with Sadoff and, and with giving him picks and with with referring him to to places to bet but he eventually scammed and extorted $45 million out of Gary Sadoff. $45 million. And the way he did this was 
he would call he told Sadoff that uh, he was betting with large amounts of money with some dangerous bookies he knew and can't pay and that these bookies wrongly believe that the two of them are partners and he was saying that these bookies are going to kill both of them if they don't come up with the money he's like man you got to help me gary if i don't have the money and if i don't pay these guys now you know i lost to them i can't pay and they think you're involved too i know you're not but they think you are and they're going to kill both of us if they don't get the money so so sadoff was was so scared and and he kept paying and paying and they 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 ran various forms of the scam on him and uh at one point, Adam Meyer even pretended to be one of the bookies, uh, calling himself Kent Wong, and actually called him up and, and faked a Chinese accent. I, I can't believe this actually worked. But he's like, "Ah, oh, hello, uh, this is a uh, Kent Wong. Uh, if you do not uh, get, uh, if you do not, uh, you and Adam do not pay me my, my money, I'm going to kill you." Like he really did something like that, <laughs> and Sadoff fell for it. Uh, I, I wondered when you have this type of money. I mean, he had forty-five million. More than that, he had at least forty-five million to his name, Sadoff. If you're that rich, wouldn't it be smart to hire some muscle to defend yourself when you're being threatened like this? Like, like, why not just hire someone to deal with Kent Wong, or hire a, a lawyer to to uh, an influential influential lawyer to solve this through the criminal justice system? Uh, someone as rich as Gary Sadoff shouldn't be able to be extorted for forty-five million, short of you know someone actually having a family member uh, held hostage and you know, threat that they're going to kill them unless they pay that. That I can understand someone paying a lot of money, just saying, hey, the the family member's life is more important than the money. But uh, I, I'm surprised from just threats that he would be uh, that would happen. But yeah, between March of two thousand nine and February two thousand eleven. Sadoff paid $45.3 million to Meyer through the extortion and, and some other stuff. Now, Meyer also at one point flew to uh, with an, an associate, a gang member, to meet with Sadoff. And the gang member at one point cocked a gun and put it to Sadoff's head. He was never going to actually do anything. It was all to threaten him. But this was uh, – the associate was supposedly someone who was hostile to them, but they pretended that he wasn't. Yeah, he was actually a friend of Meyer's, but there was a, he played someone who was hostile to both of them. So, this story is all older, not as old as 2009, 2011. The, 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 uh, the guilty plea just uh, came down in, in July of 2016. And uh, I, I don't think Meyer has been sentenced yet. I know he was convicted and he pled guilty. But, uh, yeah, so this case all kind of hit the public last year, especially because Sadoff was identified for the first time last year, and he admitted that was him. He didn't have to, but uh, they were protecting his identity, but it was kind of deduced who he was, and then he admitted, yes, it was me. So this this part is all old. We've discussed this on the show before, but here's the interesting stuff. At one point, Meyer was considering what's known as the Donnie Brasco defense. And the Donnie Brasco defense is, is basically – it's based upon the Donnie Brasco story, which was made into a movie. That defense is that uh, you're while working undercover with law enforcement, that your association with the criminals while you're pretending to be one of them kind of messes with your mind to where you really believe you're one of them. 
and you end up doing things you shouldn't have because it, it was hard to it's hard to separate your real life from your undercover life and this is a real phenomenon which has happened before i'm not saying it's a, it's an excuse but it it has happened before in the Danny Donny Brasco case and, and and other cases where someone undercover actually starts to become sympathetic to the ones that they are trying to bust and in fact sometimes gets uh, seduced by the lifestyle and in fact uh, becomes the character they are playing. So what does this have to do with Adam Meyer, though? He's not in law enforcement. Well, Adam Meyer claimed that for many years that he was working as an FBI informant and that everything he did here was either part of the character he was playing in order to come off as legitimate to those he was informing on cuz you know he had a lot he had access to a lot of information in the underground gambling world because he was seen as this kind of a as this badass type who didn't care about the law who just you know did what he wanted so the Donnie Brasco defense is basically saying he became part of that whole world with the FBI's direction and that this was just one of the things he did to maintain the character not that he had to defraud this guy, but that, but that this was the character they created and that he had to live under and that uh, this was just one of the things he did under it. That was a defense he was planning before giving it up and pleading guilty. But a lot of people doubted this. You know, This is someone who made a living by lying. This is someone who lied about the success of his picks. This is someone who lied about the credentials of those making the picks. He claimed he had like 30 employees who, who were former scouts, you know, sports scouts and other things, which he really didn't have. It, the whole thing was based on lies. The whole AdamWins.com site was based on lies. The whole Adam Meyer sports tout service was based upon lies and fraud. So how can you really trust someone like that? This is someone who impersonated a fake Chinese guy. That was supposedly a book he that was after to kill him. I mean, so how can you believe anything Adam Meyer says? And that's why most people dismissed it, that he's just making up some crazy story that he was informing for the FBI. Well, turns out it's not a crazy story. Turns out he actually was informing for the FBI. Listen to this. In 2007, 10 years ago, in Connecticut, Adam Meyer was convicted for two felony fraud counts of scamming a lot of money out of casinos in both Connecticut, maybe Foxwoods, and Nevada. How much money did Adam Meyer scam that he was convicted for in 2007? One million dollars. No, no, six million dollars. Adam Meyer scammed six million dollars out of casinos in Connecticut and Nevada. In the 2000s. And in 2007, he was convicted of this scam. I'm not sure what the details were. But he was convicted in 2007 in Connecticut for scamming casinos in Connecticut and Nevada out of $6 million. Now, as you probably know, scamming casinos is pretty serious business. When you are caught scamming or cheating casinos, they really throw the book at you. Because... Uh, especially in a state like Nevada, they, they take it very seriously because it's so essential to the economy. In Connecticut, it's not as essential to the economy, but still, uh, these are very serious crimes. And to scam $6 million, you'd think he'd go away a long time. So how many years in prison did Adam Meyer get for scamming $6 million from casinos? Did he get 10 years? 
five years, two years, one year? How many years did Adam get in prison? Zero point zero. Yeah, he got no prison after being convicted. He got two years probation. And the reason this is just coming out now is that they just recently unsealed this information that was in a federal case, this federal case that they had in 2007. Two years probation for scamming six million out of casinos. Do you think you could scam six million out of casinos and get probation, no matter what your history? I, I don't care if you were an altar boy all your life. I, I, I don't care if you, uh, you spent your life donating every penny you made to the homeless and, and uh, curing sick puppies that you'd find on the street. Uh, two years probation when you're, you're convicted of felony fraud for scamming $6 million? Now, keep in mind, this wasn't Adam Meyer's first offense, even back in 2007. He had a criminal record at the time. So how was he possibly able to get a sentence of two years probation and zero prison time? Jeffrey Kramer, who's a former federal prosecutor, said, other than being handcuffed when he was first arrested, it sounds like he didn't spend a day in custody. And when asked about this sentencing, he said, that's odd. It's not a big departure from sentencing guidelines. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. However, the court documents showed that Adam Meyer agreed to cooperate with authorities to avoid jail time. And in an order in 2007, setting conditions for his probation, he was ordered not to gamble, quote, except with the authority and under the direction of law enforcement. That's interesting. I mean, it's not uncommon to have someone who is convicted of some sort of gambling-related offense to be told you can't gamble while on probation. That's very common. But it's never in there that you can only gamble if under the direction of law enforcement. That's really weird. So what that means is that there is a deal where he could gamble if it was part of his undercover character. He could gamble if it was in order to help catch other bad guys help give himself legitimacy. So, his attorneys are actually using his record as an informant, which I'll get to in a second, as one of their arguments for leniency in this current extortion case involving Gary Sadoff. And would you believe that, again, they're asking that Adam Meyer, despite extorting $45 million out of an innocent man, that he shouldn't serve any prison time for this one either. (laughs) I don't think he's going to get that this time, but that's what they're asking for. So what did he do for the FBI? Well, it turns out that uh, in November 2015... U.S. District Judge Lynn Adelman 
unsealed. Um, a, a sentencing memo. Not, sorry, that was last week that she did this. Um, she also unsealed one in November 2015. The one from 2015 said that uh, this is the same judge who who did this. Uh, she unsealed a motion from Meyer that said that um, he had been snitching for at least a dozen law enforcement agencies and helped the FBI seize $750 million from offshore bookies. So it's claimed here, and probably true, that Adam Meyer was snitching on so many offshore bookmaking operations with inside information he had from being part of the whole world that the U.S. government, specifically the FBI, seized $750 million from these offshore bookmakers. And the way they probably did it was through payment processing because you, you know, the offshore bookmakers, they can't just go and arrest them because they're not in the U.S., but they probably he probably knew about where the payments were coming from. He probably gave them enough info where they could follow the money and, and get it. So $750 million thanks to his snitching. Also, in this sentencing memo that was just released last week, which has 13 pages of email, by the way, it was originally sealed because uh, it was said that by one of his lawyers that it would be problematic to him if the document was made public. And um, he also claimed in these documents that he has aided the NFL and Major League Baseball. I'm not sure in what way, but that he also was informing to them about things that should not have been happening. So it turns out that the one of the biggest enemies of the gambling world as far as, far as a uh, law enforcement perspective is concerned has been Adam Meyer that he's been, he's been a uh, wolf in sheep's clothing to the online gambling industry where he pretended to be part of it pretended to be active in it protected, pretended to be very much aligned with it, but in reality was constantly giving them up to the FBI. And there kept being bust after bust, and they never could figure out who was doing it, because Adam Meyer himself was doing all kinds of bad things. He's not the one you would picture would be an FBI snitch. This guy just seemed like an outright criminal to those that knew him well. But it turned out he was a criminal and a snitch. So while he was doing all this, he was also extorting all this money out of Gary Sadoff. So now it's feared by Meyer and his attorneys that if they house him in the general prison population that he will get beaten up or killed because of all the different people and entities that he snitched on, including some that were very powerful. Now Meyer's been in jail since um, 
April 2015. He actually had bail for a while, but then he 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 did drugs and flunked drug tests. So he is he's been in jail since then, so almost two years since April 2015. But uh, it's not clear if he can ever be part of any kind of general prison population because of all the different entities and people that he snitched on. He was also very involved in that Cantor Gaming scandal that occurred in Las Vegas in the M Casino. And he was one of their main clients. He was using them to basically sell off action. What what he was doing with with Cantor Gaming was when uh, someone would place a bet with him Sometimes not realizing it was with him. They'd place a bet with one of his services that was not supposed to be him, but actually was him. But it was for too much money because he, he dealt with these big clients like Sadoff, and he, he didn't want to book these entire bets himself because there was too much risk. Uh, what he would do is he'd lay a lot of that off to other bookmakers like Cantor. So that's what he – he had an agreement with Cantor basically to take whatever bets he placed and ask, not ask any questions, even though if they knew he was really doing this for third parties. It was really just laying off action to them for third parties. Because the way you do that is very simple. Uh, let's say I'm your bookie, and you want to place a $100,000 bet with me. And in my mind, I go, oh, my God, 100000 I can't risk this. What if, you, what if this guy wins? I can't afford to pay him that. So instead of saying, no, I can't take hundred k, I say, sure, hundred k booked. And then I run down to Cantor, or I call it in over the phone to someone who works there with me that is uh, a willing partner in this or willing accomplice, and I say, hey, uh, put 90000 on this game. So I'm just passing the action over to them for 90% of it. So this way I'm actually only booking 10% of it. I'm only booking 10000 myself, and Cantor's really booking the other ninety. And if it wins, then I take the money from Cantor and I give it to my client. If it loses, then I take my client's money and give it to Cantor. So it's all transparent. The client can't tell. From what the client can tell, he gets the money if he wins, and he doesn't get the money if he loses. In reality, I'm just being like a runner to canter for 90% of it. So that's uh, that's what he was doing. That's illegal. The, the sports books are required to know where the money is coming from for each bet that's being placed, and they are not allowed to be taking uh, bets like this from third parties on behalf of others if they know that's, that's what's going on. And Adam Meyer passed so much money... Uh, to and from Cantor in this manner. They knew he wasn't betting. They knew he was doing this on behalf of third-party customers. So he was part of that scandal as well. So it, I found what was most interesting was was the level that he was informing and how many busts there must have been in the sports betting world, online especially, as a result of Meyer snitching. So if you ever were betting with a sports book that just disappeared and got busted during that time period. You probably were a victim of Adam Meyer in that way. He probably was the one who snitched. And that's what got him just two years probation instead of any kind of jail time for scamming casinos out of six million. So it was interesting that and I think this definitely contributed to what he did to Sadoff is that Meyer, especially after the slap on the wrist sentence he got in 2007, got the feeling that he's so important to the FBI that he could basically do anything and they're going to find a way to let him off for it, that he was too important to them to put in prison. 
so that uh, short of actually killing someone or seriously hurting someone, if it's just like a financial crime, uh, they'll some, somehow find a way to manipulate it to where he gets out, just to where he doesn't get jail time. So this time I believe he overextended himself. This time I don't believe they're going to give him the same leniency, especially now that this has been made public. It would look really terrible. It's one thing to do this un- under... Uh, the cover of an agreement that nobody is the wiser. But now that this is being followed by the media, I, I don't see that they're going to let him off for extorting $45 million because he's been helping the FBI. So this is also why it's a danger in these cases to work with someone like that for the FBI. I know they have to. I know the FBI and other law enforcement bodies have to work with inf- informants. And in a perfect world, the informant is just someone who is a low-level person that happens to have access to a lot and can help you. But in reality, a lot of informants are very, very shady people, very bad people, criminals who, who are committing major crimes. And a lot of times law enforcement has to make a decision to allow some crime by this informant and look the other way if they go after bigger fish. And that's very unfair to the victims of that criminal. You'll sometimes even see this on TV, except it's done usually on TV in more of a playful way. You know, there's cop shows where there's some sort of like semi-shady guy that the police work with sometimes. He's not in law enforcement. He's just someone that uh, always knows what's going on on the street and helps them out. And in return, they see him running some kind of low-level scam, and they kind of laugh. Ah, look what you're up to again. You better stop this, or we're going to have to run you in this time. Oh, okay. But they look the other way. They don't ever arrest the guy. And, and then he helps them solve murder cases or other major cases that are much bigger than whatever low-level scam he's pulling. So, so it makes the character look charming. And usually the, the, the character is very uh, quirky or, uh, or, or comical to where... You can't, you can't help but like the character even though he's actually a scammer. And, and then you, you see all the good the character does where he solves these major cases and gets the real, real bad guys arrested. And you kind of look the other way. Ah, okay, he runs some charming little funny scams, but uh, look at all the good he's doing. But in real life, it's not like that. In real life, uh, there's nothing lovable about a lot of these informants. They're, they're guys like Adam Meyer. But it's amazing how long this went on and and what pull he had. I even wonder if they told the casinos they were victimized that he's helping shut down online sports books and they should just not worry about the six million. He probably you know, he probably paid restitution. They probably said, Look, I know you want to see this guy fry for this, but we're getting him to shut down these sports books that are competing with you guys. I mean Connecticut that's not true. They can't, there's no sports betting over there, but in Nevada they may have been told, Hey, He's putting sports books out of business that are competing with you guys illegally. So, yes, he scammed you, but here's your money back and just let it go. So, I thought that was interesting. Wonder what more will come out, and I wonder what sentence he will ultimately get. Remember, he has pled guilty, it's just a matter of what sentencing will be given to him. Daily Fantasy Sports, I'm sure you've heard of the. Major two sites, DraftKings and FanDuel, the one they've actually uh, agreed to merge. But there's still some smaller players out there. And one of them was called Fantasy Aces. 
Well, since DraftKings and FanDuel pretty much have almost the whole market now, the rest of them are really struggling. And it's just a matter of time till they're all gone. So the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, I didn't even know that existed. It's some supposed watchdog group, except it's funded by FanDuel and DraftKings. So I wouldn't say it's a very strong watchdog body, but whatever. All these uh, fantasy sports sites were part of, as part of the FSTA that's supposedly a uh, kind of a watchdog group. They suspended fantasy aces for not separating operating cash and player deposits, meaning basically they're stealing player deposits. This was a statement from the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. Allow me to be unequivocal about the FSTA's stance on these matters. The FSTA will not be a safe haven for operators who who spend customer funds. For years, the FSTA has clearly and repeatedly urged contest operators to separate their customers' funds from the operating funds. If it turns out that Fantasy Aces spent their players' funds, we will strenuously condemn such action. The FSTA supports legislation that ensures player funds are kept separate from operating funds, and those funds remain property of the players. To that point, customers in some states may have recourse by contacting the appropriate state agencies. We have suspended Fantasy Aces' membership pending resolution of this matter. Now, that's not that strong. I mean, they're just suspending their membership in this organization, but that by itself doesn't really wield that much power. But that statement was made yesterday, January 31st. Today, the shit has hit the fan completely. Fantasy Aces has filed for bankruptcy. So... Here is an article from LegalSportsReport.com. One of the biggest daily fantasy sports operators, this side of DraftKings and FanDuel, has filed for bankruptcy. By the way, that, that's kind of misleading. <laughs> One of the biggest operators, this side of DraftKings and FanDuel. Well, this side of those two are a bunch of small operators. They're saying one of the biggest ones that isn't one of those two, but those two have like 90% of the market. So, <laughs> Anyway, according to the filing, the first reported by uh, Fantasy Alarm, Fantasy Aces apparently used player funds for operations. As a result of Fantasy Aces filing for Chapter 7 bankruptcy, it appears unlikely that players' money in their accounts will receive much, if anything, as a result. Players at Fantasy Aces have not been able to access their accounts for more than a week. A visit to Fantasy Aces' website still only tells users that, it, quote, an update is coming shortly. That's always bad news when a site you've been using for a while says an update's coming shortly. And if I clicked on it right now, fantasyaces.com is exactly what I see. It says an update's coming shortly. Please stand by. Yeah, the, the update is that uh, your money is completely gone. <laughs> so this is actually a uh, a publicly traded company on the TSX Venture Exchange. They uh they filed for bankruptcy in the Central District of California. They filed this on January 31st and uh, they're located in uh Aliso Viejo, California, which is Orange County. And they have filed Form 201 voluntary petition for non-individual filing for bankruptcy. The company claims assets of $1.8 million. They claim liabilities of about $3 million. 
their Bank of America account, which is listed as the player's account. This is the account that's supposed to have all the player money combined. Has $2,419.86 in it. <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. That's not it. That's not it. They, they have uh, another account for money where they hold player money. A PayPal account called player's account. That one has another $791.43. So that, that's, that's the money. That's, uh, that's all the money that they have on deposit for players right now. A little more than $3,000. <laughs> so, uh, one line on the bankruptcy form that says various user accounts is listed as $1.3 million. So what they're trying to say here is that Players' accounts show a balance of 1.3 million collectively on there. If you add up all the player accounts that the players have, about 1.3 million, and they have 3,000 of that money in in real life. That, that's that's the money they have to pay out to players. And they're listed as uh, the the users of Fantasy Aces are listed as non-priority creditors, which is not good. That means that anyone else who they owe money to will come ahead of them. So last week, the fa- a, a company called Fantasy Draft was going to acquire Fantasy Aces. That was announced last week. However, they have backed out of this Fantasy Draft when they uh, learned about uh, this issue. So they probably went to Fantasy Draft and said, hey, would you like to buy us? We'll sell our business real cheap. And Fantasy Draft's like, oh, yeah, sweet. And they're like, whoa, 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 we're going to be buying you – know, 1.3 million in liability of players that you guys ripped off? Uh, no thanks. The following email was sent to Fantasy Aces users on February 1st. The Fantasy Aces team truly regrets to announce that we are unable to sustain our site and business operations effective January 31st, 2017, filing for protection under Chapter 7 bankruptcy law after spending a year attempting to secure long-term capital, including recent negotiations with two notable companies, which subsequently failed to close. We are left with an unresolvable financial burden and have spent every waking minute attempting to find a solution for our players, most importantly. We have unfortunately exhausted every possible financial option with no success, including stealing your money. Uh, We have fought as hard as we could. In the end, without a major infusion or acquisition, we were just not able to make it. Our site is temporarily shuttered, and all accounts are on hold during this time while we work with the bankruptcy court in finding the fastest possible solution for our players. Fantasy Aces LP has retained bankruptcy counsel who may be contacted at Red Hill Law Group, Irvine, blah, blah, blah. So that is bad. And this this is happening on a, on a U.S. based site. You know, this is not some site offshore that's closing. This th- this is the problem. This is the problem when there is not regulation for daily fantasy sports. By the way, you may say, okay, this is some relatively small site, at least compared to the big two. But yeah, you know, this could never happen on DraftKings or FanDuel. Well, wait a minute. Remember Full Tilt? This is exactly what happened to Full Tilt. They spent player money. And DraftKings just separated their player funds from their operational funds in January 2017. Yeah. Prior to January 2017, they combined the funds. Now, I'm not saying that they were broke or they had spent your money, but they, they had not separated them. They just had a, one account that they were drawing from. 
where at some point they could have actually spent player money. I don't know if they did or didn't, but they could have. Only last month, according to this report I'm reading here, I don't have it with certainty, but I, I've seen this report saying this, that they just segregated player funds last month, DraftKings. So a lot of the same mistakes that have happened with online poker are now happening with daily fantasy sports. Basically, there's money on deposit. You see a an amount in your account that you think you can get any time. And in reality, the money's not there. It's just a number on the screen, but it means nothing because they don't have the money to actually pay you. And these sites keep robbing Peter to pay Paul, and eventually they just completely run out of money, as, as what appears has happened with the uh, with, with Fantasy Aces. And then they have to close. So that's it. That is it. They seem to be out of cash, and then the shit has hit the fan, and I can't imagine that these players will ever get paid. Daily fantasy sports, there needs to be very strict regulations with criminal penalties for violating them. And that should include a requirement, an absolute requirement to segregate player funds. And that player funds should be totally, 100%, completely untouchable with a criminal penalty for doing so. Other than to pay out players who withdraw. That's where player funds should go. Player funds should go into an account... And there can only be uh, the only reason that they can take these funds will be if players withdraw or when they rake players. So if they rake uh, $3 from a player, take $3 out of the fund and put it in in your uh, company account. Otherwise, you can't touch it. So the player funds must always equal in that account what the cumulative player funds show in the database. So if you add up every single player account, what their account shows they have, that should be the exact amount of player funds you have in that account. Anything short of that is completely unacceptable. I've actually heard like really weak arguments that have been made of why it should be okay to dip into player funds. I I heard this back when Full Tilt did this and stole all our money. Well, Well, you know, it's either that or the site goes down. Well, it's either that or they have to stop operating for a while. Sometimes they just have to borrow. No, it's stealing. They they cannot borrow. It's not their money. It is not their money. Player money on deposit is not the company's money. They should not ever be able to spend it or borrow from it ever. Never, 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 never. It is stealing. Stealing that money is just as bad as pickpocketing a guy walking down the street and stealing money out of his wallet. Just as bad. It is stealing money that is not yours. doesn't matter if you are in possession of it at the moment. It is stealing money that is not yours. It's no different than someone working for a bank just taking money out of the bank that's not theirs and walking out with it. It's no different than someone uh, pocketing money out of a store's cash register that does not own the business. It is the same thing. It is stealing money that does not belong to you. Never an excuse for that. Never justification for that. And there needs to be very strict legislation about that that enacts criminal penalties Stiff ones for those that do this. Otherwise, you can't have sites like daily fantasy sports sites. Otherwise, this is what happens. And here, at least, it was only, and I just put only in quotes, $1.3 million that players got cheated out of collectively. But imagine if this happens to a DraftKings or a FanDuel. It would be a freaking disaster. Those are huge sites. 
So this stuff needs to be completely and tightly regulated very soon. Very soon. These these sites love to say, oh, we can regulate ourselves. So we, we don't need oversight. We don't need the government's interference. In this case, yes, you do. If you don't, this is what happens. Now, the regulated model is not always perfect, and it has its own flaws. But the unregulated model, it seems to chug along okay for a while. In fact, it seems better in some ways because it's it's not hampered by burdensome regulations that get in people's way. But, but when something goes wrong, it tends to be very, very wrong. Think of full tilt. Think of UB. When something goes wrong with unregulated sites, it tends to be catastrophic, and that is the case here. A Foxwoods player, Foxwoods is in Connecticut, it's a big casino over there, Indian casino, who self-excluded is claiming that they were basically free-rolling him. This is from the Boston Globe. On the edge of a vast casino, David Schreiber played a video played video poker at a frenetic pace, fast enough to place almost 50 bets a minute, beat, pause, beat, pause, over and over again. An admitted compulsive gambler, Schreiber was not supposed to be here on the gambling floor at Foxwoods. Three years ago, distraught over his gambling losses, he asked the Indian casinos to ban, casino to ban him for life, a desperate step he hoped would save him from himself. Foxwoods, like most casinos, keeps a, voluntarily, a voluntary self-exclusion list of compulsive gamblers who signed an agreement that they be denied entry or ejected from the premises and denied rights to winnings. Casinos responding to critics point to the program as evidence that they are responsible institutions. But in Schreiber's case, at least, neither part of the equation worked. He keeps gambling, and Foxwoods does not stop him. I've been to Foxwoods a hundred times since I got on the list, said Schreiber, who's 59. And he said that after a betting session on the Game King poker machine, they don't enforce it as a joke. Schreiber said he has been detected only once, when he won a $1,250 jackpot large enough to trigger the requirement that they deposit a portion of his winnings into a tax withholding account. As it turned out, he didn't get a cent. They took me to an office and wouldn't let me keep the money. After that, they said they were going to keep a real close eye on me, but they didn't. Now, what he's referring to here, when you're at $1,200 or more in a single win on a machine, doesn't matter if it's slot machines, video poker, whatever, they are required to give you a form, a W2G form. I don't know this about putting his, a portion of his winnings in a tax withholding account. I hadn't heard of that. Maybe that's a requirement over there. But it, it, it's a, the magic $1,200 number that once you win $1,200 in a single spin or hand, that they have to, the machine just stops and a, an attendant have to come over, pay you the money by hand on the spot, and give you a tax form that they submit to the IRS that you won the money. Whereas the rest of it, they don't report to the IRS. So let's say uh, you don't win a jackpot. Even if you run up a lot of money on the machine, let's say you run up a $10,000 profit on the machine, but you never win more than $1,200 in one hand. You can cash all that out with the, with the tickets you get, and it's not going to uh, trigger anything. Well, 10000 is not a good number, because if you get 10000 cash, they actually do have to report it. But let's say, let's say you win 9000 
it will not report you. There will be no reporting requirement. You just go cash the tickets and you can do it. In fact, if you do it with tickets, you actually I, I think you can actually do it uh, since these tickets are anonymous, that these cash tickets it gives you, I think you can even do that without having to fill out any forms. If you go to the cashier and try to cash out 10,000 or more chips, they will make you fill out a, a form called a CTR. But what I'm saying here is that the 1250 number he's talking about is that when he hit a hand that was worth $1,250, they wouldn't pay him. They said, oh, you're on the ban list. We can't pay you. So his point is that this is a free roll, that he got on the exclusion list, that they didn't take the exclusion list seriously, that they just let him keep coming and losing money there because he was a compulsive gambler and lost a lot. But when it came time to pay him something, even something that wasn't even huge, twelve, you know, $1,250, they hid behind the fact that he wasn't supposed to be there by his own self-exclusion and did not have to pay him. Now, first of all, legally, are they correct? Can they do that? The answer is yes, they actually can. They actually can exclude you from winning if you have... voluntarily gone on the self-exclusion list or if you were told you can't play there anymore if you if you were banned there by them for some other reason or if you're underage for example if a 17 year old comes into the casino and plays at a any kind of machine slot machine video poker and loses money he can't go back to them and say hey i was too young to gamble give me the money back if he were to do that or if his parents were to do that the casino's response would be And, in fact, legally, he would not have a leg to stand on. However, if he were to win a jackpot, let's say he was playing a slot machine and won a $10,000 jackpot, and they came over to do the hand pay, they say, let me see you some ID, and he shows the ID, and it turns out he's 17, they can say, well, you shouldn't have been playing here, we're not paying you. And they can legally do that. In fact, if they see him gambling and ask for ID, and either he can't produce it or he produces it and he's under 21 or under 18 for the casinos that it's 18, um, if he's underage, they will confiscate whatever he has sitting in the machine. They can't take money out of his pocket, but any money that he has sitting in the machine, they can take away. So same thing with self-exclusions, same thing with band players. Anything that uh, you have that you have not cashed out yet, if you're not supposed to be gambling there, they can keep, which is crappy. It's actually like a free roll for them. It really is. Now, JSTAT is, is clarifying that in Nevada, a banned gambler must be paid. Not an underage gambler, but a banned gambler, whether self-exclusion or banned, that they have to be paid anyway. But not in Connecticut. So, that I didn't know. I thought it was the same in both places. But thank you, JSTAT, for giving that to me. JSTAT should know he's a uh, blackjack card counter, among other things. So, what about what happened here? You could say it's the guy's own fault. He put himself on an exclusion list and then violated his own exclusion. He should have more self-control than to do this. I agree. I agree. First of all, I think self-exclusion, while I understand why they have that, I I think it's kind of weird. Like, each individual, each human being should just have the self-control 
not to gamble. If, you, if you're going to put yourself on a list and say, I should not be able to gamble, then you should be able to put yourself on a list with you to say, I'm never going there. Um, I've never liked it where a person has to ask another person to prevent them from doing something. I'm never going to ask you, no matter what my behavior, I'm never going to ask you, force me not to do this if I want to. Never. I might make mistakes. I may do things I'm not supposed to. But I'm I'm never going to, uh, if I decide I'm not going to do it, I'm just not going to do it. I don't need a third party stopping me. But I, I realize not everybody is me, and I realize that gambling, compulsive gambling is a disease to where the person may want to do the right thing but can't. So I... I I feel a little weird about self-exclusion lists, but I, I see why they're necessary, and I'm not saying they shouldn't exist. But at the same time, uh, if you put yourself on a self-exclusion list, th- there's only so much you can expect the casino to do to exclude you. They cannot be expected to prevent you from placing a single bet there, because they, they only have so much as far as capabilities go. Some places are better than others. You know, some places have more advanced facial recognition. Some places have more cameras. Some people, have, some places have better security. But you can't demand that they have such crack security that you exclude yourself, and they're going to catch you the minute you walk in. So, truthfully, if you're putting yourself on a self-exclusion list and then violating your own exclusion, the first person to look at is yourself. But what liability should the casinos have? If you manage to gamble, well, it really comes down to the extent of it and whether you gambling there is a case of negligence on their part or just that you were doing a good job at circumventing your self-imposed ban. Now, negligence would be if they just made no effort to identify you, if they don't have the means to identify you, or if... uh, they lack both the electronic means or, or the security personnel to walk around to make sure they don't see anybody on the ban list. Any place that is required to have a self-exclusion, or even one that voluntarily provides one, needs to disclose to the, to the customer whether they can really enforce it. Otherwise, it, it's, uh, it doesn't have any teeth. Otherwise... It does not do the person any good. If the only time you're going to throw them out is when they win something big, if that's the only time you'll realize they're there, then all this is doing is, is really screwing the gambler because it's uh, it's letting them lose and not win. So that's even worse. The worst thing for the compulsive gambler is to allow him to gamble and force him to lose to where even if he gets lucky, he doesn't win. That's what sounds like it was happening here. Now, was Foxwoods doing it on purpose? He's trying to say they were. He's trying to say that they were purposely looking the other way when he was losing, which he usually does, but the, on the rare case that he, he wins something substantial, they have to pay him, even as low, little as $1,250, that they hide behind the self-exclusion and refuse. Personally, I don't think, you know, Foxwoods is a big place. I don't think that they were doing this on purpose. But I do think that... It's very possible they didn't put much effort into identifying self-excluded players. I'm wondering if they do a lot better to identify players who are thrown out for things like card counting or or cheating or other offenses where they really don't want that person back. Whereas a self-excluder, they really would like to have him back, but they just, uh, as a courtesy or legal requirement, 
are allowing that person to exclude themselves. So I'm wondering if perhaps they just put very little effort into their self-exclusion program, in which case I think there is some degree of negligence, and I find that to be unethical. It's probably not legally actionable because it's hard for him to prove, especially if he's not using a player's card, how often he was really there. Even if he can prove it, they can argue that uh, they just don't have the capability in a resort of that size to identify him unless he does something that is notable, such as winning a jackpot. I think Nevada has the law correct that banned gamblers should still be paid when they win unless there's a law stating that they should get their money back when they lose. Because then, if if someone bans themselves and, and plays under those circumstances, you better believe the casino is going to get rid of them real fast. Now, that would never be a law, by the way. But uh, there should never be a case where it's a free roll for the casino. Never. So that's what it appears was happening in Foxwoods. And because it's an Indian casino, I think they're going to get away with it. And they can hide behind this law. They can hide behind this law about the self-exclusion that they don't have to pay him there. It's too bad that's not Nevada. They would have had to pay him. And you see why Nevada has that law. So the guy has a legitimate gripe. But he really should also look at himself and see about getting help for his compulsive gambling condition rather than expecting Foxwoods to basically monitor his life. Okay, let's see what else we got here. The Las Vegas Raiders, that was announced already by the Oakland Raiders that they are going to become the Las Vegas Raiders uh, pending league approval. And I was saying last week, along with Brandon, that while it's not a completely done deal, that it was looking very close to one, almost to where we could just say that uh, it's going to happen. So just as we say that, of course, I I think we can blame our show, because whenever we say something like that, we we always end up looking stupid. When we say, oh, it's a done deal, it's going to happen, oh, yeah, just about sure. Of course, now... It's looking in doubt. So what's what's happened here is that uh, Sheldon Adelson, famed opponent of online poker, famed owner of uh, the Las Vegas Sands Corporation who owns uh, the Venetian, the Palazzo, and other casinos around the world. Uh, you know, he is a, a billionaire, Sheldon Adelson also known to contribute large amounts of money to political candidates or causes that he likes, usually ones uh, of the conservative nature. Uh, Sheldon Adelson is withdrawing from the stadium deal that would allow the Oakland Raiders to move to Las Vegas. And Goldman Sachs, which is an investment bank you've probably heard of, they are also reevaluating the relationship Um, according to a source close to the negotiations. Now, Adelson had committed $650 million to the project, which was projected to cost $1.9 billion. But in a statement uh, a few days ago, on uh, January 
30th. He said that he had been shut out of talks that led to the lease document to be presented to the Clark County Stadium Authority. Because if you remember, uh, he's going to be investing in the stadium and then the uh, Raiders would be leasing it. And a lease document was going to be presented to the Clark County Stadium Authority. Clark County is the county where Las Vegas is located. And for whatever reason, Sheldon Adelson was shut out of the talks to design this document. In fact, not only were they shut out, they weren't even told about it, according to Adelson. So he said, we were not only excluded from the proposed agreement, we weren't even aware of its existence. <laughs> so Adelson, who's, who's contributing about a third of the money, more than a third of the money, going toward the stadium, uh, hears that they, they came to an agreement that's being presented to Clark County about the lease agreement. And he's like, wait a minute, they didn't even tell me this is going on. So he was really pissed. And he also has a close relationship with Goldman Sachs. So now Goldman Sachs, who's also investing, said maybe they're going to drop out too. They, they haven't said so, but they said they're uh, reevaluating their relationship. So Adelson was the wrong one to piss off. I, I don't know how this even happened. Now, Brian Sandoval, who's the Nevada governor, his office said a lease agreement proposal submitted last week said that the, the Raiders had agreed that they've intended to pick up the tab for the money that uh, Adelson was taking off the table at 650 million. So that means the Raiders would be committing 1.15 billion dollars and they would also accept the operation responsibilities and risk, which is a lot for the Raiders to do here. There's a, a lot is going falling on their backs here. So, also supposedly, the Raiders relocation application to the NFL file on January 19th did not include Adelson, which is weird. So, they had been told that the uh, that Goldman Sachs would continue to back the relocation effort even if Adelson was not in the picture. And they were going to help uh, Raiders owner Mark Davis with a financial commitment that I just discussed, the $1.15 billion financial commitment. But now that they're reevaluating the whole thing, now that Adelson's out, the, the whole thing may fall apart. So, so basically what's going on here is the Raiders, they said, okay, if Adelson drops out, then we, we, we can probably handle this. Then we can we can kick in the money Adelson was going to do. We we can do the six fifty million he was going to put in, and, and Goldman Sachs is going to underwrite it. It'll be cool. We'll, we can we can do without Adelson. We can get by. But if, if Goldman Sachs gets out of the whole thing, it's it's pretty much done. It's going to fall apart. So this is uh, a problem. <laughs> this is a problem. So it's not clear if this is going to happen since there, there's no stadium yet. This this project they're talking about would involve a dome stadium that would be built uh, somewhere near the Strip, assumed. Uh, it's, it's, it ha- a site hasn't been 
picked yet. But there would be a dome stadium that would seat 65,000 people. Uh, the dome stadium part is interesting because if we think about the NFL season, uh, that's not during a time when Las Vegas is hot. The preseason, yes, but the regular season of football does not really uh, include a time when it's impressively hot in Las Vegas. It's cool there, but not cold, and, and certainly not cold compared to a lot of other places that have the NFL. I think about uh, Green Bay. So the Dome Stadium would really be only necessary during the summer, but I, I assume that they would want to make use of that stadium for other things, which is why they're having the Dome Stadium. Otherwise, it would be unusable during the summer months. So they they would have a Dome Stadium probably somewhere near the Strip. They probably don't have room for it on the Strip, but probably somewhere near the Strip. It would have 65,000 seats. And Adelson was one of the people early on saying that he was going to help the Raiders move to Las Vegas. So they're going to be voting on approving the relocation to Las Vegas. It has to be approved by three-quarters of the 32 NFL owners in order to move. So 24 of them have to approve it. The vote will happen during March when they have the league meetings in Phoenix. But this this could really throw a wrench into it, where before it was assumed that they're not going to reject this, that they will get the three-quarters vote, and that they're going to get their stadium, that they have the funding for it, everything's good. No. <laughs> it's, Goldman Sachs is reevaluating, and if they decide that they are not going to back this with Adelson's removal, then that may be the end of it. So we will see. There may not be a Las Vegas Raiders after all, and I know that's going to really disappoint Brandon, who was excited about the possibility of an NFL team right there in Las Vegas. He said he was going to get season tickets for him and his dad. J-Stat is saying they want to build the stadium in the Billy Walters golf course near Mandalay Bay. Interesting. But it may go nowhere. I wonder what happened with Adelson. That's just a weird story. Like, why, why would they leave him out of the lease agreement? Why would they shut him out? Why would why did they leave him off on January 19th on this relocation application? Do they just not like him? Do they not want his money? I don't get it. Why are... Why are they shutting him out and allowing this whole thing to collapse? It's weird. Maybe there's more we're not hearing. But you think you have someone willing to fund your move. $650 million, that's going to be hard to replace. And he has a close relationship with another investor, with Goldman Sachs. You, you would think that that's the last one you want to piss off. Very odd. But that's where it stands. Chicago Joey, Joe Ingram, who runs a very popular uh, podcast and more of like a video podcast. He, he's one of these guys who 
enjoys being seen. He, he enjoys doing everything on video. And he's a little bit younger. I think he's like early 30s. Being in my mid-40s, I, I'm a big radio person. I'm a big lover of radio. I've been a fan of radio since I was a kid. And I, I think there's something very different about radio than there is about watching video. I think just hearing a voice without seeing the person is just a different experience. And in some cases, I believe it's a more pure form of communication because since you lack the sensory input from the visual part of the conversation, you only need to concentrate on their voice and what they're saying and nothing else. And that allows for fewer distractions, that allows you to better focus upon what's being said. I also think it makes it more portable. Now, yes, you can listen to a video without watching it and kind of have the same effect, but it's not really the same thing because it's meant to be a video. But think of all the things you can do. A lot of you listen to this show when you're at work, when you're grinding poker, when you're driving, when you're exercising, walking the dog, whatever it is. A lot of you are listening to this, not live, You're listening in the archives in some way. And you're doing something else in the background. And you're just hearing my voice in the background. This would be harder if it's a video and you know you have to watch me. or You know I may be showing you something. Or you may want to see the expression of my face. Or what I'm pointing to. or It's just different. And listening to a lot of radio as a kid. Both in my car and in my home. I I just... uh, I really got to like the medium. And that's why it translated to me also really enjoying talking on the phone. That's why I I met so many girls. I I, I developed so many romantic relationships over the phone where we talk a whole lot first and then date after that because I felt it was a a medium where a, a connection could be established in a much easier manner. So I kind of see the two combined here. I see them intertwined. Anyway, going back to Chicago Joey, who who doesn't feel this way and does a very well-watched and successful video podcast. And he, he really gets all of the relevant big names in poker, especially ones in the news at the moment to come on there. Like, he, he almost never gets rejected. He's like that guy in school who, like, whatever girl he asks out, he gets Except here, instead of asking out girls, he's he's asking poker players to come on his show. He just says, hey, you want to come on my show? Okay. So now, now they go to him because he's become a pretty big deal. But even before that, he just say, hey, you want to come on here? And I think the reason they come on, and I know I talk about him throwing softballs, but he has this kind of friendly, easygoing demeanor where you just kind of feel like you're going to go on there and not feel any pressure. On this show, you know, called Poker Fraud Alert, right there, scares people. And and my reputation 
for wanting to get the facts on everything scares people. So whenever I have someone on this show, I always start off by saying it's not going to be an adversarial interview. I'm not going to try to make you look bad. I'm not going to try to embarrass you. Like I, I've got to say this to people at the beginning because I always know they're worried about that. I always know that they're concerned that it's going to be a hostile interview and I'm going to try to make them look bad or shady or stupid. And I, I have to assure a lot of the people coming on here where I have no intention to do that, that that shouldn't be a concern. But Joey's the opposite. Joey's the... Like the nice, soft-spoken, easy-going, laid-back guy that you, you know is not going to hold your feet to the fire. And that's, that's how he's successful with this. That's how he has uh, really blown up in a short time. He's been doing this a lot less time than I have, but he's blown up big quickly thanks to that demeanor. So I'm not even criticizing him. Saying he, ha- he has a good formula going. That's not my personality. That's not my formula, but that's something that fits with his personality, and he does. So anyway... He wrote a book recently, and yeah, he was a poker player too, so he's not just a, a broadcaster, but he wrote a, a long book, 47,000 words. I'm not even sure what that translates to in pages. 47,000 words, and it is called Chasing the Poker Dream, the Qualities of a Successful Poker Player. Now, I didn't misspeak, not chasing the poker dream, but chasing the poker dream. <laughs> The first word, C-H-A-S-T-I-N-G. It meant to, he meant to, he meant to title it Chasing. But it's Chasting. It was a typo. You may say, well, that's a typo in the title. That's not its official title, is it? Well, it is because he's putting it up on Amazon as an ebook. So he entered it into Amazon as Chasing the Poker Dream. And there it is now. Now it's been saved as that, and I guess it's not easy to change. Now, you may wonder what kind of idiot enters a typo for the poker book that they've spent the time to write 47,000 words. Can't you take a minute to look at the title you typed out for Amazon and make sure it's correct? Well, no, not in this case, because he wrote... 47,000 words in a period of 10 days. And I guess this was a prop bet. I, I don't have the details on it. I, I tried to search for it and I couldn't come up with it. But someone made a prop bet with him that he couldn't complete this book in 10 days. And I guess they must have had some kind of requirement of how long it has to be. Joe Ingram has made a lot of prop bets over time. In fact, I think he has a name on Twitter, something like the prop better or something like that. But he's a, he's a big prop better, And he made a prop bet that he would not be able to finish this book of this length in that time. But he did. So, I guess here it is. Let me see here. There was a... On, on uh, Poker Shares, remember that site I talked about that uh, Timex is running? You actually could place bets yourself on this of whether he could write a book of 40,000 words or more by January 31st. And believe it or not, the bet on him to succeed was higher than his bet. You, you get... Uh, 
Actually, I'm, I'm wrong here. The, the favorite was he would fail. The favorite was that he would fail. So if you bet $2 on it, you would win 160 if he failed, and you'd win 240 if he succeeded. So it was like a, it was a plus 120 payout. If he were to succeed But he did succeed Not only did he succeed He he wrote 7,000 more words Than he had to Which is amazing He must have just really gotten In the mood to write there So here is Chicago Joey Talking About What he just did And I guess the final three days He was really going nuts With writing And uh, Pretty much uh, didn't take a break What's happening here? Why isn't this playing? The media could not be played. That's great. Here we go. Let's try again. Come on. Yeah. What's up, Twitter? Another profit victory in the books. 40,000 word book complete. 47,000 words at that. <sighs> Chasing the poker dream. The successful qualities of poker player. I've been on the computer for the past three days straight. Every hour I've been awake. So I put a fucking typo in the title. <laughs> I don't think I can fix it. But if I can't, we're going with chasing, man. It's relevant. <sighs> be out. The book will be out soon. $9.99. It'll be the best $9.99 you ever spent in your entire life on a book. I guarantee it. Big shout out. And thank you to, to Ryan Fee, Cole South, Dan Coleman, David Paredes, Jay Nandez. John Beaupre for contributing some parts to the book. They have some smaller parts, the bigger parts that they sort of words they put in. And uh, and yeah, can't wait for the book to be officially up for sale listed. Hard copies coming soon. Audio versions coming soon. I'm done, man. I'm happy. I'm so fucking happy I finished this thing. It's been 10, 11 days straight. Shout out to Jonah, the assistant. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just puts on music in the background. Kind of like dancing along with this. He's putting that out there. See, I couldn't do that. I don't, I don't have music in the background. I'm not snapping my fingers going, yeah, I, I, I want silence in here when I do the show. I have the door closed and... I just want silence. I want to be in my own little world. Now, he wasn't doing a show there. He just put a little Twitter update. This was done yesterday. But yeah, he said the final three days he barely slept and uh, just typed it out. I'm, I don't. How do you do forty-seven thousand? Like, wouldn't forty thousand be enough? My guess is that he wanted it to be like a decent book too, and. He probably was being overly verbose during the earlier stages and then was like, hey, crap, I'm close to 40,000. I'm not even done with everything I want to talk about yet. So then he had to continue and finish it the way he wanted to finish it, which went 7,000 over. I wish someone would make that bet with me. Write 40,000 words for you know whatever money. I'll, I I would do it. I would do it. I mean, it's... That's not a hard one to win because it's you can always just sit down and write. It doesn't have to be good. I have to imagine if you put this together so quickly, it's not going to be that good. It's probably going to be a lot of rambling, but 
I mean, anyone could just sit down there and type, 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 type. If you, you don't care about the quality that much, you can just keep typing. At least I could. Now, if it's something crazy like 400,000 words, no, I couldn't do it. But 40,000, it's a lot, but, you know, if the money was enough in it, and I, I'd put 10 days into that and just type, 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 type. You guys know I could just keep talking for long periods of time, so I, I could do the same in written form. I wonder if one of these radio shows was transcribed, how many words it would be. Even if you take out the co-host words, or take my words. I, I think it would be a lot. I mean, look, the a six-hour show, which we frequently have, is like 360 minutes. If I spoke 10 words a minute, which I spoke speak a lot more than 10 words a minute, way more. It would be 3,600. If I could manage to speak 100 words a minute, that would be 36,000. So that's almost 40,000 words right there. I could just like transcribe everything I'm saying on a radio show. 40,000 words is not that much if you're required to do it. So I don't know how much he won, but Congrats to him, I guess. I, I, I'm not dying to read that book, though. I'm not dying to read a book where someone hammers it out in 10 days because they're required to. <laughs> Jay Stat says, I'm, af- I'm not afraid to go on PFA radio because Druff is knowledgeable about casino games. Uh so he's saying that some other shows, which I won't name, they don't know the difference between a lunch counter and a card counter. <laughs> oh, here, uh, Spew Artist gave me some information. He said 2K was the prop bet amount. That's not very much. I, I wouldn't do this for 2K. If someone said, I'll give you $2,000, write 40,000 words, I, I'd say, forget it. I'd give him a big middle finger on that one. 2K? Wow. I thought it had to be five figures. 2K? you got to be kidding me. He did not get paid very well for that one. But I guess it's motivation. You know, like the people who enter weight loss bets, I think sometimes they do it partially because they want to lose weight anyway. So they say this is a motivation. So maybe Joey wanted to write the book. He couldn't find the time to do it. He couldn't find the motivation. And so if someone bet him, then he wrote the book. So, okay. Thank you, Spew Artist, for that information. This is why we have a chat room. Okay, so that's it for our poker and gambling in Vegas topics. Here's some general topics. I'm going to cover one quickly, and then I'll, I'll go to the last one, which is might piss some people off, but uh, this one won't, unless you work for AT&T. I told you guys last week that AT&T flat out stole an iPhone 6 not personally from me but from someone in my family and the reason I'm saying they stole it from me is because I was the one who arranged the whole thing as far as they know it was my phone it was a it's a family plan I'm part of a family plan on AT&T it makes it a lot cheaper and I'm the one who administrates it because I'm just the best one at doing that and 
I noticed that uh, they had a promotion. Usually trade-ins suck of all types. Whenever you hear about a trade-in, you should usually run the other way. This includes trading your car or uh, trading your phone. Anything with a trade-in usually sucks. Because what it usually means is it means we're going to buy your existing you know, product, whatever it is, a car, a phone, whatever it is, at a dirt-cheap price that is not anywhere near what it's really worth. And then take that amount off the new one you're going to get. It's a trick. It's, it's, it's like a, a trick for people who either are ignorant to what they're doing or are too lazy to sell it on their own. So you've got a car. You've got an old car. You want to you know, get rid of it and get a new car. You don't want to go through the hassle of selling this car or you don't know how to go about it or you're scared to go about it. Well, you go to the dealer and say, can you do a trade-in? The dealer, oh, sure. So you, you, you take care of the buying the new car and selling the old one at the same time, but the, the price you pay, the literal price you pay is they give you a really crappy price on the old car they're buying. And this is the case usually with phones too. If you bring in your old iPhone and say, I want to trade it in for a new one, they're going to give you a very lousy price where you can get... Uh, Double or sometimes even triple of that price if you were to sell it on something like eBay. So, unusually, AT&T had a good trade-in deal. And that was if you have an iPhone 6 that uh, you can trade it in for an iPhone 7 for free. Or in this case, it was $100 because my uh, the, the other person using this phone... Um, they wanted to upgrade the memory, which cost $100. So it was going to be $100 for them to do this. But a uh, great deal, to be honest. You know, iPhone 7, some it's newer technology. There's various upgrades that were made. It's newer equipment. It's going to go obsolete a lot slower because they, you know, it's the latest version. So to get that either for free or for $100 if you want to upgrade the memory, that that's a, a fine deal. That's way, way, way better than they ever give. It's a, an outstanding promotion if you want to do it. So this person in my family wanted to do it. You know, I, I called them up. I asked, are you interested? They said, yes. I said, okay, I'll do it for you. So I went into an AT&T store. Well, actually, I called up first. I wanted to do it by mail. It's the easiest way. I called up on September 30th, which is the last day of the promotion. Now, I wasn't waiting until the very last minute. I just noticed it that day. For whatever reason, I I, I hadn't seen the email about it, but I, I noticed it on the very last day of the promotion, September 30th. I called up about it. They said, sorry, you can't do it. Uh, the promotion actually expired on September 25th. I said, no, it, it, it did not. I see the email saying the 30th. And they said, okay, well, you're right. AT&T ended it five days early for some weird reason, but we are allowing store managers at AT&T stores to override this, but you have to physically go into the store and you can't do it any later than today, September 30th. So I went down there and after a lot of hassle, it got done. The problem is you have to wait for a few months to see the credit back on your bill. Basically, they start billing you for the phone in installments immediately, and you don't get the credit back for the fact that it's free, or in this case, $100, until... uh, three months in, which I never like those things because it's, it's always hard to trust it's really going to happen. And if it doesn't, it's a big it's a big pain because months have passed. Nobody remembers what they said. Nobody remembers what they promised. There's like – I always hate these things with large companies where you're making some kind of deal that you're going to see the uh, the fruits of this deal months later 
because a lot of times you just never see it, and then it's very hard to correct at that point. So that, that's always what I fear in situations like these, but they assured me this is not going to happen. They assured me it'll be fine, but it was not fine. Third bill came, and I noticed that we got no credit, and basically they just had our iPhone 6, which we traded in, and the iPhone 7 we were paying full price for, and we never got the credit back to bring it down to $100. So I called customer care, and I had a very, very hard time, as I described in the last radio show, and uh, basically everyone I spoke to in AT&T customer care told me either that I was wrong or they were so clueless they didn't even understand what I was talking about. So I got nowhere, and after six different calls to AT&T customer care, I gave up. Now, of course, you know me. I'm not going to give up on this completely, but I gave up with them. So my last shot before actually suing AT&T, and I've never, done, I've never sued a company in small claims. In fact, I, like I, that, that's a new one to me. I've, I've thought about it a few times, but I've always, able to, I've always been able to resolve whatever my issue was before having to go that route. But I, I thought this time I may have to actually sue AT&T in small claims because they, as it stood, they had my iPhone 6 and gave me nothing for it. Gave me absolutely zero for it. Which was not the deal we made, obviously. And then they were denying that, number one, I ever made the deal and, in fact, were claiming that I actually traded it in for zero, I was told. I was told I actually traded it in for zero and what I got in return was being able to pay installments on the other phone at full price. I, they actually told me this, which is ludicrous. So here's an update. I told you the story last week. An update is uh, the fourth bill came. And uh, indeed, that one did not have a credit either. I was told maybe wait for the fourth bill. Maybe it'll be on there. No, it's not. I went to an AT&T store. They did a lot of research. At first, they didn't find anything. At first, it wasn't looking good. But then I got a call today that they have completed their research, and I am correct. That all these idiots of customer care who told me I didn't know what I was talking about, or I was wrong, or I'm not owed anything further, the AT&T store determined from their research, I am correct, I am being screwed. And they told me they have submitted a case to correct it. And I need to wait three to five business days to see if they will. But that they should, and if they don't, that the store will continue going to bat for me because they agree with me that I am not getting the credit that I was supposed to get. Probably a happy ending, but what's really disturbing about this to me is that the I spoke to six incompetent slash arrogant idiots at customer care. Six of them. Six for six. Either couldn't understand what I was trying to explain, which I, I broke down very slowly and very clearly for them. They either couldn't understand it, didn't want to understand it, or understood it and decided I was wrong. Or came up with weird guesses that if I didn't accept that they got really nasty and, and aggressive and difficult with me. Because that's what a lot of these customer care reps do, is they, they guess it's something they don't know or that's hard to figure out, and if you don't accept it, they take it as an insult. So the average person who runs into this, I don't know if they would go back down to the store like I did. I, mean, I guess some people would, but at least when I went down to the store, I knew exactly how to explain it all. You know, I'm very good at these customer service matters. I'm very good at uh, clearly explaining what's going on and, and leading them to the to finding the solution. 
the average person they, they just go and they accept this deal and they and they uh, they go forth expecting it's going to be okay and then when it's not they don't know what to do and you call customer care and over and over you're being told you're wrong you don't know what you're talking about and I'm telling you a lot of people just accept it a lot of people just say oh well I guess I'm screwed oh well this is too much energy to deal with or I, I, I don't know how to fight this I don't know where to begin or if, if, if I spend more time fighting this that's just going to be the same result and they give up So it's just really crappy when these things happen. But the real, the worst is the idiot that you deal with, that you're trying to explain to them. And you explain it so carefully and so clearly, and they just won't listen to you. They, they take a guess and they're convinced they're right. And they won't help you further. Their guess becomes gospel. And no matter what you say, that becomes like, it becomes like a competition. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. The last one I spoke to was the worst of all the six. The the, the ones before were, were incompetent, but the very last one of the six I spoke to on the phone was obnoxious. She was arrogant. She was actually mocking me. She I could hear the smile in her voice as she's telling me I'm des- that I get nothing. So uh, after this is finally resolved in my favor, which I'm pretty sure it will be, after they determine that I was right all along... Uh, I am going to call up and demand that they pull that call, which I think they record them all, and demand that uh, they look into that call and that I, I want to speak to her direct supervisor and I want them to hear this call. And I, and I hope she gets fired. I, I don't always hope people get fired, but if you heard this call, if you heard how obnoxious and arrogant this person was with me, how, how, how empowered they felt that they could tell me this and there was nothing I could say back to them, how they refuse to answer my questions seriously. This is pretty much the uh, the way the call went. Mr. Wally, when does he get it? He doesn't. Why not? Because he broke the rules. What rules? We didn't see any rules, did we, Charlie? Wrong, sir. Wrong. Under Section 37B of the contract signed by him, it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void if, and you can read it for yourself in this photostatic copy, I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses herein and herein contained, etc., etc., fax mentis incendium gloria culpum, etc., etc., memo bis punitor delicatum. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That's that's pretty much my call. (laughs) That was pretty much my call with with that AT&T rep. I'm forgiving when someone makes an honest mistake at work. I'm even somewhat forgiving if they're just not very smart or incompetent and they're trying hard. But where I'm not forgiving is when there's a a purposeful either disregard to try to solve my problem if they just want to make me go away, if they don't want to solve it, or if even worse, they're taking sort of some sort of pleasure in my frustration or, or feel it's, it's giving them some kind of power over me that they are asserting upon me. 
That's when I want to have them fired. That's the type of person who should not be working in customer service. That's someone whose job should be replaced by someone who deserves it. Because remember, there are not unlimited jobs out there. For every person that has one of these jobs, there are several that want one of these jobs and cannot get it because there are no openings. That's why I always hate the thing of it's so awful to make such and such person lose their job. Why is it awful? If the person is very bad at their job, and especially if they're using it vindictively against others, if they're using their job to inconvenience others on purpose or just because they don't care, why should they have that job instead of someone much more competent who wants it who's unemployed at the moment? Why should you feel any more sympathy for the person who gets fired than the person who's currently unemployed who would do a much better job who wants that position. It's not like the job just goes away if they get fired. If they get fired, they hire someone else who's very likely better and cares more about the customer and and isn't using the position to screw with people. So I I don't mind at all when those people get fired. But with that said, I don't want to see people get fired for honest mistakes or just having a bad day, but... If, if you heard the way this woman treated me there, I was, uh, first of all, it, it you know, obviously insulting and, and maddening, but it was also incredibly frustrating. In fact, I just felt I couldn't solve this. I just felt like they were just going to steal my phone and there's nothing I can do short of suing them. So, one thing I do in situations like this is uh, after after it's ruled in my favor, first, first I've got to prove I'm right. First I've got to prove that I was on the right track to begin with, and and they were refusing to hear it. And in fact, getting nasty and arrogant with me because they were not taking me seriously and were mad I wasn't accepting their wrong answer. See, first I've got to prove I was right in the first place. And once I prove that, which I'm very close to doing here, that's when you go back and you track down their actual supervisor. That's why you got to call back these places and say, I want to speak to whoever supervises this person. Not just, not just someone who, who receives the report, but I want the person who they report to directly to call me, and I want to speak to them. Only, only in cases where they're really, really bad and really obnoxious and really nasty with you. I'm not saying do this to everybody, but in cases like the one I just dealt with, you get to their direct supervisor, you have them pull the call so they can hear it, and then you let them do what they feel they need to do. And you should never feel bad about that because all you're doing is directing their supervisor to go listen to the way it really went down. And if you were being treated according to the way the company said they should treat you, then nothing will happen. But if they were mistreating you or if they were using their job to screw with you, then their boss is going to hear it. And then whatever consequence is supposed to happen from that point is appropriate. So, as I said, I would never do this for accidental mistakes. But where the person knowingly ignores what I'm trying to say when they're knowingly telling me I'm not going to get anything for my phone, they think, it's, they think it's amusing to upset me about that, which this woman clearly thought it was, and would not listen to any counter-arguments. Uh... That's the person I want to see on the unemployment line. And by the way, people like me are are making customer service better for you. 
I'm, I'm making customer service great again <laughs> because by getting those people out, then you're not going to call up and speak to them next time. Then the person you get will be better. I realize it's just a small percentage of all the ones that are ever reached, but uh, every employee like that that is fired is a net win for everyone except for the terrible employee themselves. It's a net win for the company, net win for the customer. So it's a good thing to do that. So let's talk about something more controversial than my iPhone disappearing. Talk about the so-called Muslim ban by Donald Trump. Because everyone's talking about that. Kate Hall can't stop talking about that. But uh, everyone's talking about the Muslim ban. Most people who are talking about it are ones who are against it. And there's a lot of people against it, and not just on the left. A lot of people even on the right that are also not for this. So what happened was that uh, Trump did an executive order. He's been doing a lot of these since he entered the White House and become our president. He he did an executive order on immigration. What's it like to be Whoop. in good hands? Man, this like- is what I get for bringing up CNN, this obnoxious uh, autoplay thing. Anyway, he brought up an executive order on immigration to bar citizens of seven countries, which are Muslim-majority, from entering the U.S. for the next 90 days and also suspends refugees from that country coming into the U.S. for the next 120 days. Those seven countries are Libya, Sudan, Yemen, Somalia, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. Those are the seven countries which uh, people cannot enter. It's known as the uh, the Muslim ban or the travel ban. Now, the reason this is so controversial, there's a few of them. First of all, it's being seen as targeting a certain religion, in this case, Islam. Because all these are Muslim-majority countries, and it's being seen like Muslims are being persecuted. And another reason that some are unhappy about this decision is that the people traveling for these countries in many cases are refugees that are trying to get away from conflict, war, human rights abuses, uh, complete lack of employment. And these are not necessarily bad people. In many cases, they are good people who are just trying to get away from a very bad situation. So why are we turning them away? Because Donald Trump is paranoid, some say, about people from these countries. Syria is a good example. Syria is uh, war-torn. There's been millions affected by the conflict that's been going on there for six years. 400,000 people already killed there. And... uh, Many of those who've fleed are currently living through a winter there where it's uh, very cold and they're in little shelters that are not very warm and uh, have barely any food or clothing to get to get by. 
So uh, most of these refugees are going to Europe, which is much closer to Syria. Um, a number of them are our children. Uh, the Obama administration said, okay, we'll do our part and, and accept uh, 10,000 refugees by August. And, and they did. But this is of 2016. So Syria, of course, is... Uh, The the uh, the main spot where ISIS exists, and uh, between uh, the U.S. and and Russia carrying out airstrikes over there against ISIS, um, a lot of places have been reduced to rubble, and uh, leaving a lot of people homeless, especially in uh, towns like Aleppo. So the question is here, with most of the people who are affected by this, who are fleeing, being just innocent people who are victims of war, why are they being shut out? Isn't it cold-hearted to shut them out? Well, here's the problem. And I just mentioned Syria. There's a number of other uh, countries that, obviously, those uh, seven that uh, I talked about. And, and each of them has uh, their own sad story. For each of them, you can find some very sad pictures of children in uh, horrible conditions. Some starving children who were bone thin. Other ones, children who were injured or killed. Other ones with uh, children who are homeless sitting by their home reduced to rubble. And, and it's, it's really hard not to feel for these kids. But, but here's the problem. Here's the problem, and there's no easy solution to it. There really isn't. Uh, in a perfect world, every time there's one of these crises that come up in one of these countries and refugees have to be uh, you know, or you have to decide whether to take them in uh, in a perfect world these refugees would be coming there with, with pure intentions basically to get away from their awful situation and start life anew and they're just regular people they're not coming to do your country any harm and, and really the only decision to be made is can our country deal with this influx of refugees who have nothing and are going to have to be supported and taken care of, but not are they dangerous. Unfortunately, the are they dangerous question is is getting tougher and tougher to answer. Now, little children, obviously, you don't have to be afraid of. You know, if a five-year-old is, is a, a five-year-old refugee is not going to be a terrorist. There's no There's no way that could be. But uh, obviously you're not going to just let in little children by themselves. They have families. They have mothers. They have fathers. It used to be said, okay, well, maybe just let in the women and children, not the men. Well, there can be female terrorists. Look what happened in uh, San Bernardino. One of the two terrorists there was female. So females very much can be terrorists. Um, the thing is here in the U.S., we have had definitely an uptick in terror attacks, but these were not from refugees, these were not uh, foreign-born citizens doing this. These were homegrown terrorists that 
were Muslim, which sympathized with foreign governments, which uh, sympathized with ISIS in many cases, but uh, were usually doing this on their own. The Orlando attack, the San Bernardino attack, there's been no tying them to orders from ISIS to do this or from Al-Qaeda to do this. So for the most part, the U.S. is still pretty safe from this stuff. It really is, because there's a big ocean between us and the terror nations that uh, where, where a lot of people would want to come in and do us harm. It's just hard for them to get here. They, they have to come here either by air or by boat, and that's hard to do. It's hard to do undetected. It's a lot uh, easier to sneak into here from a place where you can do it on land, such as Mexico. So it's been difficult to establish a terror network within the U.S. And, and also the surveillance that's been going on, for as much as it's been criticized, has also done a good job in preventing a terror network from forming here. And that's very important because once you have a terror network that forms in your country, it is very difficult to prevent terror attacks, especially given that most terror terrorists are very willing to give up their own lives. So once someone gets in somewhere crowded with a bomb and they're willing to die, in fact, they may be blowing themselves up with a bomb, uh, there's really nothing you can do to stop them at that point. If, if they're already in a crowded area, other than quickly identifying it, shooting them before they can set off the bomb, but the, the whole thing goes very quickly. It's very hard to stop. So the only way to prevent this is to, you have to prevent a terror network from forming in the country to where there's not enough organization beyond a few lone wolves doing this on their own, which will happen, but not to the, there won't be as much damage caused and it won't happen as often as it would if there were a terror network in your country. Now in Europe, there are terror networks established. And the fact that it's so easy to move between the borders of European Union countries also makes it even easier for these terror networks that uh, begin in one country and travel to the next. That's why we're seeing so many terror attacks in places like France and Germany. They have a big problem over there, which is only getting worse every year, and there's no easy solution to it. We don't have that problem quite yet. And we don't want it to start. Now, the problem is you can't just, when you start taking in all these people from countries where it's it's known that the there, there's a lot of terrorists that uh, want to harm the U.S., when you're taking in refugees who may not be refugees, but may actually be terrorists, but pretending to be refugees, sometimes it's very difficult to tell the difference. You can't just ask them, hey, are you a terrorist? Oh, yeah, you are? Okay, well, go back then. You, it's not like that, obviously. So there's talk of a vetting process, but that's very difficult. You know, It's very difficult because it's very hard to verify the information they give. It's very difficult. You know, They give you a story. How do you verify it? It's, it's, not, it's not that easy. So sometimes in the attempt to do the right and humanitarian thing, Sometimes in the attempt to do the humane thing, you end up shooting yourself in the foot. And the problem is those that are coming in, 
you're not going to know that you've accepted terrorists into your country until you've accepted a lot of them and a network is formed and then it's too late. You can't, you can't go back in time and say, okay, well, you know what? It turned out a lot of them did sneak in pretending to be refugees. Uh, let's undo all this. You, by then it's too late. They're, they're here. So, so there's no easy answer. There's no way to say that if we accepted a lot of refugees that some of them may not be terrorists in disguise. They, they easily could be. It's not far-fetched. But at the same time, you could say that not accepting these refugees is heartless and cold and is leaving a lot of people who need help badly to die. So what do you do? Do you protect your own country? Maybe even overprotect your own country to prevent these terror networks from establishing here by all means? Or do you say, hey, we've got to risk it because we've got to do the right and humanitarian thing and if we have to take a, a chance that, yeah, maybe more terrorists will get in this country, maybe a terror network will form, but this is too important not to do. And there's no easy answer to that. And anyone who tells you there's an easy answer is either lying to you or is not honestly looking at the situation. There are some on the left who who will deny to you that taking in refugees will increase the chance that a terror network will form in the United States. There are many on the left who will say that, and they'll give you all the reasons why. But they don't hold up to scrutiny. So, So I understand, actually, the reason behind the ban. And I think it's reasonable if if you say, okay, here's seven countries where there's a lot of anti-U.S. or anti-Western terror activity, a lot of people in these countries who want to come in and do harm to us. We don't know who is who. We don't know who's good, who's bad. We can't let them in. We just can't take the chance. We, we'd love to take just the good ones, but we don't know which ones are the good ones. So we, we just have to say no. problem I see is that it's being unevenly applied. Uh, Saudi Arabia is notably off that list, and I don't understand why. And there's the conspiracy theories about you know, which ones have a relationship with Trump, uh, you know, like a business relationship and which don't, and that influenced which ones he picked. And I, I don't know if that's true or not. But I do know if you're going to do something like this, then it needs to be a comprehensive list of which nations really are dangerous and which ones really do have citizens that are likely to come here and commit acts of terror. And then if you're going to do a ban like this, ban all of them, not just pick and choose certain ones to ban. And I, and I think all seven of them actually... Yeah, these are all reasonable choices. In fact, these were named by the Obama administration as, as terror nations. So Trump didn't just pick these out of a hat. He didn't just make these up. And I so so I think it needs to either be complete or not done at all. But uh, doing one which leaves off countries like Saudi Arabia is problematic. 
and there's not really a good answer for it. They they try to give good answers for it, but uh, these aren't good answers. And I'm not sure why Saudi Arabia was left off, but they shouldn't have been. So another thing I, I, I didn't love about these this ban was it was too quick. It was too quick and too without warning. Now, when this has been going on for quite some time, when we've already accepted a number of refugees, there, there's no reason to abruptly slam the door. That's not going to do any good. This is, this is something you're trying to fix in the medium and long term, not the super short term. So enacting the ban today versus tomorrow or next week is not going to make a big difference. So a lot of the bad stories you're hearing of, were of people who came over, good people, who came over from various countries and were there at the airport on the day of the executive order and, and could not enter and were turned away. And, and I understand why they're pissed. You're, you're told you can come. You're granted a visa. And you come and they say, nope, go back home. Trump's, Trump has just made this order. It's got to be very, very frustrating because you, you already got the agreement. You already believed you were in. So I think what should have been done was that any anything that was on the way, any, any visas that were approved, any uh, people currently on the flights here that were authorized to come here, anything already in process other than those that can be shown to have some kind of terror ties, obviously, should have been let in. The same way as they would have been as if Obama was in office. And then going forward, you change the requirements of, uh, if you want to, you change the requirements of who is going to be allowed in. So there's no one who's stuck in limbo. There's no one who, who thought they were coming in, who, who were agreed, who had the agreement to come in, and then now cannot do so anymore. And that also prevents a lot of the PR problems with this, because these people really make the poster child victims for the left. It looks terrible. And you don't want that. But uh, the problem is a lot of times Trump just does things without really thinking. And this was kind of one of them. This is one where I'm not even against it in theory. I just don't think it was done well in practice. And and of course, he, he should have, again, taken a little time to see which countries should be on the list. So many are claiming that Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates should have been on the list as well. There should have been 10 countries, not seven. I don't know if uh, this had to do with anything with Trump's business interests in places like Dubai, which is part of the United Arab Emirates, but Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I'm still a little bit skeptical of any claim that Trump is president in order to further his business interests or make more money or this is all about money, blah, blah, blah. Trump is 70 years old. Trump, Trump I believe, is a narcissist. And I think his ego is huge. Now that Trump is president, what Trump wants is to be admired for the president that 
to be the president that turned the country around. He, he really believes that he wants to make America great again. He really believes that he has all the answers, even in cases where he really doesn't. He really believes that he can solve all these problems. He wants to go down his history as a great man who did great things for America. I'm not saying he's a humanitarian. He's not. And he's selfish in many ways. But this is not, he's not using the presidency to make money. When you're 70 years old, money is much less important if you already have a lot of it because you don't have that much time left on this earth. And while he loves his family a lot and wants to see his children inherit you know, the, the fortune he has, um, I, I believe what's much more important to him than making some more money is for his presidency to be successful and for him to be admired and, and especially for him to be seen as right in a lot of the areas where people were skeptical about what he wanted to do. Trump's dream is to enact everything he wants to enact. Everything works out great and everyone says, wow, Trump, we're sorry we doubted you. You knew all along we doubted you and we were stupid. You were smart, we were stupid, Trump. That's that's what he wants. That's what he wants history that's the way he wants history to view him. And I don't believe this is about money. Now, is it possible that countries where he has a good relationship because of business dealings that he's just naturally more sympathetic to them because he's had a good experience with these countries and, and it, it's harder for him to put them on a list like this? That I can believe. But I don't think it's about money so much, but more about just personal bias. But when deciding about this Muslim ban, you've got to be realistic. And, and unfortunately, it's politically incorrect these days to say that a Muslim is more likely to commit acts of terror in the U.S. than any other segment of the population. It's politically incorrect, considered Islamophobic to say that, but it's the truth. It is the truth. Look at airline bombings, and I, I, I'm saying go back many years. Go back my entire lifetime, 45 years. Look at airline bombings. Most of them have been committed by Muslims for religious reasons. There are some bombings that took place for secular reasons, either because of politics or because of uh, personal vendettas. Or just general craziness. But there's a reason why we always assume when there's an airplane bombing that it was done by Muslims. Because often it is. It's not because we're racist. It's not because we're Islamophobic. Because often it is. That's who does it. That's who's known to do it. That, that's their MO. They like doing that. They like bombing things. Muslim like, Muslims like committing acts of terror. They like doing that much more than other segments of the population, by far. And the acts of terror they like to commit are often really, really nasty, meant to kill as many innocent civilians as possible. It's one thing when civilians die during an ill-fated 
military operation where you're attempting to go after the bad guys and uh, you end up killing civilians. And that, that's always unfortunate, and that's a different discussion for a different time. But at least there, the motivation, the goal was to go after the actual bad people. And it, it just failed and you killed the wrong people, or maybe you killed both the bad guys and, and the innocent civilians. But there's, there's a big difference between that and aiming to kill innocent civilians. And that is what Islamic terrorists do. When they bomb a plane, they know that nobody on that plane is really their direct enemy. But they are doing it to create fear and make a statement. And they know that the way you make a population scared is to kill the average person who thinks anytime they board a plane, this can happen to them. Because if you kill people in the military, then everybody who's not in the military says, eh, it's unfortunate, but that's what these people signed up for, so I'm not in danger. But when you bomb a plane and kill civilians, when you crash a plane into a building and the building collapses, that could happen to any of us. And that's the whole point. That's what they're looking to do. They're looking to make everyone scared to go about everyday life as much as possible. And people from Muslim nations are much more likely to do this. If we accept refugees or other citizens from Muslim nations, these people are much more likely to come into our country and commit acts of terror than those from non-Muslim countries. That's a fact. Pick any other country in the world that's not Muslim and accept people from that country versus accepting them from Muslim countries and the Muslim ones are much, much more likely, not just a little bit more, but much, much more, many, many times more likely to commit acts of terror just because they're from a Muslim country. It's unfortunate, it's politically incorrect, but it is true. So, you can't completely say that that Trump doesn't know what he's talking about. You can't completely say that Trump is doing something that's horrible. It's politically incorrect. It can look bad in many ways. It's curious how three countries that should have been on the list are not. I'll agree with all that, but... You can't say that the underlying reason behind it is totally incorrect. There are many people on the left who want you to believe that the threat from Muslims is pretty much imagined. That it's just a few fringe elements, a few really violent people who are a tiny percentage of the Muslim faith that are committing these acts. But that just about every Muslim is not like that. And in fact, condemn these acts. But that's not true. There is a surprising amount of support for these acts of terror in the mainstream Muslim communities. I'm not saying every Muslim. There are plenty of Muslims who are against this. 
who think it's wrong, but there are far too many who think it's right, even ones that will never do it themselves, even ones that will never participate in any kind of acts of terror, even ones that will never be any danger. There are many who support it, who think it's right, who think it's correct. Other ones that believe that uh, murdering gays is correct, even if they would never murder a gay person themselves, if they, if they hear about it happening, they're happy to hear about it. They, they support it. Or ones that, that uh, feel that violence towards women in certain cases is correct. This is engaged, this is ingrained in mainstream Islam. In the countries that I mentioned, these seven countries, in these three other countries, which are not part of the ban for some reason. And I'm surprised the left is so in love with Islam because of these terrible human rights violations that are widely accepted, that the left claims to be very much against. The left claims to be the defenders of, of the gays and, and, and the women. But for some reason, they are very much defenders of Islam who do horrible things to gays and women and aren't going to be changing anytime soon. To me, it almost looks like that the left is sympathetic towards Islam simply because the right has been attacking Islam. And this country has become so partisan that I believe that the left feels, well, if the right feels this way, if we feel the opposite, we have to do that. We have to oppose anything the right does because we're on the other side. So if they say they hate Islam, we have to say we love Islam. We, we can't say we agree that radical Islam is a problem. We can't, believe, we, can't, we can't say we agree that those from Muslim countries could be a threat here because that would be backing the right and their narrative. And we can't ever say that they're right about anything. So... We've got to oppose them. We've got to come from the other side. And yes, it contradicts our views on gay rights and on women's rights, but hey, got to give up something. So, regarding this travel ban, I I don't think it was implemented right. I think it was too abrupt. I, I don't understand why these three countries were left off. But... I understand where it's coming from. And honestly, as, as sad as some of these pictures are, and as good as some of these families are that I'm sure, you know, that want to come here and mean no harm, and I'm sure in a terrible situation, uh, unfortunately, we can't take that risk here because we don't have any terror networks yet in the U.S. and we don't want one to form. Now, there's one other thing I want to mention. One statement I've always hated in life is, well, you just doing this isn't going to matter much, but if everybody did this, then there would be a big problem. I've always hated the if everybody did this argument. I remember when we had the blackjack tipping discussion, and I talked about at certain high-end Vegas properties, the blackjack dealers were making like 100 k a year. And I said, look, that's, that's so much money for dealing cards. They, they don't need any further tips. And then someone says to me, well, wait a minute. If you take that attitude that you don't need to tip these dealers who are making 100 k a year already, what if everybody took your position? Then they'd be making minimum wage. 
And my response is, but everybody's not going to take this position. I'm not that influential. I can't reach that many people. There, there's absolutely no way I could possibly, if my life depended upon it, influence that many people to where any significant number are going to cut down on their tipping of blackjack dealers. So the everybody doing it argument doesn't make any sense. You could say, what if, and I can say, well, yeah, but that can't happen. So no point to say, what if? So the reason I'm bringing that up is that I mentioned earlier that the U.S. was accepting uh, 10,000 people from, uh, from Syria last year. That's a small percentage. And as I said, most of them are coming through Europe. Canada even recently said, hey, we'll, we'll take whatever the U.S. doesn't take. Well, okay. We're not the only country in the world that can accept these refugees. There's many countries much closer to these war-torn nations, much easier to travel to than the U.S., with much easier policies about letting in refugees. So, we don't have, if we don't do it, that doesn't mean they get turned away from everywhere. That just means they're being turned away from here. And you could say, well, what if every country takes this position? Well, they're not going to. Every country is not the U.S. In fact, the U.S. Uh, tends to be fairly unique with a lot of its policies. So, if other countries are willing to take them, let them. <laughs> These people will still have somewhere to go. The U.S. is not even anywhere near a high percentage acceptor of these people. So by turning them away, it's not giving them zero options. It's just taking away the U.S. as one of the options. Again, I don't agree with turning them away at the airport when they're on their way here. Or as far as granting them the ability to come into this country. That is more understandable. Now keep in mind, this is also a travel ban, which means people who have relatives in these countries that want to travel and see their relatives here in the U.S. can't do it. And that's got to be frustrating. But again, this is not something that's causing anyone to die. This is not someone that this is not something that's catastrophic. It's something that's inconvenient and frustrating for some people, but something we must do in the interest of national security. There's never a perfect answer. There's there's just no way to have a perfect answer to this. So there there will be some inconvenience, some difficulty, some problems, some suffering from whatever decisions made. So, I am one who is not really against the Muslim ban. I just think it should have been done differently. And as far as it being Islamophobic, discriminatory, etc., I don't believe that to be true. First of all, even if you include those three countries that should have been on there, there are plenty of other Muslim nations which are not on there. 
Why? Because those are nations where we are not seeing significant terror activity that would be aimed at the West. And if this was about excluding anyone of a certain religion, in this case uh, Islam, from entering the U.S., then every single Muslim country would be on that list. But it is not. In fact, there's three not even on the list who should be there. It's one of these things where just because a policy happens to affect a certain part of the population disproportionately does not mean that that was intentional. That's just the way it fell. For example, I never liked the statement that with a disproportionately high percentage of black people who are in prison that the justice system is racist. That's not true. And even if it is true, the when I say it's about the justice system being racist, the goal should be that whoever commits crimes should be punished for them. And of course they should be punished according to how serious the crime is. And the goal should be that you're colorblind. So no matter what the color is of the person who committed the crime does not matter that they get the same punishment. So if it happens that more black people commit crimes, well, then more black people should be in prison. If it happens fewer people who are black commit crimes, then fewer black people should be in prison. And that, that's the way it should be. You should not care about the color. It should not matter. And the only thing that can be looked at in a situation like that is... Are black people being put in prison who are innocent of crimes, or are they getting longer sentences than white people who committed the same crimes of the same severity with the same sort of previous record? Can you put a white guy and a black guy side by side with a very similar crime, a very similar prior record, and the white guy got a much lighter sentence? Now, I think some of that has to do with the ability to afford good representation, where if the black person is poor and cannot afford a good lawyer, and the white person can for the same crime, the white person will probably get a shorter sentence. And that's, it's unfair, I agree. But there's there's no easy way to solve that one. But that doesn't really mean the system's racist. It just means that uh, it's actually something more discriminatory against people who are poor. Uh, even if you can say that there is just a general bias in convicting black people and the assumption that they are guilty, which I might agree exists. Uh, again, that's a hard thing to fix. You can try to fix it. You should try to fix it, but that's a hard thing to completely fix. But that doesn't mean the system's racist. That means uh, maybe certain people within the system are racist. Maybe certain sentences are too stiff for the crime or that certain others got off too lightly. But it is never racist if a certain high percentage of one race is in prison because they actually committed a lot of crimes compared to the rest of the population. If that's the way it happened, then yes, there should be a higher percentage of that race in prison. 
you shouldn't strive for racial equality in prison, according to the demographics of the nation. That's not what prison's about. Prison is about putting away criminals who have committed crimes. That's all it's about. It shouldn't matter what race they are. If it happens to be more of one race and less of another, then if that's really who's committing the crimes, that's the way it is. That's who should be in there. So similar with this Muslim travel ban, it is a fact that Muslims are far more likely to commit acts of terror here than non-Muslims. That doesn't mean we have no non-Muslims committing acts of terror. I know the, we have all these people on the left pointing to that uh, shooting at the mosque in Canada, which was done by a white guy who apparently was conservative politically. So this, this is a perfect poster child for the left. Uh, look at this, a, a terrorist who shot up a mosque who was a white conservative. Hmm. So I guess that means that no Muslims are really terrorists. It just it, it, it doesn't mean that Muslims are likely to be terrorists because they can be anybody. So that, that shows you your bias right there. Look, here's here's our white conservative terrorist. Look at that. We we've been pegging Muslims wrong the whole way. It turns out everybody does it. From all races, all religions, all beliefs. No, not not if you take a look closely. Not if you take a look at who's responsible for the airline bombings over the last few decades. Not if you look at the percentages of attacks, of terror attacks that occur by radical Muslims who, and compare that to the percentage of uh, the population in those countries of Muslims. So, yes, for whatever reason, those subscribing to radical Islam love the use of terrorism to get their point across. That's what they like to do, much more than other segments of the population in the world. It would be great if we could just say, okay, well... Everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. We have bad apples in, in every race, every religion, and you just never know who's going to do what. We, we can't ever generalize about any group. Well, sadly, yes, you can. <laughs> in many cases, yes, you can. And in this case, with, with terrorism, there's a reason we tend to generalize it's a Muslim. There's a reason why when a terror attack occurs, everyone thinks, oh, I bet it's a Muslim. It's not because of the media. It's not because of uh, right-wing brainwashing. It's because it's the truth. And, and finding a few nut jobs who were white that committed some act of terror does not take away from how common terrorism is in the Muslim world and how many people support it. And that's a big thing, too. There's talk about Christian terrorists, you know, the uh, abortion clinic bombers, ones like that. 
And here's a big difference right here. Even if you want to ignore the numbers of Muslim terrorists versus Christian terrorists, you ask just about any Christian person what they think of an abortion bomber. Even ones that are very, very against abortion, and they'll say that this is terrible. You know, you should these people should not be killed. The they're, they're, no one's supporting this except for a few fringe idiots. Only a very small percentage of Christians would support such a thing. Would believe that's right. But uh, the, these Islamic terrorists, there's a lot of support for them. A lot of loud support, a lot of quiet support. There's not a lot of real condemnation of them. There's way too high a percentage of Muslims around the world that support this type of terror. And uh, Saw24 in the chat just wrote, Yeah, lots of Christians driving trucks into crowds of people shouting, All hail to Christ. Exactly. And you don't have many Christian terrorists just targeting completely innocent civilians. At worst, you have them targeting what they perceive to be the enemy, like the abortion clinic bombing. They, they think abortion's murder. So they say, okay, I'm going to bomb this place where I feel murder's taking place. Very, very wrong, and it is murder to do that. I'm not defending that at all. But um, that, that still doesn't scare the population as a whole, it's not the same type of terrorism because you see that you say that's too bad, that shouldn't have happened, that's tragic. The guy who did that's awful. But if I'm not walking into an abortion clinic, it's not going to happen to me, and you're not scared. When you see a plane blow up, when there's a bomb in an open marketplace, when a guy takes a machine gun and shoots in a nightclub and shoots people down. That scares you because you see yourself in those victims. You could have been on that plane. You could have been in that nightclub. You could have been in that restaurant. You could have been in that open market. That's the goal of Islamic terrorism, to make every citizen afraid, make every citizen look over their shoulder, make every citizen terrified that the next day may be their last. Even if the chance, even if the actual chance of being the victim of a terror attack is small. You know, I once had a discussion with someone from Israel who told me that, um, you know, I was saying to them, I'm a little scared to visit Israel because of all the terror attacks there. And they laughed and said, huh, do you know what a tiny percentage of people here die or are injured from a terror attack? Do you know that there's much more of a chance in the U.S. of being a victim of violent crime? A problem we don't have much of in this country, that you have a much worse violent crime in the U.S. than we do in Israel? And that's true. You know, we, we do have a violent crime problem in the U.S. It is much worse in Israel. There is a greater chance in the U.S. that you'll be a victim of violent crime than a terror attack in Israel. But, but, I said to them, it's the psychological effect. In the U.S., in general, if you stay out of the crime-ridden areas, you're unlikely to be a victim of violent crime. Now, it can happen anywhere. 
you can be in the nicest area possible and someone could uh, murder you anyway. But um, it's much, much more likely if you're going to be a victim of violent crime in the U.S. that you are in a neighborhood where there's a lot of violent crime. So if you stay out of those areas, and everybody gets to know this growing up, you stay out of those areas, you're not, you're much less likely to be a victim of it. But terrorism aimed at civilians is really meant to have the psychological effect of you are safe nowhere but in your own home. That the second you step out of your own home, you could be a victim. On a bus, in a restaurant, in a nightclub, in a stadium, on an airplane. Doesn't matter. Open marketplace. Any, anywhere you go outside of your home, a bomb can go off. You're going to die. A truck can run you over. You'll be shot down. It can happen anywhere at any time. Just someone will appear and they'll kill you. They'll kill you and many people around you. And you'll have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And even if your actual chance of being a victim of that is very small, it is very scary. It really does a number on your psyche. And that's why people are afraid to travel to places even like Israel, which are is definitely not a Muslim country, but uh, where they have a problem with terrorism aimed at their citizens. And you can tell yourself over and over, look, you know, they don't have the violent crime that we do in the U.S., so it's actually safer there. You can keep saying that to yourself. You can run statistics all you want. You're still going to be scared. Because it's, it's the psychological effect, and that's what the terrorists are going for, and they're successful with it. So that, that's why that terrorism is so nasty. It's actually meant to scare you from living everyday life. It's not so much about the small number of people killed compared to the general population. It's about the fear it creates. This was not uh, about uh, – it wasn't really completely Islamic terrorism. This is more about uh, racial terrorism. The guy uh, who did this was a member of the uh, Muslim faith. But you may remember John Allen Muhammad, a U.S.-grown terrorist who was Muslim, but uh, – he was, as I said, he was more. He, the motivation for his killings it was a combination of, of racial and also uh, even theorized a way to kill his ex-wife without him being blamed. That uh, she'd eventually be one of the victims, and it would be thought that she was just one of the terror victims. So it was, it was never completely fleshed out what the point was. But and he was he was given the death penalty. But this is in the early two thousand. The thing in 03. And what he and his 17-year-old accomplice were doing was uh, they were they were snipers and they were killing people mostly at gas stations in, around Maryland and around other areas of the country like that. And it got very scary in those areas. And I, I didn't get to experience this myself because I was on the other side of the country. But can you imagine if you keep hearing stories of people just getting shot from... Unknown locations, the bullet comes flying at you and kills you while you're pumping gas. 
And that the first time you hear about this, you think, oh, how weird. And then it keeps happening. And 12 different people are shot down like that. Next time you get gas, even though there's millions of people in the area getting gas, are, are you not going to be on edge? Are you not going to worry that while you're pumping gas, the, the, the bullet is going to go into you? You probably are. Because again, it's, it's something where you see yourself in the victims. So, can you imagine if this becomes an everyday thing in the U.S. where people eating in restaurants are just shot dead or bombed, where airplanes are bombed a lot more often, where big trucks are driven into crowds of people, killing many of them, nightclubs are attacked. Can you imagine if this becomes part of Frequent life here in the U.S. rather than you know, once or twice a year. It's bad enough we're having it once or twice a year now. But can you imagine if we're if we start having this uh, once a week, once every few days? Think about it. Think about it. If that's the country you want to live in. And don't live in denial. Don't let the left make you feel guilty that you're being Islamophobic for not wanting these people here because they're going to, you know, because you're assuming that a group of people might do this and go, oh, there's Christian terrorists, there's these terrorists, there's that terror. No, there are, but that's not who is overwhelmingly the most dangerous. And you know what? The reason that Trump won was things like this, is that a lot of people quietly think this, like what I'm saying here. A lot of people quietly think, yeah, of course Muslims are the ones we fear as far as terrorism is concerned. But every time they try to say it, they get shouted down, called Islamophobes. So they just stop saying it, they stop arguing it, and then they just quietly vote for the candidates that are going to be most extreme Against Muslims. That's how you guys got Trump. So you got to be realistic. If you, if you say that uh, accepting these refugees is not increasing our chance of a uh, terror network forming here, you're not being realistic. So that's my opinion on that. I'm sure I'm going to get some angry texts. I'm sure I'll get some angry tweets. That's fine. And, you know, if, if you want to send me tweets or texts about it, that's fine. You're welcome to uh, disagree with me. If you want to post on the forum, you can. Just uh, don't hammer me with, with uh, a list of all these different uh, non-Muslim terrorists and try to convince me that the, the threat's not really from Muslims. It's just the media tricking us. I, I'm not going to go for that. It's not true. I'm not going to go for it. But as always, I welcome commentary from the peanut gallery. Let's take a look at the messages that I received here. This is an alternative point of view from the 505 area. 
Uh, we've had more domestic terrorists than foreign. This ban is solely guided by the stupidity of some 70-year-old moron. We may not have to have the answer on how to deal with refugees, so why not go off the sample size? We've had a handful of incidents caused by such people, so a ban is more, more than overreactive. First month of Trump's presidency is a disaster so far. I wonder what it'll be like in two months. Well, it's actually not even a month. <laughs> we've actually only had about 12 days of his presidency. A lot's happened. I mean, I know why it feels like a month. He also said on a lighter note earlier, uh, if named Dong, you got to go by Big Dong. Yeah, but Dong King isn't bad either. Dong King is kind of like Don King, except Dong King, even better. And uh, he said, uh, regarding the AI bot playing heads up, he said, to really test it, you've got to have uh, Brian Hastings multi-account versus it. <laughs> that would be interesting Like have Brian Hastings number one Brian Hastings number two Brian Hastings number three Well okay this Brian Hastings did better than the first Brian Hastings uh, Someone texted me saying that I must be mad at them For not responding to them No I, I just wasn't looking at text much tonight Sorry about that Uh, for the 916 regarding Kate Hall uh, She's a 5 out of 7 Would not bang or, or I guess he means 5 out of 7 is kind of weird I think he means probably means 5 to 7 I don't know 5 out of 7 is actually not bad <laughs> that's, that's close to an 8 But anyway Uh You know, as, as far as how Kate Hall looks, um, that's that's really not the problem. Why she she the Hanson kid got it right when it said that she's she's got a very pretty face but kind of a weird body. That that's totally nails it right there. Uh, she does have a pretty face, and her body is kind of strange. I mean, it's a, kind of the long bony fingers and the pointy elbows. It's just, just kind of weird. Uh, I realize that some guys like girls that are really skinny a lot better than I do, so I'm taking that in consideration too. But you know, overall, she's a decent-looking girl, especially for poker. Uh, Doom, he sent me a message saying, "Druff Podcast God, Doom." I always appreciate Doom listening. He goes way back. And uh, <laughs> I saw an old text he sent a while ago, a year ago, saying that uh, Simi Valley girls rock. That that's referring to the fact that Simi Valley, California, was the place I lost my virginity with a girl from that neighborhood, or from that city. This from the five three zero. Just got to the gym and I see you're on air. Forgot my earbuds. Massive tilt. Maybe I should just speakerphone poker fraud alert and treat everyone at the gym. I don't think that'll go over well. You know, when I listen to the call to listen line, like when I'm walking the dog, I kind of wanted to put it on a speakerphone. But like when I do, I do it pretty soft because I just think it'd be so weird if people walk by and hear me talking to myself. They, They hear like my voice. On there, 
Like, isn't it weird? Like, I'm listening to myself talking. John Commode in the chat saying polls seem to be on Trump's side of the ban. That's interesting because I, I'm telling you, I, I guess I'm affected by social media. I don't know if that's true about the polls, but oh my god, on social media, my Facebook, everyone's going crazy about the ban, and, and Twitter, everyone's going crazy about the ban, and I'm seeing news articles. I, I guess I'm reading CNN too much, which I probably shouldn't be, but like on CNN, it's all over the place that. You know, this person's against it, that person's against it. It's even naming people who are Republicans that are against it. it I, I was just thinking the other day, like, is anyone for this? Like, does anyone like this? Like, I guess this administration has Nixon's silent majority more than ever. Nixon was the one who coined that term, the, the silent majority, the people who do not speak out, but feel a certain way to where the vocal people overwhelmingly make it seem like the country's feeling one way when in reality the majority feels the other way. You're just not hearing them. He just posted a link here, John Commode. John Commode's one of our older listeners, by the way. I think he's like over 65. I think he can play in the super seniors. This is from thehill.com, and I, I'm forgetting. There's there's so many sites like this. I'm forgetting if this is a conservative site, a liberal site, a middle-of-the-road site. I don't think it's liberal, but I don't know if it's middle-of-the-road or conservative. But I guess there, there was a Reuters-Ipsos survey which says... A third of Americans think Trump's travel ban will make them safer. Let's see what else. And I'm trying to look at the numbers here. So do you dis- do you agree or disagree with the executive order that President Trump signed blocking refugees and banning people from seven Muslim majority countries from entering the U.S.? And it shows that. Uh, Democrats overwhelmingly disagree. Republicans overwhelmingly agree. But overall, yes, it is slightly in the... It doesn't see the exact numbers, but I can see it's uh, slightly in the favor of agreeing. Hmm. Did not expect that. And... Yeah, like, all the questions kind of related to this. They're all... It's pretty split... And, and very much split along party lines, but it's overall slightly the majority on uh, on the side of this. That's interesting. Well, that shows you. That shows you. From social media, you would never believe that was true. And I didn't know that till right now. So thank you, Johnny Commode. And since it's a Reuters-Ipsos poll, that means that it's not uh, one of these biased polls taken by a right-wing site. I'm actually someone who doesn't like to read any biased site because I never know when I'm getting the truth. And I I, want to see the truth, whether it's truth that uh, I like to read or don't like to read. Sometimes uh, I'll click on some kind of uh, article from a right-wing site and I'll read like the first paragraph and go, no, I just close it. I'm reading BS. I know I'm reading... Overly biased BS that I know is not true And I go I don't care if it's going to make me happy to read this If I'm reading something that's false I don't want to read it And and then of course I'll find the same on the left 
which which oddly I I actually enjoy reading BS from the left more than BS from the right because uh, BS from the right kind of makes me a little bit ashamed of my party, and uh, BS from the left like God. Ah, <laughs> they're full of crap. So, like the the right wing BS, I just close and go. Ah, this is crap. I don't want to read this. It's nonsense. And uh, the left wing, I like. I'll read it more just to look at it and and uh, kind of uh, you know, get a small amount of satisfaction in a way that uh, I see them uh, putting out BS on the left. But I, I know what happens on both sides. But I, I don't like to read it on either side, as I was saying. I'm not one of these people who wants to only read things that I agree with. You know, I actually read an article. I'm a member of a Facebook group that doesn't really have to do with politics. But a guy wrote an article for CNN. He's not a writer for CNN, but I guess they accepted an article he wrote comparing Trump's presidency to the society depicted in George Orwell's 1984 book. And it was a good article, a good, thoughtful article. I thought it was well-written. I thought the guy who wrote it was very intelligent. And yet he was coming from a political point of view that was uh, very different from my own. And while I didn't agree with a lot of the conclusions he came to, uh, I thought it was a well-written article. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was thought-provoking. I even was willing to think about some of the things he wrote that I didn't immediately agree with. But... It was funny, there was one point of the article where I just, I almost closed it. And that's when he started going on about how the election was legitimate and the Russians stole it because of the hacking to the DNC. And go, oh, not this crap again. Like, it was so funny because the rest of the article was very well-reasoned and well-thought-out. Even things I didn't disagree, I didn't agree with, I thought were presented well and weren't uh, history. Okay, I think we're back, people. I think we uh, had something weird occur. This, unfortunately, may have to be something that we deal with until I get my computer back, and I'm on this backup computer. It did this weird thing where it's it stopped accept it stopped accepting any sound through uh, the sound card. And then once I got that working by pulling out the sound card and putting it back in, it lost connection to the radio. So I reset that as well, and here we are again. So thank you in the chat for telling me it went down. Uh, people in the chat saying it works. Lou Father saying it's not worked. He's got to refresh it. Good thing is the show's about to end, so I don't have to worry about this. And uh, there'll probably be one more show on this computer, and then I'll be back to the other computer, my main computer, on my regular equipment, and everything should be back to normal. So, uh, th- this always happens when you're using equipment that. Uh, you're not used to using. For some reason, Lou Father can't get it going again, but uh, we're about to be done anyway. Apologies to those of you who lost it. I may have to go in and uh, edit out any dead air that was there. 
I usually don't like editing the show afterwards, but if there's something technical that happens that uh, leaves dead air or something, I have to fix it. All right, well, thank you to Cal Watt for being on for the time he was able to be on, about half the show. We were on Wednesday tonight. We will be on Wednesday next week. Wednesday, February 8th. And we should be on Wednesday, February 15th. We should also probably be on Wednesday, February 22nd. Though I, I don't like to predict this too far in advance because you never know what's going to happen. But Actually, let me think here. I think two weeks from now we won't be on Wednesday. I think two weeks from now... No, no, I think we will be. Never mind. I'm trying to talk myself out of having a regular schedule, but I think we will this month. I think this month we're going to have all Wednesday shows. Check the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter. That's twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information about when we're on, but I'm going to try to get back to Wednesday, so you can expect it on Wednesday and not have to chase it around. I know it's frustrating when the schedule jumps around. In fact, that's the reason a lot of TV shows fail, is because they don't keep the same schedule. And people can't find it. People give up. I don't want there to be a lot of effort to listen to this show. Now, of course, if you want to listen to the archives, you can just subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, and it'll just send it to your device. But if you want to listen live, you should be able to without too much effort. So this year, I, I will try harder to keep the show on Wednesday when it's supposed to be. Remember, you can find it in the archives on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on TuneIn, and you can download the MP3 directly from the Poker Fraud Alert server. Just go to the radio page and click the appropriate icon in the archives section, and you will get to wherever you want to listen to the show. So many ways to listen, so little time. And we're done for this week on Poker Fraud on the Radio. Good night and shalom.